when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. for the judges and this multi-millionaire mogul now has the best kind of goal. It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for a very special episode, your favourite type of episode. It's a clip show, that's right, get excited. It's time to clip all the best bits of the last 50 episodes in the best of Off The Podium, part 7, episode 350. Can you believe we've stayed on air this long? I don't know whether to celebrate or apologise, but it's somewhere in the middle there. But we're here to celebrate our last 50 episodes of this show. Everything from our interview with Jamie Lee Rattray right through to last week's episode where we wrapped up the Gangwon 2024 Youth Olympic Games. You're going to hear snippets from all our other fantastic interviews that we had in this period. Our coverage of two big sporting events, three big sporting events, I should say. We, of course, had the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand that we covered last year. The Pan Am Games in Santiago last year, as well as just recently the Gangwon Youth Olympics. We've, of course, had a couple of opening ceremony reviews in between hand. We started that series of Redux looking at opening ceremonies over the years. And when I say Redux, we only did one of those. We did Rio. So, of course, we looked at the Lillehammer opening ceremony, the Rio opening ceremony, just to name a couple there, the Calgary, the Sarajevo ones. And I've had a lot of fun going through those as well. We've also had our Looking Ahead to Paris 2024 episode because, as you know, we're only several months away from going to the Olympic Games in Paris this year. And as mentioned, of course, a bunch of great interviews that we know you are going to love going over memory lane with as well. So sit back for the next couple of hours and relax. Take a trip down memory lane as we bring you the best of Off the Podium Part 7. Do you have a select jersey number that has stuck with you for your entire career or has that uh, fluctuated on different teams that you've been on? Well, um, I've actually, I was a big Mary Lemieux fan growing up. So I wore 66 when I was in junior. And then when I moved to over to Clarkson University, when I went played at school, I wore 26 because um, we weren't allowed to have high numbers there. And then so when I uh, actually first time I made the senior national team, I was given number seven, which uh, actually was worn by my good friend, Sherry Piper, who I felt very honored to actually wear that number. And, you know, obviously as a rookie on the national team, you take whatever number you can get. Your <laughs> yes. number, doesn't matter what's on the back. And um, so I wore that numbers for, number for a couple of years. And then when I got released, 
uh, one of the other girls wanted seven. So she took seven. And then when I made the team again, I was, again, I was just given a number um, and I was given number 47 and that's kind of stuck with me over the last couple of years. And kind of a cool story about 47 is um, when I got released in 2018, uh, there was a fortune that I must have had Chinese food probably recently after. And I'd kept a fortune that said, your hard work will soon pay off. And um, I taped it to the inside of my notebook and uh, I started writing every one of my workouts down, down so I could go back and see that I actually did the work. And um, I gave myself a year that year to try and make the team again. And I happened to make the team and I got 47 and it wasn't till maybe two, maybe six months later where I opened my notebook again, the same notebook that I had been writing down. And on the front, it had, you know, how on the bottom it has the numbers of, you mm -hmm. know, the lucky numbers. And the last number was number 47. Wow. On that fortune. And um, so that's kind of become my number the last uh, four or five years and something that I think I'll stick with because it's, you know, I love 26 uh, wearing 26 in college, but uh, it's definitely a cool, a cool story and something that, you know, it's kind of funny how things like that happen in life. And I still have that fortune taped to the same notebook and I will always, I brought it with me to the Olympics and um, kind of how funny how life comes full circle like that. So it was really neat to you know have that. So 47, I'm sticking with as long as I can have Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Great story. I was going to ask, do you still keep the notebook? Because I can imagine that that's yeah. a nice little uh, motivational keepsake there as well. Does it, does it get a little bit tattered after a while, though, I can imagine, <laughs> on the gym? But the more tattered, the better, right? It shows that you've been using it well. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's pretty full now. So it just kind of sits in our drawer. <laughs> but I have a, I have like a shoebox full of, you know, little stuff that I've, I've collected over the years of my career. And it's, it stays in there. And actually when I took it, when I won the gold medal of the Olympics, I had taken a cool picture of, you know, some of my, my strength coaches have given me little things over the years. I've taped those in the inside of my notebook and took a picture with the medal. And it's kind of cool how things come full circle and makes it worth it in the end. And um, definitely a cool story, something that I'll, you know, I'll keep with me as a, you know, as my career goes on. So. Definitely. When, when we have the uh, Jamie Lee Rattray Museum, I'm sure that will be like front and center, right? Like next to the gold no, medal, my, perhaps? That's my parents' house. My parents' right, house. Right, of course. <laughs> I'm an only child, so it's it's tough. But my parents' basement is a shrine. I'm kind of embarrassed <laughs> to say that, but it's... Uh, oh, come on. Yeah. You bring people. Oh, look at this. Oh, well, how awkward. I've got to get something from the basement. What's all this stuff down here? Oh, well, while it's we're crazy. here, would you like to hear the story of the notebook? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only child syndrome, that's for sure. But no, it's... Uh, it's good. So when you've got Bronte, Emma, Kate on those blocks spurring you home, like yeah. how extra fuel does that help? Because obviously you've got a crowd usually at most events cheering yeah. you on, you know, go Australia, go Australia. But when you've got your teammates and can you hear them and are you focusing on them screaming at you going, come oh. on, Meg, come on, you've got this. <laughs> um, well, I guess. At being second, the other two girls after me haven't swum yet, so they're still trying to, I guess, conserve their energy. They're not their wasting their breath. They're not screaming yeah, yeah. at you yet. So it's all Bronte. And obviously Bronte's, <laughs> Bronte's in the water. Like, she's not going to be able to stand behind me cheering <laughs> me on. But no, but in the um, marshalling room with those girls was, like, amazing. Like, I was – I think they could tell that I was so nervous. Um, and, like, I remember this so clearly. Like, we were sitting in the marshalling room and every other country was just kind of sitting there themselves but we were just talking like the whole time talking about random stuff like nothing else and um I remember I think it was I can't remember if it was Emerald or Bronte but we're sitting there and they're like like this is it like nothing you can do in the next 10 minutes is going to change the way that you race like you can't do an extra push-up you can't do it like any of this kind of stuff like nothing you can do is going to change like just enjoy it 
And so like from then on, like with those girls, like we weren't really talking about swimming, weren't talking about that. It was just whatever came to our minds, we were talking about and walking out, like cheering each other on, like you got this, like that was, took so much pressure off the swim. Like, I guess, so like, like it, it's not really about times in the end, um, other than a world record, but like, it's not like the race, like your race, it's the Olympic finals, you get there to win. Like that's the goal. Like no one at the end of the day remembers what time you did if you got an Olympic goal. Like it's just, you got the goal, like it doesn't matter. And it's yeah. a bit of a mind game too. If you've got all these yeah. other countries around you who are going shit, shit in an Olympic final and yet here's Australia going, yeah. so what did you have for dinner last night? Oh, did you watch yeah. the game last night? Like, I mean, yeah. it's like mind yeah. games. You guys are the best in the world and all of a sudden yeah. they're going, shit, is that what we need to do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I it definitely took the pressure off the race and I was able to enjoy it so much more as much as I still didn't remember half of it. But, yeah. It's insane. Thing. I, I love the story I've seen in a couple of your interviews and I'd love you to share it on the show today the realisation that you'd broken the world record because you didn't yeah. know that you had broken the world <laughs> record, did you? Well, obviously everyone's cheering because we won gold. Like that's in my mind. I was like, all right, bronze is just super hyped. Like we got gold, like this is it. And then, um, yeah, we're in the interview later. And then they're like, how do you feel? Like that was a world record. And I just turned to Kate and I was like, what? And Kate's <laughs> like, yeah, like we got a world record. I'm like, oh, shit. Like I didn't know that. Like, huh. Wow. Yeah. Kate's used yeah, to it. She's like, oh, it's world yeah. record. Come on, Beg. It's not that special. I've got 20 of them. Like, you know, get over it, yeah. basically. Were you aware of just how big of a deal it is? Because this is very early morning in Canada, of course, for the, for the most part of the, of the country. They're waking up to this. But was there a moment when it sort of got back to you and the team of how big of a deal this was back home in Canada? Um, yes, but also you like we're in Tokyo, so to an extent we're like not fully connected with the whole of Canada. We know that we know that it's it's good what we just did and historical and we know that Canada's definitely proud and, and happy. But I don't think personally, I, I don't I can't speak for other players, I don't think I'll ever be able to understand the full extent of how big it was because I like wasn't there like you know like you can't but I know it was big but I, I just don't know how big I know it was but I know it was pretty big it's it's a, put it into perspective I know a lot of people compared it to the Vancouver Olympics when Sidney Crosby got the golden goal and, and the men's team mm. won the gold medal and like a lot of people put it on that pedestal because I think wasn't like the highest rating event in like a certain amount of years in terms of just Canadians tuning in to, to yeah. watch this and and it will go down probably as one of those moments where it's like a where were you when you saw Team Canada win this uh-huh. gold medal so I mean it's just that's the level it was sort of being talked about with yeah for sure and you know like I remember personally that 2010 Olympics yeah. when Sydney Cross I was in Cancun and like there was a whole bunch of Canadians watching it and they're like <laughs> Best place to watch hockey, Cancun. Why not? I know. I can remember. So I, yeah, I can see. Like I, I can picture how big it was, and I know how big it was for Canada. It's just, it's still kind of crazy that I was a part of that. Well, you, instead of getting a medal handed to you like a day later, by the way, Gabby, here's a bronze medal. You're obviously uh, on a podium this time around, uh, singing "Oh Canada." Uh, can you describe that moment at all? Is it something that you can even put into words? Yeah. Uh, well, no, actually, <laughs> like it was, it's, it's grand, like it's huge. And I just, yeah, remember it was at that point, it was probably like almost 1am, like in mm. Tokyo, like it was so late. The, the game had 
started at 9 p.m. and it had gone on for so long. And by the time like you get the ceremony going, like it was super late. And but it was just like, and I remember it being so hot. I was so hot. I was dripping sweat because we were wearing like a full like I don't know what material it was, but it was it was heavy and it was it was hot. <laughs> you didn't have Lululemon then to be like the winter's no. got Lululemon. You still have them wear Hudson's yeah. Bay stuff, You're so not last, quite as streamlined. Yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful. I loved the outfit, but it was hot and everyone was hot. And um, but just stepping on that podium, it, it's just like because you know, like this is as good as it gets in, in any kind of anything. <laughs> So like you're stepping on it and you're really trying to remember the moment. Like I remember just being like, okay, like this, this is like the best thing ever. Like, and, but you're still like kind of like a human doing it. I don't know if that makes sense. Like we picture like Olympians as these, like these superhumans, but I'm here. I am like stepping on the podium being like, I'm still human. Like this is me normal me. And just being like, just overwhelmed by the moment kind of. And yeah, super proud too. How big was the party after that? I mean, obviously it's COVID. You probably can't do as much as you'd like to, but uh, I mean, surely there was a little bit of a party afterwards. It was, it was three days long. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's still going, right? Let's be honest, Gabby. <laughs> yeah, it's been a year. It's um, still doing it. Yeah. I, I was reading a little bit about Reading in Connecticut, Olivia, Um doesn't seem like the, the biggest place, but seems like a nice little place. I, I found out actually, though, that Meatloaf used to live there. I don't, I don't know if this is like some big thing that people in Reading talk about, but like when I'm looking through the notable people list, it's like Meatloaf used to live in Reading. Is this something that is aware people in, in Reading know and talk about, that the great late Meatloaf used to live in Reading? <laughs> I personally did not know that. Um <laughs> But I lived there until I was 10 and I didn't know who that was after or until after I was 10. So. <laughs> could have been your neighbor. You could have been like, oh, I'm Mr. Lowe. Yeah, seriously. How are you? How are you well, going? That's so random. Yeah, I, I, we like to bring the facts on this show and clearly Colin likes to start yeah. off with the how did you get into skiing. I like to start <laughs> off with the did you know Meatloaf probably used to be your neighbor. So you're welcome. I hope Colin's next Crazy. question is better. Yeah. That, that could be the second worst question I've ever asked on this show, Olivia just saying but hey i like to start off strong so you're what welcome what would the first be uh there, there was yeah, a, no, i want to know you haven't even heard that one yet colin no trust me there's a, an interview where i stumble and stumble and stumble and i just don't like to revisit that one that's you know yeah crash and burn clearly colin bring take it take it from meatloaf to something oh. better all right come on i don't know where to go from that one I'm lost well, already. Actually, <laughs> you know, we know that like places like Colorado and you know, Utah, obviously very big for skiing. I mean, I, I don't know much even about Connecticut, you know, the climate and everything. I mean, is skiing kind of a year round thing there? Is it normal that two year olds are slapped on skis? Because I've i got three year old twins and I can barely trust them on a trampoline that we have in the living room. I can't imagine putting skis on. Great them. question, by the way. That's a lot better than mine. Let's use cricket as an example. I'm sure if they added cricket to the Olympics in 2028, and very high chance it will be, it's pretty simple. 2020, cricket, this is how it works. These are the countries. Boom, that's how it's in. Whereas a sport, as you're saying, like breaking, which it's not even the breakers who were fighting for it, as you're saying. Like that's so fascinating. And then we learned this with Gerard because it's a case of 
it's not like a world championship or a national championship or all these sort of stuff have been going on forever. These are things that are only slowly being added. So you've got to work out how you qualify. How many spots mm-hmm. does the country get? How does the country choose their athletes? How does it get judged? I mean, these are obviously still questions right now, Rachel, that are still being answered, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the one hand, like I'll say, we've had big worldwide competitions for a long time, you know, over 20 years. But these are usually, you know, one single competition um, or, you know, there have been some series of competitions, but we haven't had to deal with this kind of equalizing governance, transparency, standardization on a world's level ever before. Um, And that kind of collaboration that's required between countries as well. um, Yeah, it's it's been it's been really full on and, and interesting. Um, I forgot what your question was now. Uh, the, my questions always start one way and go another. It's all right. It's fine. You, you don't, the, That's how the, my answers go. Good. You're, you're fitting very well on the show. When you found out that breaking was going to be in the Olympics, what was your initial thoughts? Were you were you excited or was there a little bit of sort of like something, oh, okay, this might be an issue? Yeah. Well, I thought it was going to be an issue initially when I heard of how it was um, submitted and how it was initially approved. Um, that it was the World Dance Sport Federation and, and not breaking. So I was really concerned that this would be an example of them kind of just, thank you very much, taking away breaking and, and we'll use it for our own organisation to, to lift us, us up uh, with no consideration for how it, the dance should be practised and um, the community and cultural aspect to it. So initially I was really concerned and I've, to be honest, I've toed and froed so much because I think it is great in terms of the opportunities that it gives. You know, there's a lot of people that have been breaking for a long time, you know, 20, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, in, you know, in Australia longer. And, and you know, they haven't got any, res- like, um, respect from the broader public for that, for that knowledge, for that dedication, for all that hard work, for that sacrifice. So I think this is really positive for those people because suddenly people are like, oh my gosh, have you been breaking for 20 years? Wow, you're such an expert. That's really impressive. <laughs> Whereas before they're like, oh, you're weird. Yeah. So <laughs> I think just that shift in public perspe- perspe- um, perspective, perception, both of those words at the same time, um, is, has been um, really valuable and meaningful for people in the scene. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it's, I am wary about the, the potential for exploitation and for using breaking, you know, just for commercial purposes to make a bit of money, um, make a lot of money for some organizations and the dancers actually get very little. Um, and for, you know, new studios to, to pop up and people to be teaching and they're not be teaching breaking in the context in which it emerged. You know, we have to remember that this is a form that was created in New York by African-American and Puerto Rican kids in response to a very specific socio-political situation. You know, so we can't just lose that context and the way in which that is embodied in the movements of breaking in that kind of um, the creativity, the style, the, the battling, all these kind of cultural practices are located within a very specific context. So I'm really worried at times that we're going to lose that perspective and that context mm. um, with breaking getting more and more popular and widespread. It is that double-edged sword. And we've had sports like that at the Olympics. I remember when snowboarding was introduced in 98, 
there were questions about that with the culture around snowboarding. We've just seen it with skateboarding, of course, too, at the mm. Summer Olympics. And I think from what snowboarding is generally shown, it's sort of retained the same sort of culture around it without it being sort of too ruined. And from what we've seen, the one Olympic skateboarding's been at, you know, that was a huge success. It seems similar to breaking in a way that just that culture and community that the athletes have. You know, we had the, the women's final where basically it didn't matter whether you were winning gold or coming eight, they were all hugging each other and yes. supporting each other no matter what. Yes. So, And from what I've seen of breaking, it seems like a yes. community where that's that way. So it is going to be fascinating to see how it comes about Paris. And I think, too, the interesting thing is given that the next Olympics are then in L.A., sort of mm-hmm. in the U.S., and I know back in 84 they had some breaking uh, showcases, I think, in the opening ceremony from memory. So mm-hmm. not quite New York, obviously different side of the country, but it's mm. at least sort of home for the next Olympics in a way. Yes, yes, I think so. I'd be very surprised if they didn't include it or um, in, in L.A. Um, I think it's a really exciting opportunity for it to be in America um, in uh, 2028. And, and then, then of Brisbane. course, it's, yeah. and then it's in Brisbane. Yeah, Just is Australia going to be the country that takes it out? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's when they're like, ah, bugger, breaking crickets in. Here you go, yes. come on. But you would have won two gold by then, though, Rachel. They have to keep a sport <laughs> where we've got a guaranteed gold medalist, right? So you know, just just saying with that. <laughs> One thing uh, you did miss in the mentioning the skydiving, Ben. I mean, obviously, very popular sport there in uh, in in Norway. Skydiving. Why is it that an Olympic sport? But the way that they start it is in that half cartoon, half visual thing, which is obviously a nod to Aha's Take on Me, <laughs> famous Norwegian band. <laughs> they literally open. They, we, they, we can't. They can't get Aha on the opening ceremonies but they're like but we're gonna steal your video <laughs> now look, now look I, I'm glad you like I didn't think about that because like I was gonna mention about how this is kind of like a unique period of opening ceremonies right it wasn't really like more commercialized I really go to like Atlanta as the first real opening ceremony that you kind of get this sort of let's get a big name singer and let's be more cultural and sort of do a bit more grandiose but you're 100% right because if this was 2014 fucking AHA would be performing at the like where is AHA Hashtag where yeah. is art? Like name another bigger Norway. Who was a Norwegian that won the fairy tale with Eurovision that one time? Jared, I mean, he was probably baby at that point. But like, I mean, they had violins. He would have been fitting right at home. But like, where was Aha? Like, come on. We want Aha, <laughs> and like, more than just ripping off their video. We want Aha. You, you know what? Ben's seen them. Well, now that I'm thinking about that, right? I'm still pissed off of hashtag where Sai from Pyeongchang. <laughs> hashtag where's Aha? Where's Aha? Aha and Sai, like, are waiting to come back. You know, like, when the Super Bowl did their, like, 50th anniversary and they got, like, Coldplay and Beyonce and Bruno, like, they got a, you know, a a highlights package of the best halftime shows. I want it for, like, the 100-year anniversary of the Winter Olympics in, like, four or so years' time. I want the best of, like, the missing people that we had from the outside. Milan, I mean, Milan, I mean, Turin got Ricky Martin at the closing ceremony. The Italians don't give a shit. They're like, hey, let's get the singer. So, like, like, literally right now, Milan, if you're listening... Ah, and sigh. <laughs> You've got your, your ceremony thing. I did recognise Australia, Kirsty Alley. Uh, Kirsty Alley? Christy, what? Uh, Rest in was. peace, Kirsty. <laughs> What's her name? Um, oh, you loved her in Cheers. Oh. You loved her more in Look Who's Talking, but everybody remembers her as the flag bearer. <laughs> 
the great Australian aerial skier, <laughs> Kirsty Alley. Um, I, I mean, she was robbed of winning a medal at those Lillehammer Olympics. Uh, Kirsty Marshall is who I'm trying to say. Uh, who go? I, I, that's one thing I do remember from '94 was the fact that she was like, you know, won all these world championships, and everyone was talking about us finally winning a, a medal at the Winter Games because we had Kirsty Alley there. Because I'm telling it again. <laughs> <laughs> She before Veronica's closet, she went to the Olympics. <laughs> oh, rest in peace. Um, Kirsty Marshall. Did you when you started playing volleyball as a kid, I know a lot of it was beach volleyball, but had you grown up with an idea that an Olympics was a possibility? Obviously, beach volleyball, not an Olympic sport when you were growing up, but had you thought about the Olympics and transitioning into indoor much throughout your younger younger career? Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, Indoor volleyball was a part... I w- when As I grew up, I played a lot of beach volleyball, but also a lot of indoor volleyball, especially when I got to the age of 14 and beyond playing in secondary school. We call it high school here. Um, so I was enamored, uh, smitten with both sides of the sport. We didn't have internet and YouTube and all those things, so I never got to see the international team's play live or motion pictures, but I got to see still photos. And every month, our my friends and I would ogle over our copy of Volleyball Monthly. They'd have great shots from the World Championships and the Olympics. And so in 1976, I was 15 years old and I stayed. It was, you know, beautiful summertime in Southern California. And I stayed at home. Normally, I would have been at the beach playing a lot, but I stayed as home uh, home as often as I could, looking for volleyball, waiting for indoor volleyball, waiting for it to come on over 17 days. I think uh, I almost missed it if I had just sneezed or gone to the bathroom because they only had it on for about three minutes. It was an epic match. Poland won that match. It was the first five-set match ever in Olympic gold medal match history. Uh, but they only showed a couple of minutes of it. And so that's when it really hit me uh, at 15 years old. The U.S. was not in that games. And if they were, they needed to be good for people to get to watch it back home because there are so many great athletes in so many sports, both uh, female and male, but just the, the wide range of sports that people have, Americans have success in. We had to get good for people to see what great international caliber, elite caliber volleyball was all about. Most Americans had never seen it until it came on television in 1984. And it came on because we were contending. And so that was our goal is to try to contend. We went into that first Olympics with uh, a goal of winning uh, some kind of medal. The first, so the women won the silver one night, the men won the gold the next, and those were the first two Olympic medals for America in the sport of volleyball. Pyeongchang and, and then Beijing, obviously, a uh, bit of an injury. Um, what happened in that crash and just that recovery? Because I believe you basically didn't hit the track again, really, until the months leading up to Beijing, did you? Uh, not quite. So I never crashed. Um, it was kind of a, a long, drawn-out process. Um, tw- so first runs back after 2018 um, in Calgary in Canada. 
came around corner uh, called Chrysler, which is a 360 degree corner, and I hit a bump on the track, which is that if you if you're on a certain line, you hit it. If you're not, then you don't. Smacked it off track with a headache. Okay, it's run one. I'll go again. Let, let's see what happens. <laughs> run two, hit it even faster. Like, off, like, but by the time I got to the like, Chrysler in Calgary, it's corner ten. By the time I got to corner twelve. I want off sled. Like, no, this is, <laughs> I'm out. This sucks. My head hurts. Uh, at the time, I had no one with me, so no coach, um, definitely no physio, no doctor. Kind of had to eventually, over the next couple of days, put it together that it was concussion because I couldn't look at a screen for more than like 30 seconds. I was tired, headaches, all that kind of stuff. Didn't slide for the next probably 10 days, I think. Went to Whistler. Got back on track, um, did first half, and so was sliding quite well, from what I remember. Um, and then we was was second half after Christmas. Got back. Uh, Eagles and I don't have the best, well, haven't had the best of relationships anyway, which is the track in Austria. Um, but even then, I was unusually emotional for for runs that weren't particularly bad. I was still in tears after every run, and according to friends afterwards, they were like, "Yeah, you were you were out of it. Like we were asking you questions, and there was just." Nothing there. Didn't race that. Got to St. Moritz the following weekend. And St. Moritz is the best track in the world because it's hand cut from snow every year. There's no vibrations. There's none of the bumpiness that we get with some of the other tracks. And it made me feel dizzy. And it was at that point, thankfully, I was working with the Canadians um, and their, their Cairo and both of their coaches were like, we don't feel comfortable sending down the track anymore. You need to, like, you're done sit out and we'll we'll reassess every couple of days like every every 24 hours from, from here on in <coughs> um got back up to go back to the uk after that we were going home anyway and by the time i got back to the uk and the adrenaline started to, to wear off i was walking around town and i'd feel drunk within 20 minutes and this is this is walking on flat ground wow. um, so eventually they diagnosed me with post-concussion syndrome um had MRIs done, spoke to neurologists, um, just just trying to figure out what was going on and like just how bad it was. Um, didn't compete for, for the rest of the year, obviously, because it was by that point they were post concussion. No, nah, <laughs> you're done. Let's not risk not risk it. Particularly as we were going to Lake Placid in the US, which is rough. It, it, it's my favorite track or one of them, but it's really rough and not the greatest for your head. Whistler had world champs, and that's 140 with 5g so that's also not great for your head um and it took six months for me to get the full ticket of approval from doctors and physios that i could return to to full training but then there was the so that was june i think june july and then there was still the all right well i haven't tried the one thing that's actually going to either cause this to be okay uh, to like be career ending or or not um had to have that lovely conversation with my sports psych about well what happens if i get to whistler and i'm dizzy mm. what happens if first runs back don't go to plan like i had to be okay with it being with with going to one olympics in going to plan from my own expectations um but thankfully it all went okay <laughs> Wow. So 28 the 2019 20 that that whole season was 
was okay. I was very, very mindful of the the load that I was under on, on, on track. And if I had any form of symptoms, then I was was done. Um and it was it was a learning curve, I think definitely a silver lining. Because without like without the concussion, I don't figure out that my depth perception was out. My, my eyes were converging way too soon. So trying to like train them to to be normal and at least have a, <laughs> a better range of, of depth perception, which in a sport where you need to steer at very specific points in time, suddenly it all makes sense. Like there were often times where I thought I was steering what I was supposed to, but I was steering too early. So like, well, like if that makes sense, I think I'm here, but I'm actually so far, like much further back in the corner. Kind of makes sense. So then wow. the the performance started to get better once we figured out that, um, and then just monitoring my head and my neck. Literally a silver lining, though. I mean, pun intended. It's sitting next to you there, yeah. uh, Jackie. But that, I mean, that's that's crazy to think that that sort of happens and then it leads to that. But I mean, that run you talk about, like when you go to Whistler, knowing that this could be it. I go on this. I'm dizzy. One Olympics is all good. I guess I'm back to the UK and I'm, I've got to find a new career. I mean, how daunting is that when you're on that start line knowing that literally this run could be it? I think that run was the most nervous I've ever been for a skeleton run. And I started from, from corner six in Whistler, which is I'd never started that low down that track in my entire career. So to to put the pride aside and like, no, this is how it needs to go. So we were, we were very strategic in as much as we could be at that time of year um, with where I started because then uh, OWR like, well, is there a beginner track you can go to? Like, no, it doesn't, that's not, how, <laughs> not quite how this works, um, but they, they, they were still learning anyway. Um, no, but I can start as far down the track as, as I can. And if we go to Whistler, the ice is always is always smooth, so that that's one thing out of the way that we don't need to worry about. And yeah, it was just slowly and then gradually building up. I think I spent two or three days from corner six just to make sure that yeah it was okay, and then progress back up, and then yeah. And then relief. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, you're ready to go. Basically, getting that final tick of approval of like runs. I think I think I need to do probably. Th- I've been six runs from the top of Whistler before they would officially clear me because to in order to to compete you need to do at least two, <laughs> so two wow. or four. Um, but like yeah, getting getting that final tick was like okay, Jeez. Beijing is still an option. Let's go. <laughs> Most important artifact behind you. I mean, you mentioned Suring. You got a Bing Dwendwen. I mean, God, they've sold out everywhere. You've got the real deal, right? So, like, I mean, this is yeah. this is more precious than the silver, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we were told. So, um, Alyssa Camplin was uh, deputy chef mission, yep. and when we got got that, she's like, "Do not let that thing out of your sight. <laughs> Keep it in your hand, because otherwise, people are going to nick it and they're going to sell it." <laughs> <laughs> we we initially thought the, that that we, we weren't getting one because of how our podium went. We there was eight minutes between Hannah crossing the finish line and us walking out for our medals, and we got our got the, got the flowers, which are actually crocheted, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either way, so we we, we got, got given them, and all three of us were like, "Huh, what happened to our mascot? Like everyone else gets a mascot, why aren't we getting a mascot?" 
<laughs> Why do we get ribbed off? Not being Dwin Dwin. Gosh, yeah. But then when we after we done all like done the mix zone and then walked into the press conference, ours we're sitting on we're sitting on the the desk of the press oh, conference. So best moment of the day. That's but I guess where they're that, good. There it is. Thank you very much. Which uh, I mean, yeah. it's just it was fascinating how they sold out. And I think I literally looked up on eBay the other day, and I still think they're selling for like three hundred dollars on eBay just for a basic Bing Dwen Dwen toy. They were hensy, even in the village. We weren't looking. We didn't do a whole lot of exploring the village pre pre race. And I looked at one and went, ah, yeah, maybe because this time around the only one we got given were a little like keyring, basically. Whereas in Pyeongchang, we all got given uh harangue and I've forgotten the Paralympic mascot, but we got like reasonable size ones of that Band each. B, I think. Uh, I yeah. think we called it Surang and Boorang on the show, but yeah, Band B, yeah. yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, Pink, Dwen Dwen wins the day. Go. The best mascot we've had, I think, since Izzy in Atlanta. That's what I say. I mean, God, what a. Yeah. What a, Brisbane's got a lot to work up to, I think, for 2032. Uh, I mean, I don't know, we could, get a, we, could, we could get a Jackie mascot. I mean, you're from Queensland, put you on a skeleton sled. Like, I mean, you could be the mascot <laughs> for 2032. That could work. That'll be fine. I, I cannot wait to have a home Olympics. It's going to yeah. be awesome. So in terms of that full contact, though, like are we talking hockey here? Like can you just full on slam someone down? Uh, like, I mean, what, sort of what, what's the level of contact? Surely there's got to be a limit there where you can't just walk up to like, hey, you, punch him in the face and then move on to score a goal, right? Yeah. So you can hit We call it hitting. Uh, but you can hit somebody where, where you're making contact with them when you're when you're basically in front of them. So, you know, the front of their body, you're allowed to um, try to go to stop them by touching them. Um, but as soon as they're past you, you kind of have to let go. So there's like if there's any dangerous plays, like you're holding somebody's arm um, it, when somebody's in the air, like especially wingers, because wingers are the ones that usually jump into the crease uh, or the six meter. Um, you can't touch them in the air kind of thing because it becomes dangerous again um anything that's not like with the intention to stop so if you make any contact to the face it's a two-minute penalty um if you obviously like are pulling jerseys or you're punching somebody or slapping them or whatever like anything that's not intentionally to you know play defense uh would be a two-minute penalty so yeah which must be then fascinating sometimes the interpretation of it because any sport, you know, where you've obviously got these clear rules about physical contact on paper sounds easy, but of course in a game things certainly uh, change up differently, which is it a sport which you get fights or, you know, gets very aggressive or sort of tempers flare a lot because you might sort of have those loose interpretations of that physicality? Um, actually, no. And I think part of the reason, like, so just comparing this to soccer, like I found – when you're watching soccer, the players can complain about calls more because, you know, you have your yellow card and you have your red card and there's not really anything in between, but in handball, you can get a two minute penalty and you can get three, two minutes before it becomes a red card. Um, and then of course you can get a direct red card if you do something bad enough or a direct blue card, which is even worse than a red. Um, wow. But because there's like a low tolerance for that kind of thing. Like if I, for example, got a two minute penalty. And then I started to argue with the ref, the ref would just give me another two minute penalty. So there's not as much like fighting or arguing, but if you did say, get into a fight, like on purpose, like if I just want to punch somebody, then I would just immediately get a blue card. So I, th I don't think it's as 
you know, it's not like in hockey where, okay, like we're, you're stopping the game because we're going to let these two guys go at it with each other. Um, there's not really any tolerance for that. So I, I love the idea of a blue card. It's worse than, so is that just full on, like, as you said, you, you punch someone, like you do something so bad and then you ejected from the game at that point, basically. Yeah. Like a red and a blue, you'd be ejected from the game. Um, I don't want to like get too technical here because I feel like the rules are a little bit arbitrary, but my interpretation is that if it's like a, a play where it's dangerous, but your intention was not necessarily to hurt the person, but it's bad enough then it would be maybe a red. And then if you're like going out of your way to, to hurt somebody, then it would be like a blue and, and there would be suspensions potentially with both. Definitely for a blue card, there'd be suspension for more than just that game. hungry like I, I i know as much as i know um very limited but for our guests who maybe don't know much about hungary like uh why should people go there why should people visit it looks like a beautiful country uh sell it be be hungarian tourism right now christina sell the country to our oh, listeners. Hungary, you you must see hungary it's it's a such an amazing country and such amazing uh people like you would you would think they are rude and after you would think they are so nice they they just so... well, can, I, can i jump in there really quickly i'm glad you said that because we had a joke for a while might have been during rio for some reason i can't even remember why but we said hungarians were just very serious and not funny i think we just basically had an ongoing joke about hungarians don't know what comedy is so i'm glad you can clear that up and if you want to tell a joke to clarify that hungarians are funny by all means please do no, no, I, I, I'm so bad with jokes, but, <laughs> but yeah, Hungarians are really, really funny and we, we have a sense of humor, but maybe it's a little bit different than <laughs> here in the US, example, but my husband always tell you don't have a humor. And I said, I have, <laughs> you don't have, you don't understand my humor. So yeah, it's very different. And, and the country is amazing. It's Budapest. It's a, it's, I think it's the funnest uh, city ever. I, it's a lot of things to do and, and, and it's really fun. And the countryside, it's very interesting. It's very traditional and um, going back in history yeah. and, and, and it's very diverse, you know, we have very, very um, poor, but I mean poor, like old school and the very traditional part of the country. And we have very modern as Budapest and, and, and fun, fun part. And yeah, you have to go see it. It's, it's just Definitely. so I, I, I sadly have actually never been to Europe in general, but um, I, in all oh, seriousness, oh, a bit of a bit of a trek for uh, Australians, as you can imagine. But um, yeah, it's. I think if, the day I do go to Europe, it's the one part parts of the con- the continent that have always interested me are sort of more to the east. You know, like sure, I want to go to the UK and France and Germany, those sort of places. But I've always been more intrigued by places like Hungary and you know, going further east. Like I know I'm not meant to say this in 2022 when we're recording this, Christina, but I've always wanted to go to Russia. Not right now, but um, you know, it's sort of places like that I've always wanted to visit. So Different, I'll put yeah, it on the list. Um, Definitely put it on the list. You 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 should watch the movie. Think. Euro tour, maybe that's the name. Euro trip, is it? Euro trip, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> my husband, I've, seen I've never seen it, but my husband always telling me, yeah, like when you go to Eastern Europe. <laughs> yeah. And it's so true. And uh, I had, a, I had, a, I actually had a friend at university. She was, um, I think she was from Bratislava, but she'd grown up a lot in Hungary. And she used to, 
there is a scene in that movie where they go to Slovakia and basically make it like one US dollar puts you in like a palace. Um, so <laughs> like, yeah, not the not the best uh, reception of Eastern Europe in that movie, but it's funny. It's it's funny. But it's funny. This is what it's I tried funny. to say. It's funny yes. and. Um, there's yeah, the Hungarian humour. It's there, right? You can laugh at it. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, come on. There it is. That's, that's and it's what, so that's... funny because in Israel they had like, uh, because my husband is from Israel and they had this show, I don't know what's the name of the show, and they make fun of the, you know, all the the culture and there is uh, some, they try to talk in Hungarian and and uh, he always tells me these uh, words, but they, he, he learned from that show. <laughs> It's so funny. It doesn't make any sense, and and it and it's just yeah. No, uh, Hungary it's fun, and and people are are really have the humor. Just uh, we don't Good. speak so much English. This is the problem. So you guys have to learn Hungarian, and you're gonna understand the humor and I'm always the fun down part. for a challenge. I I, <laughs> I definitely will will try that out. And thank you for clarifying that. And we apologize to the country of Hungary <laughs> for saying that Hungary isn't funny. We've now clarified that you are. disrespect to Thomas Bach, uh, 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 but like, uh, sorry, hang on, let me rephrase that. No disrespect to Thomas Bach, Olympic champion fencing, um, but I, like, he just, is he devoid of personality? Like, it's just something that, like, Jack Rock gets up and he's got a bit of, like, flaring. Juan Antonio is excellent to me. Come on, that guy was just a legend and I can't wait to go pre Juan Antonio to see what all those old white dudes thought. But, like, like, there's just something about Thomas, that little dweeby little man. Was he making that? Like, it's his first Olympics, my first Olympics. Ah, ah, ah. And I think he's only got one more to go, so we're not going to put up with him for much longer. But I don't know. I just, like, I don't dislike him, but he's just, I just, give me somebody more engaging, Colin. Like me, yeah. <laughs> Put Colin up there. Give me a Colin. <laughs> hey, everyone, I'm Colin Hilding, and it's the Olympics. <laughs> I peed on those rose bushes in Calgary. Yay. Here's a man who never believed in sex. <laughs> Success. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw a chair to light the flame. I'm Colin <laughs> Hilding. There we go. That'll liven up the ceremonies. I actually, I, I mean, as much as I love Judy Dench, I wish we had got that Kenyan guy. The environment is causing pain <laughs> to the world. Stop, stop burning trees, everyone. Just save the planet. Save it. This is before Greta Thunberg, wasn't it, 2016? And uh, why did the the plant have to be ugly that she kept talking about? Yeah. Breaking through the pavement. Yeah. The plant is ugly. The flower is ugly. I'm like, pick a nicer plant, honestly. <laughs> Do you know what else is weird is that they they end this with like the upside down peace symbol in green, <laughs> which typically if you turn something upside down is the opposite. Like I think an upside down crucifix is is like a satanic symbol and stuff. So the upside down peace symbol are they basically saying like war for a good environment? <laughs> <laughs> we want we want with lots of mass killings that'll bring about some some peace in the environment. So, so if you turn off the podium upside down, you get a good podcast. That's how that works. <laughs> you get you get keep the flame alive. <laughs> Touche, you do. Uh, you, you really do. Uh, but they didn't win an award. Um, <laughs> drop mic. <laughs> they didn't have an award cancelled after they won either. Hey, we're undefeated. We, 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 we almost Will Smith's the uh, the podcast awards. I'm saying right now, like, as sad as I was, they didn't have the category so we couldn't go back to back. At the same time, I'm thinking, like, no, nope, never have it again. Like, we're, yeah. you know, 
we are undefeated, the undisputed champion. You can never take that away from us, right? So yeah. um, I'll I'll have that on on board. Yeah, I think standout um, for me, uh, Kyrgyzstan with the the little hats that they had mm. were just on point. Um, Canada, I thought, kind of phoned it in a bit. Like Australia was boring, but Canada's just looked like sloppy. I like can- the, the white T-shirt under the jacket it was just a bit too casual. Like I get that yeah. was the look at the time and everybody was kind of doing that. But like, just like tuck it in, well, like the US. Just, just give it a bit of a in. tuck. Like it just, just was a bit it sloppy. In. Just tuck it You're in. You're an opening ceremony. You're not going I'm down Canadian. to the pub. Like, put in a little bit of effort. <laughs> I'm Canadian. We tuck nothing in. Nothing. <laughs> just let it hang out. Be Scottish. Let it hang out. Oh, hey, hanging out everywhere. I did appreciate that Sweden was dressed by H and M. Um, I mean, really? Yeah, they had like giant H&M logo on it Like, I think Australia, Paris next year We should be dressed by Best and Less um, save, save on the AOC budget, right? Dressed by Best and Less But just make sure to tuck that shirt in You Tuck, tuck your bloody shirt in, Anna um, You need like the uh, like school supervisor Before they yeah. eat out on stage Alright, come back here Did you used to get I used to get detentions if my shirt wasn't tucked in Did you used to get detentions? We didn't no, like, it was just for like award ceremonies. They'd always be like, you got to tuck that in. So you would do like the subtle tuck. No. Oof. Tuck it in, but then pull it out as much as you could. So it looked like it wasn't tucked in, but <laughs> technically it was. So you could be like, it is tucked. I hope we're still talking about shirts here. Colin, in Australia, we have to wear school uniform at public or private school. So uh, yeah, if you're wondering like, why would you be going to school telling you tuck your shirts in? It's like uh, <laughs> Australia. We're very, you know, we're, th- we're that way with it. Um, pro tuck. Yeah, we're pro tuck. Nip, nip tuck. <laughs> of international basketball I've ever been a part of at the highest level was, you know, we'd, be, we'd never beaten Lithuania in international competition. We beat, and they were undefeated in Beijing. We beat them by 30. We were flying. We'd beaten Russia um, comfortably and they were a powerhouse. But it was too late because we'd lost that game to Croatia and we crossed over against the USA. Um, you know, crossing over against an Italy or someone, I feel like we were playing well enough to medal in Beijing, but, you know, we finished outside the top eight, outside the top four because we came across the USA. I'm glad you mentioned Lithuania because that was my next question because I remember as a kid hating Lithuania in basketball. They beat us in Atlanta. They beat us in Sydney. And then you go and get that revenge in Beijing. I I don't think people today realise that rivalry we had with Lithuania for a little period of time there, Chris. It's interesting (laughs) because they're, they're such a dominant basketball nation. And as I was introduced to international basketball, we kept hearing about Lithuania, but in the same breath, we also heard about how much of an underdog we were as a small country, as Australia and our small population. And you think, hang on a sec, that that doesn't compute in my head. Lithuania are a thousandth the size of Australia and their population smaller, yet we're calling them a powerhouse. So I was, I never liked that underdog mentality that we carried around with us or, or lent into for, for a lot of years that I was involved. I, Again, I was naive enough to think that we should be able to compete with some of these nations because we were actually bigger and had more players. We just, yeah, I, I suppose I didn't like the built-in excuse that if we get, if we didn't get it done, we're underdogs anyway. Um, and I'm really glad to see the boomers' cultures evolve into that now.
We always love hearing about the Olympic experiences, but I'd be fascinated to learn, like, new kid on the block, literally, yourself and the entire sport itself. Like, what's the reaction like from other sports? Because X Games, you're obviously around similar athletes from sort of those extreme sports, but I can't imagine there are many modern pentathletes and handball players and swimmers who are often going to these multi-sport events and bumping into skateboards. Like, what? how are they sort of treating you? Are they welcoming? Are they like, you know, we're looking forward to seeing how the sport's going to go? Yeah, I think everyone that I met was pretty welcoming. Uh, like all, all the Australian team and our whole building was really cool. I met a lot of um, athletes that were super nice and like knew who I was and were chatting to me. Everyone was really super friendly. It was, yeah, it was a super cool experience. Was, it, was there anyone that came up to you who knew who you were that surprised you? Did you have like one of the Campbell sisters or somebody like that? Were you like, holy crap, I uh, know yeah. who I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to the Campbell sisters and I'd never met them before. So that was that was really exciting for me um, just because I'd grown up watching swimming. And so I was talking to them and, and that was super cool. Got a picture with them. And then um, I was talking to Bronte and she said, she just like slid into the conversation that she like, watched my documentary wow and it was like (laughs) what i'd like to go back to that (laughs) but give me a moment there i need to process that okay yeah Yeah. so we were both kind of like hyped off each other which was which was so cool just met like so many amazing people which how was that to have that documentary in the lead up to that? Because it's great exposure to yourself, but to the sport and to get people amped up for it. I mean, sort of what was that whole experience like being the, the face of a, of a film like this? I was crazy when, once the film actually finished. I think me and Justine, the director, we'd been filming for ages, like probably like eight, <laughs> over eight years, just like, and different parts of my life and so when it finally there was like definitely stages where I was like is this ever gonna like be finished or is anything gonna be done with it because it went for so long but I think when it finally got finished it was it was super cool it's a it's also like a crazy interesting feeling watching like a big part of your life like on a screen with other people was really weird but it's like it's it's super cool and I think something that when I'm older, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll definitely appreciate it more. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Kind of always got that record going on there. In terms of that yeah. Olympic experience as well, do you get involved in things like pin trading and kind of like uniform exchanging and things like that as well throughout the Olympics? Yeah, I, I actually had no idea about the, the pin trading. And then I remember having like a uh, – some pins in my room and uh David Guesty who's a hockey player who is looking after us kind of told me what they were for and I just like freaked out I was like oh my god I gotta like get all these pins what a cool idea and so I yeah I I had a girl from India give me my first pin and it was this really cute little Indian one and then after that I just like went on a rampage I I got so many. Fantastic. Which I was going to ask, is that at the X Games? But obviously maybe it's not an X Games thing that they do pin trading. No, no. It should be though. It was just at, yeah. just at the Olympics. But yeah. Yeah. There you go. Which, I mean, I love kind of hearing that, how it works. Because obviously it was a very unique Olympics Tokyo kind of just with how it goes. But I still love that they kept that pin trading because people always talk about it's the unofficial sport of the Olympics, right? The, the pin trading, pin collecting. Do you, then, do you have like people 
reach out to you on social media and be like, hi, I'm John, a pin trader from Belarus. I would love to like get your Olympic pins because I can imagine that there are these traders out there who are going to reach out to anybody they can to try and get some of these rare pins. Yeah, I think it was it was pretty chill when when I went. Um, but I think as I as I got more into it, people would like come up and ask if I had a pin, and I had I had to get more pins from <laughs> the Australian building because I like would just run out of all of them. <laughs> My whole lanyard is like double sided, just like pinned up. So that was. Do they do they get do they give you a limit though? Like, is it like Poppy? You've been here five times now. Come on now, no more pins for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they. Uh, I don't know. They were they were pretty cool with it. I think you you get a decent amount amount of pins in your first one, but you kind of just kind of got a couple more from some people. So. <laughs> Which I have to ask, one of my favourite rivalries in world sport is USA v Canada and women's hockey. I think it's it's up there as one of, if not maybe the greatest rivalry, just in terms of how tense and close that rivalry is. But if you're doing something, say, like, I don't know, darts, boxing, something that's a bit physical, do you do you put, like, Team USA logos on these things to really get you pumped up before an Olympics? Because you know you're going to be playing them in a gold medal match, right? So you've got to get yourself in the zone for this, ready to go. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea. We should, I guess. Yeah, um, you will take it. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, we. The thing is with 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 us, I, I find with athletes, it's you don't even you don't even need that. Like any sort of competitive game, it could be cards. Like it doesn't matter what it is, and everyone's just complaining and saying that there's cheating and like, you know, because they want to win. Everyone wants to win always, and and I'm very like I'm a super competitive person. So like anything I do, I I don't want to lose and it, it can be the most simplest thing. Uh, so you don't even have to put that USA logo there. We're just, you always want to, <laughs> you know, you know, you know it's... And very competitive. So. Which do you remember that first game you ever played against the USA and just what that is like compared to playing in against the other countries out there? Yeah. Like it's such a long time ago. I can't even, I don't like remember specific, like this actual specific game. Um, I, but I like remember at the beginning stages of, of playing the U S and just the, the feeling you get and the excitement and um, yeah, like the rush that you get when you play against them. It's just like such a hatred <laughs> for, for a team, you know, that um, you just hate them on the ice. Like, you know, they're all great people off the ice, but um, you know, when you have those jerseys on and you're, you're competing for your country, it's nothing else matters. Um, and uh, so it is really the best feeling in the world, but I, I do remember, I'll never forget my feeling of, of like putting that Jersey on for the first time uh, to represent your country. Like it's, it's a dream. Come, I mean, a dream come true and something that you, you dream about as, as a little kid um, growing up playing hockey, like wanting to, to be that, that role model and that person that can, uh, can, can be on Team Canada and um, play for your country. So it is quite an honour. It's just such a, an amazing rivalry that it, I mean, I, I struggle to think of another sport where generally 
every time you have a major event, you know what the final's going to be. And often people would be like, oh, well, that's predictable. Why do we care? But we, we all love it because it just it always is so intense. And the games are always so close. It's not like generally like, oh, every three years, Team USA is so good, they're blowing you out. And Canada, like they're always like a goal or two in it. It's just always so great to watch. I mean, I would love to just list a world sporting rivalries and think of something that is that close and that intense all the time. Yeah, I mean, again, like that's why it's that's why it's it's so much fun to play them every time, and I can play them like thousand times this year, and it just it every time it's 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 just so exciting because you really don't know what who's gonna win, you don't know what's gonna happen. Um, there's always some sort of you know scrum or fight that happens. There's always um, you know usually overtime or or by one goal uh, differential. So. It really, it's just such competitive, um, intense games that uh, it's just so much fun to play. And then also love, people love to watch it because it's just so close and um, the unknown and not knowing who's going to win on any given day is exciting. I, I worked for Australia's broadcaster during the Beijing Olympics and obviously hockey, not the most publicized sport in Australia, yeah. but when team USA and team Canada played in not only the round robin, but then the gold medal game got a bunch of coverage. They put that on, like that was on their main channel. Like you've got to watch this. This is, uh, you know, the biggest rivalry you will see during these Olympics. So it, it got talked up here. And I think particularly because of what happened in Pyeongchang versus the redemption story of team Canada, all that sort of stuff. So it, it sure. does transcend into other non-hockey countries there, Rebecca, that, uh, you know, they're getting on board to see this rivalry. That's great. I mean, I thought me being on this podcast, like I feel like you might not get many viewers, but <laughs> oh, well, trust me, we, we, we promote the, the hockey ones that are always sort of big. <laughs> there I did count the medals and I counted the medals not because I mean it sounds so stupid doesn't it uh we've got a tiny part to play in it all the athlete does all the work but after and I know you'll get there but after the Bradbury call in 2002 I'll never forget there was a whole sort of whole story of its own about that but the very end of that story for me personally was after an amazing night all of the time that it took to work out if the gold medal was going to stand the medal presentation and then, you know, sort of slumping back in the chair, taking the microphone, the headphones off and walking back to the broadcast compound. I remember going back in that night, Salt Lake City on a Monday or Tuesday night or whatever night it was. And um, when I walked into the seven broadcast compound, everybody stood and clapped. Wow. And it was like I'd won the gold medal. But I'm getting to the point of this. Uh, at the front door, leading the sort of standing ovation was Bruce McAvaney on the left who only two years earlier had had his incredible moment with Kathy. And on the right was Sandy Roberts, a longtime broadcaster and legend of the game with Channel 7. Bruce reached his hand out and said, congratulations, mate, welcome to the club, i.e. the club of Channel 7 Olympic commentators who had called an Australian Olympic gold medalist. And I grew up idolising both Bruce and, of course, Dennis, um, who'd done the swimming before Bruce before Ray Warren for a year uh, for a games and then me and uh, and of course Sandy through all of his football yeah. broadcasts and Sandy uh, unlike Bruce who said welcome to the club 
Sandy reached out his hand and said, you lucky bastard. No. <laughs> because for all of those games that Sandy had been to, since I think dating back to 1980 Moscow, maybe even 1976, I think 1980, um, Sandy had always done sports that the Australians, uh, the beautiful and amazing sports, like, for example, the figure skating or the gymnastics, but no Australian gold medalists. And wow. uh, it really hit home to me how lucky I was to have called an Australian Olympic gold medalist and how unlikely it was that, uh, as it turns out, my first one, because I'd been to 2000 as a bit of a bits and pieces commentator, um, my first one uh, was Australia's first one at the Winter Olympics. And what, what a way to start, what a way to get myself into that club. Those 13 words that I say are very famous there, Basil, but, I mean, in recent times, another 10 words to add to the Basil Zemplis Hall of Fame. Uh, we can all go gobbledygook for Zach Stubbledy-Cook. Uh, <laughs> does that get brought up now a little bit more often on, it, on board with those 13 it, words from it, Salt Lake? Yeah, <laughs> I quite, quite like that one, actually. Um, I like it because it's so off uh, the charts. Uh, look, what a luxury that you can be winning gold medals and there are some that you've got the luxury of having some fun with because we're having such an incredible game. So, so, you know, and this makes it sometimes sound like we're making it about us. We never do. It's always about the athletes. But reflecting back to that Sandy Roberts conversation and all of the Olympics that he'd been to, I reckon it might be 13, 14 or 15. It could be up at that number. And Sandy wasn't fortunate enough because of the sports that he called to call an Australian Winter Olympic, uh, an Australian Olympic gold medalist. At the Tokyo Olympics, we won nine gold medals in the pool. Nine in the pool. Now, that's yeah. the most we'd ever won, obviously, at a single games. But, I mean, how, how fortunate, uh, you know, in the case of Stephen Bradbury, we've waited 100 years to win one at the Winter Olympics. And here we are in the pool at Tokyo, and we win nine in eight days, eight nights of competition. I mean... How, how lucky can I be? And so when you're getting into sort of gold medal number five or six or seven, then you think, well, how, what a luxury this is. We can actually have some fun. And uh, gobbledygook was something that, uh, that's a phrase that I've used with a few mates over the years. It's a bit of an Aussie phrase. I didn't yep. use it during the race. That would have been disrespectful to Zach. But uh, a few moments after touching the wall, and I think he maybe was just getting out of the pool and, uh I, yeah, I had thought, gee, stubbly cook. It kind of sounds like gobbledygook. And, um, uh, maybe I'll. We loved maybe, it. We maybe loved I'll it. Roll we, that one out. Oh, we on that day that happened, Basil. We we just went absolutely nuts for that. That was such a a great call. And through all of that, though, yeah. Jazz, going back to what one of the things you said earlier, I mean, I can imagine it does enlight the fire. For, for more. Like, I mean, at the time of recording yeah. this, we're less than two years from Paris. It's 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 the benefit yeah. of having an Olympics that was delayed a yeah. year is that the next one's a lot closer. So, I mean, yeah. I can imagine that that, is that just lighting the fire in you right now and, and sort of driving you yeah. towards Paris? Yes, 100% now I can definitely say that. Um, post, post the Olympics, um, there was definitely a really, really hard period for me. Um, my partner's dad ended up passing away one week after my race um, in the Olympics. So I had the Olympics, which was extremely disappointing. And then someone 
yeah, I was obviously very close to then passed. So then, and then actually after that, um, I wasn't able to get back to Australia for like a month and a half. Um, I had planned after Tokyo to go to Canada, um, which had two more. There was a World Series race and, and the World Championships. So beforehand, obviously, it was it was a really big journey to like leave Australia at this point. I was like, okay, if I'm going to go to Tokyo, I then want to continue on and sort of do some more races and make the most of it. So when I left or just before I sort of left Tokyo and flew to America to then go into Canada, I knew it was going to be extremely difficult to come back to Australia um, just with how the world was at that moment. And obviously Australia was still basically locked down. And I remember sort of talking to my partner and I was like, sort of, how's Keza going like at this point? Because sort of if I continue, I know it, I know it's going to be hard to come back. And Kai was like, you know, he's, he's not doing great, but he's stable. You know, like we, we think he's all right. So then flew to America and I'd been there for like a couple of days. We were just training there before going to Canada for the races. And it had been a couple of days and Kai's called me and he's like, okay, so it's not looking good. Um, we sort of, we don't know how much longer he has. And then obviously that was a very difficult phone call. Um, but then I got off the phone. I was like, I have to go home. Like no race is incomparable to me needing to be at home right now. Um, I called um, one of our um, TA staff who sort of helped us with the flights. And I was like, I need to get home. He was like, leave it with me. I'll call you back. He's called me back like a day later, which felt like the longest time. Mm. He was like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, the only flight path to get you back is going to cost you 36 grand. And he was wow. like, I'm, I'm not going to let you do this. I mean, I couldn't have afforded it anyway. Um, but I was like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck over here. So then from America, I went to Canada. And then at this time, there was all these COVID rules still put in place. So basically, we had to stay in our hotel room. Uh, we got food delivered, which we had to eat in our hotel room. The only time we could leave was for chauffeur training and then for the race. I'll be totally honest with you. I did not want to train. I did not want to race at this point in time. That was just taking more energy from me that I did not have. I was literally just trying to get through each day. But I was like, if I don't train and if I don't race, I can't leave this hotel room. <laughs> I'm stuck yeah. here and I still had quarantine for when I got back to Australia. So anyway, I, I got through those two weeks. Um, luckily, I was able to watch the funeral over Skype, which was beautiful. It was actually the day before the, the World Championships in Edmonton and I kind of decided in that week I, I wasn't going to race. I just physically couldn't do it. But after I watched the funeral and then, obviously seeing all these amazing memories and all these amazing stories that people told about Keza, I was like, no, nah, I've just got to go out there and have fun. Like that's what he'd want me to do. So then went and raced that world championship. Sorry. I, I was like, don't cry, dad. <laughs> You're not crying during this podcast. So anyway, um, I also couldn't get a flight back to Australia for another two weeks. So I um, travelled to um, Boulder, who I have a friend that lives there, also an Australian triathlete. She was great, just had fun with her for two weeks, literally like a life saviour at that point. Flew back to Australia and then I was stuck in Sydney for two weeks with the quarantine. And like, to be honest, also at this point, 
because Sydney had a lot of cases. I didn't even know if I was allowed to fly from Sydney back to Brisbane into Queensland after just quarantining there. Luckily, I was able to. So I had those two weeks in quarantine with a lot to process, which um, it was kind of a nice time, funnily enough, because I was just in this room with nothing I had to do for two weeks and it was just just my time just for two weeks just to work out my life basically. Yeah. Um, and then travelled home and then, yeah, went through um, a lot of, a lot of processing in like the triathlon sense and also with Kyan and his family and working through that. But I made sort of a lot of decisions in that point to sort of change some things. Um, I decided to change coaches at that point in time and changing squads, which um, meant a lot of changes down the line. Um, but yeah, it took me um, a really long time to get where I am now, which is a good place. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying myself, which I'm so happy to say, because um, this time last year, a little bit later on, um, it felt like an impossible place to get to. Um, but no, I, I learned obviously so much. I, I made changes and I'm so grateful for where I am now. And yes, Paris 2024, let's go. I, I, first of all, I got to say that it's 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 nice to have people crying on this show, not for the sake of applaud. <laughs> stop this crap! Like, turn it off. You know, it's actually you, yeah. you know a, a different level of crying there. Justine, your question's going to be maybe the most off the wall, um, but your victory celebrations might be the most epic in sports history and you can never guess what it's going to be from one event to the next. Is there any preparation that goes in or is it, is it all just like, this is how I react in the moment? I love that question. I never did ask that one. No, it was all, um, all prepared. Of course. <laughs> in front of the mirror, the morning of. <laughs> no, it was just like being like, yeah, me into Dilo's emotion. Like I never really thought of it. It was just like expressing my joy uh, <laughs> on his purest level, I guess. I'm I'm really um like you can tell, uh I express myself a lot um whenever I'm happy or really angry. So whenever I'm happy, clearly <laughs> I can show it to the camera. So no, I think that's really being myself out there and I think yeah, the people who knows me really well are really not surprised, I guess, <laughs> of those reactions of mine. But yeah, I, I think for me, knowing that I always had this stage, um, this opportunity to show the world, I always wanted to promote happy. And I think that's how I envision a victory should be like you know like mm -hmm. it should be authentic to their self it should be a proud moment and a lot of joy and happiness for me like that's how i envision a champion and that's how i always wanted to show up myself and to be able to do that well you just have to be yourself and and be vulnerable in front of the whole world and if you're really fucking happy then show it to the camera <laughs> colin show it to the I camera just, right now you're really fucking happy give it give us uh, your I, recreation i, I just I'm, just, I'm the only person i'm the only person online right here who has thrown a chair in front of a camera so that that's i have that me too
if I've ever asked this question before, but like a favorite piece of anything Olympic related, be it a pin, a uniform, like anything that through those experiences, you're just like, this is my most prized Olympic possession. Um, I got a pin that's just straight up like the colored Olympic rings and it was from Thomas Bach. Like personally given to you by Thomas. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I I need to hear this story. Like how did this come Um, about? So I was in the Beijing Olympic Village and we were walking to go up to the one closer to the ski resort and some person just came and was like, you have to come over here. We're doing like some signing thing with Thomas Bach and we don't have an athlete. We need one now. (laughs) Wow. Pushed into this thing and it was with Thomas and I got to meet him and trade some pins. Like what do you say? Like you just shoved like, here you go. This is the president of the IOC. Uh, off you go, Abby. Over to you. Yeah, it was pretty like I was not sure what was happening at the time. Tell me <laughs> at least you obviously knew who he was, right? Like that wasn't yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, it wasn't like an awkward like who like uh, that sort of thing. Does he sound like Count Dracula in person as much as he does on TV? And when <laughs> they introduce you, is it true that legally they have to say Thomas Bark Olympic champion fencing? <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> Every can't. time his name gets announced, I swear they have to say really? Olympic champion fencing. Yeah. yeah. Pay attention. At the next Olympics, you listen when they announce him. It's like a thing. Yeah. It's 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 incredible. How what was he, you know, was he nice, I'm guessing? Like, you know, kind of everything yeah. on those lines? Super nice. There was obviously a lot of people around him at the time and <laughs> pretty hectic. But yeah, it was really nice. Did you give him a pin in return? Like did you give him an Aussie pin? Or? I tried to, but he was like, No, I don't trade pins. Oh, he just gives them away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like I, I, if it's kind of like a Pokemon Go style app where you've got to collect the pins, that's yeah. like the golden mew too, right? Like yeah, that's like yeah, the absolute cool. perfect one to get. Wow. What an incredible story. There you go. Yeah, it was really weird but very cool. Hey. Some people came home with Olympic gold medals. You came home with a personalized <laughs> yeah. pin from Thomas Bach. The mascots as well, which you know we're going to talk about mascots because there's one for this tournament, which is great. Um, maybe we get into that now, I think. I just brought it up. I don't know how I feel about this mascot. Uh, I mean... Jared, I got you the gift of a mascot magnet, so <laughs> I feel that you might be a little bit connected to that. But uh, yeah, let's talk about ta- Tazuni. Is that is that what it's called? Tazuni? It's a bird, basically. It's a combination of Australian and New Zealand birds. It's a football-loving teenage penguin bringing excitement to the tournament to inspire a new generation of fans. So um, it's based on the... Eudiptula minor species that is uh, native to both New Zealand and Australia. Uh, streetwise and confident, Tazuni stands out from the crowd thanks to her signature blue tuft of hair. Her name is Fusion of Tasman Sea, which is the sea between Australia and New Zealand, Colin, if you didn't know that, uh, which she calls home. And Unity, a key value of the event. Jared, you're our uh, go-to mes- mascot man. Um, has this, um, has Tazuni adorned your fridge since we, uh, first met? It's on my fridge. She's, she's, she's loving my fridge, but yeah, Tazuni. She, she is. She's kind of demoted to like the side of the fridge. 
Um, <laughs> Not just I haven't, made, yeah. oh, okay. I haven't made a decision, a, a commitment to magnets on the front of the, the fridge yet. I'm, I'm still kind of coming to terms with that. But, you know, she's on there with all, like, the emergency electrician phone numbers <laughs> and the plumbers. So um, <laughs> she's in a bit more prominent spot than them. So she's not doing too bad. I don't know. Too many birds at the women as the women's world cup mascots. Yeah. Like, what's the deal? <laughs> there's 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 so many birds. There's like what one, two, three, four, nearly half of the bird. Well, half of them are birds. There you go. Canada had a bird. Shwaim, Shwaim, Shwaim. How do you say that, Colin? Um, like an uh, owl or something. Shumi. That too. Um, looks like a, an owl. Uh, Etty from France is like a chicken. Uh, Ling Ling from China back in 1991. Um, it's a bird of some type. And then I'm looking here, you've had Fifi uh, from 1995, which that was in Scandinavia, if I'm not mistaken. So that looks like a Viking. Uh, Nutmeg from the US looks like a fox. Uh, I guess the 2003 was meant to be in China, but they moved it to the US because of SARS. So then I guess China had it again in 2003. So Hua Mulan, is that meant to just That's be... That's a bird. Is that just meant to be Milan? Um, and then Carla Kick from Germany in 2011 is a cat. Um, yeah, at least Carol Stray. Yeah, it's it's at least it's not a ghost or a stick. Um, Colin, you're. I don't thought- know. The, the ghost is is kind of yeah compared compared to the penguin. You know. True. Uh, but, but I just like- feel like this was like missed opportunity, right? To have dual mascots. Yeah, like, and like to go for a huge size difference, like emu and the and a kiwi, like a kiwi <laughs> riding on the back of an emu. <laughs> Miss chance. If you're going with the bird theme, that was it. Hey, I'm on board with that. Like, because outside of a kiwi, New Zealand has no animals. They've got like birds. Yeah, kiwis and outside sheep. Of that. That's it. Kiwi and sheep. Okay. Just have a sheep riding a kangaroo. Um, <laughs> along those lines. Uh, Colin, your thoughts on Tazuni? Uh, I mean. Tazuni stands out from the crowd because it looks like it's the first ever CGI animated mm. bird. Yeah. Uh, which looks just different when you compare it to the rest of them. But I'm looking at Tazuni in the suit compared to Tazuni the drawing. And it, I don't know, the, the, the suit version just, just looks very stiff, very. It, there's not a lot of bulk to it. It's funny because it looks so stiff, even though is obviously somebody just wearing a leotard with a mask on. Like I want something a little bit more. I want something that looks like it's going to get caught indoors. <laughs> something that looks like it's it's going to have oh, never forget. something r- riding on the, its back and then collapsing and not being able to move. Like <laughs> there's there's not a lot of restrictions to Tazumi yet. Tazumi looks very stiff. I, a little bit more animation, a little bit more more life to it. Well, hang on a minute, Colin. Let's just let's just give a bit more of a background here. To animate Tazuni, get her not so stiff. She's 15 for starters, Colin. You don't talk about 15 year olds getting stiff. That's my job. Um, she plays in the midfield, falls in love with football after joining in with a group of kids playing a game on the beach. Obviously in Australia, she wasn't in New Zealand that weekend. Uh, her footballing dreams come true when one evening she gazes up to see fireworks explode overhead coming from a nearby stadium. The kids from the beach hand over a personalized football kit and she confidently strides into the stadium to showcase her talent. Obviously, I think New Zealand must have been playing then because they didn't have many talented players. Hey, Bird, come play for us. Um, I, I, mean, I just don't understand story. why every, every shot I see of somebody in the Chizuni shirt uh, suit, they either got the arms in the air or the arms down. Like, are those the only movements you have? You've got no suit from the neck down. I, I, I guess, I don't know. Birds don't have neck. Well, they do have neck. I don't know what I'm trying to say with that, but yeah, you're right. They've also got wings, not five <laughs> fingers. <laughs> 
It's an anthropomorphic bird. Anthropomorphic bird. Um, yeah, I don't know. Jared, you work for a council. I don't know how you're involved in promotion, but like, I mean, what is, do you think a mark? Like, the FIFA goes to some marketing agency. It's probably created in like Zurich or something like that. It's probably not even created in Australia. And they've just gone to, they've grabbed like a nearby encyclopedia of like, fuck, Australia, New Zealand. Oh God, Australia's got all the good animals. New Zealand's just got sheep. Uh, oh, he's a bird that lives in both places. Let's go with it. I mean, what's, how do you go to a marketing agency to come up with this wanky stuff? A 15-year-old was playing football on a beach. It's bad. And you know they paid way too much money for yeah. it, like guaranteed. And when you think too, they probably gave them options and this was the best of the bunch. So who knows what else was was out there initially in the in the drafting process. I don't know. It is my lifelong ambition on this show for us to have a mascot. It has to be a chair. And I want it to be co- like we're gonna we're gonna come up with a fucking wanky story. Like this is designed cherry. by Casper. Yeah, well, the, yeah, get Casper. And we'll go to a, you know we'll get it all out. We'll get plushies and everything like that. This is Cherry. Cherry was enjoying an innocent day when out of nowhere she was thrown across a room by an angry <laughs> Canadian. This born her into birthed her into life, and she discovered the passion that she has for the Olympics, supporting everybody's favorite Olympic podcast. That was once in the top six of the New York Times. From here, she spread the word of the Olympics out there through the love of mascots and chair throwing and Penny Alexiak and other things that that show will sometimes talk about to ignite the world's love of podcasting and eventually get overtaken by Keep the Flame Alive. I think that would be a very passionate and loving story right there. You know what's great is that Cherry already is anatomically correct to sit out the boxing event. <laughs> it's got to be called Cherry, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's Cherry. There's little Cherry. Oh, little Cherry. It's happening. I want I want to get it done before Paris next year. So when I'm in Paris and if I get pins made up for off the podium to try and, you know, trade with people, I want to get Cherry pins. And Cherry pins will go like hotcakes. We will, we will, like, sell them for a million dollars each. <laughs> I still, no word of a lie. I think I said on when we did that episode of the Hobart Olympic pin, I will still get random emails asking for a Hobart Olympic pin. And it's like, <laughs> this wasn't a real thing, but we had them. But like, anyway, but um, Tazuni, are you going to buy, when you go to one of the games at the merchandise tent or whatever they have, Jared, are you going to buy yourself a Tazuni? No, no way. <laughs> You've got the magnet. That's enough. It's, they're not getting it's just my money up for on that the bottom of the fridge. <laughs> Would you buy a cherry? Uh, oh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cherry would be sitting on that shelf right there. It's happening. I'm getting this mascot, mate. I don't know how I'm going to do it. If there's a graphic designer listening to this show, like we ask all of our Olympians to draw things and they never do, lazy. Um, so we're going to get, for now on every Olympian on this show, hi, random Olympian, <laughs> draw us a chair. Let's just get our good friend Sophie Ash to draw it for us. Hey, there she you go. Through. Yeah, very good friend. She draws us all the time. Um, <laughs> I, I might buy a Tazuni. I've got like two mascots behind me. I've got Flurgy, Flurgy, Flurg and Flurkington. And I've got Izzy. You can't even see it. The lights are off and people listening to this going, what the hell are you talking you only buy the best. <laughs> hey, you leave Izzy alone. Right? Still got a tag on it. It's great quality, that Izzy. I'll sell that in like 20 years for $5,000 and I'll be laughing at you because I'll be rich. Although $5,000 in 20 years is probably worth a dollar now, so... Anyway. New Zealand has a hill with the world's longest name. Do you want me to give this a crack? Because you know I'll give this a crack. Oh, yeah. So there is a hill in New Zealand 
called Tomatawakatangiagakoa to a mata turakiki pikiaka piki mayonga horongko yupe kai nakitana who that is anthropomorphic. <laughs> Do you want me to repeat that? Um, no, that's all right. <laughs> uh, in uh, that's a Maori word, if you didn't know. Uh, in English, it means the summit where Tamate, the man with the big knees, the slider, and the climber of mountains. This is a longer explanation than the word. I'm not reading all of that. <laughs> Why couldn't that be the name of the bird? <laughs> and your mascot for the World Cup is Tamahuda. <laughs> Yay! Featuring Mole Rat. Do you want to give us a well, crack? We are now. Give us a crack of that word, Colin, while you're here. I I, I will. Uh, I think that the proper way to pronounce that would be uh, when this opens properly. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, cheating! Wow, <laughs> lazy. Uh, <laughs> and that's exactly the way I wanted to pronounce it, so I win. You actually got a real Maori. You rang up a Maori while we were on <laughs> talking to Grace. You're like, g'day, mate. Um, can you say this word for me? Oh, sure, bro. And then, boom. There you go. That was Nick. That was actually Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we just got a Kiwi on the phone. You know, I actually do. I have the ability. I could call him right now. It's only midnight for him. I'm sure he'd love that. Uh, Jared, I don't even need to ask you to say it anymore now, do I? Jared, Colin just cheated and ruined that segment. No, not, not, a, not after that. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to show up an actual Maori. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, Colin. That's just unfair. All right. I'm going to find that Welsh town, like the longest one in the world. And I'm going to get you to say that without a Welsh person to say that. <laughs> So I talked to Haven a little bit about the fact that in the lead up to her interview, I discovered that handball video games exist. And I mean, you know, little things like that can all of a sudden get kids interest and everything. I mean, I got to ask you, do you play, you know, the handball, whatever it's called, FIFA handball? I'd probably not FIFA handball, yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. have you, have you had a go at it before? <laughs> yeah, I had a crack at it. It's not much chop that one. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just something it doesn't flow very smoothly as a video game. Handball, right. I don't think. Okay, it's kind of like whenever you, you get like an AFL video game, you think this will be awesome and it's never quite up to the standard you're expecting. No, 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 it's just all choppy. You can't, you know, like the handball is very free-flowing. Yeah, yeah. As a video game, it's, uh, I'm going to lock it in and I'm going to pass here and pass. <laughs> Were you ever in one? Like sort of in any of the leagues you played in? Did you end up sort of in any teams in, in any of the video games? In the video games, no. We, the Australian team was actually in the in ah, the original launch. Right. The, what's it called? I think Handball Challenge. I think it's called. okay. Um, so I think they're up to their fourth version now. But it, I think uh, in the first version, you can play as Australia. Okay, uh, track it down. I think it's, uh, it's the team from from 2011 World Championships. Okay. Oh, so you just missed out then. So <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't in it, but that's okay. Damn. Uh, all the guys have low rankings. Exactly. Nine or I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> can you bump it up? Aren't there cheat codes where you can sort of go in there and just boost it all up? Yeah. Right. You, you do. I do that in NBA. Like in NBA 2K, you just make yourself like everyone 99 or yeah, your team's yeah. like a zero. I'm winning every game by like 500 points. I'm really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, you know what? Like, actually, it's it's funny because the ad for the game, it says, like, right at the end, like, oh, and if you really want a challenge, go and win the world championships as Australia. Anyway, they were definitely, definitely <laughs> taking the piss out of us. That's a bit of a dick move, handball makers. <laughs> like, who's the shittest country in the world to play handball? Australia. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Win the world cha- Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm kind of glad I missed out on that one, really. Well, how about we go ahead and we get Norway, Denmark, France. Or oh, if you want to win the World Championships of Cricket, then play as Norway or Denmark yeah, exactly, or yeah. France. You yeah, know, come sure. on. Get it right back mm. at them that way. Wow. Jesus, I didn't realise that, that could happen in, in the world of handball. <laughs> Well, I wanted to add, I thought like, well, let's go back 100 years to see who won the sport climbing at the Paris Olympics in 1924. Obviously, unfortunately, we didn't have it. But of course, we famously had art competitions in the 1924 <laughs> Paris Olympics. So we had literature. Uh, so I'm going to, let's butcher the French name here, but Joe Charles won the gold medal for Jeux Olympique. Very uh, standard there that a French person writing something about the Olympics would win gold. Margaret Stewart so this must have been mixed events in literature. So very progressive, the Paris 1924 Olympics. Margaret Stewart and Joseph Peterson won uh, equal silver for Denmark and Britain. And then bronze, Charles Gonnet for Verli du Olympique for France, tied with Oliver Gogarty for Ode to the Talaton Games in, um, in literature. Painting, we had Luxembourg win a gold medal in that one. Sculpture, Greece... Now, but I just want to point out, though, in architecture and music, okay? So, uh, for music, it says here gold, none awarded. Silver, none awarded. Bronze, none awarded. So, basically, the French are like, ha-ha, no, you're shit. We're not giving any medals. But it gets better. For architecture, bronze. Julien Medicine for Monaco, he won a bronze for Stadium for Monte Carlo. Convenient. Uh, the silver was shared between two Hungarians, Alfred Harjos and Deso Lauba, who won silver for plan for a stadium. Good. They wrote down on a piece of paper, I'm going to plan for a stadium. Have an Olympic silver medal. The gold medalist for architecture, none awarded. Uh, <laughs> so basically... Yeah, I- I think the gold medalist got caught. Uh, that was a drug cheat. So uh, <laughs> bag got taken away. And it had an HB pencil in his meant to have a 2B pencil. Basically, oh, no, you've got extra lead in that pencil. How, how does that work? Like, how do you go, none of these are good enough to win a gold medal, but we'll give a silver and a bronze. And in music, yeah, we'll give a fourth place and a fifth place, but we won't give a gold medal. I, I, I think bring them back. That's what I say. I just don't see how you can have a dead heat in those events. Yeah. <laughs> Surely you're able to separate <laughs> and not just award out multiple medals. Surely. Oh, literature. Oh, these are so good. I just, I can't, like, I can't. Do- Same amount of spelling mistakes. We, we can't separate them. Yeah, That's it. <laughs> I know. I just, I can't do it. I really can't just understand it. Um, so uh, bring back. What's going to happen if Esther Ledecka comes in and decides to compete oh, in sailing? She would win. All these predictions are going to be out the window. Who cares? She, she's showing up. To, she's a B-girl. She's dancing. She's doing <laughs> sculpture. She, she's so good. 
she will win a gold medal for music music at the 1924 none awarded Esther yeah, Ledecker. She, she's finally going to clean up with that gold medal they've been waiting to award for 100 years. She got architecture gold, Esther Ledecker. <laughs> That's what she did. She's the cauldron for the Olympics. She just stands there and they light her on fire, but because she's so good, she doesn't burn. She radiates beauty. She's like, I'm Esther Ledecker. I am the, the cauldron for the Olympics. You're welcome. ISE, Thomas. And actually, we should mention, in all seriousness, hello, Thomas, gold medalist, uh, Olympic champion fencing, will be his last Olympics. This is his last Olympics in his final term, which will be good because, again, I think he's still wrapping up his Rio speech. So um, (laughs) he might be good. Are we sad to see the end of of Thomas, Colin? Uh, I'm, I'm sort of sad because I'm thinking, is the next uh, president going to provide Australian. us with this much great material? It's John Coates. Uh, is it? It's got to be. I it? mean, John's been hovering around, sucking nose for a few hundred years, and he's ready to go, isn't he? Come on. <laughs> we, we, we just we need somebody who can give us some some comedy material. Like, that's all I really want. I could care less who they are or how they do their job. Just make us laugh, you know? So, give us something to make us laugh with. So what you're saying is I'm in with a shot. I'm actually in with a shot. I said laugh, Ben, <laughs> laugh. I'm in with a shot because I'm just going to point this out. Why, why is that funny? <laughs> oh. oh, good one, Ben. Oh, comedy gold from Ben Waterworth. Oh. See, you agree with me. There you go. Jerry, so people are watching video now. They can see you for the incredible video, yeah. <laughs> I'll get a puppet. I'll just get a little Colin puppet made. Um, <laughs> Jared, are you excited or sad? Excited? Are you excited to see the back of Thomas Bach? I like. I think it's overdue, but there's part of me that. But this is stupid because he hasn't left yet. It's already nostalgic. Yeah. Oh. Like, oh, poor Thomas. It's like. But I mean, he'll be get to do things that he enjoys doing. You know, counting in his spare time. <laughs> so that'll be good. That's a good hobby for his retirement. I've I've got to say though that like it, you're right. It's a bit nostalgic because Thomas Bach's been the IC president for pretty much as long as we've existed. He, yeah. Rio was his first Olympics. You know. So, like, it's kind of like, oh, it's in the end of an era. We never got to talk about Jacques, rest in peace. Juan Antonio, rest in peace. Like, they drop like flies when they get out of the presidency. I mean, <laughs> keep an eye on Thomas Bach, Olympic champion fencing for the next few years because he might not be with us for very long. It's like the Pope. Like, do they have to just, like, when they go, do they just, like, get light some white smoke? And, like, hey, we've got a new Pope, everyone. You want to see president. I'm seeing here that, in all seriousness, uh, a forefront there's a couple of women that are, are sort of the forefront, so they're thinking that we might have our first female IOC president, which I guess we're a Jew. A couple of hundred years of the I, well, not a couple of hundred, 130, 40 years Do of the IOC. Do they have names? No, they don't. It's just women. <laughs> all women become the president. Um, Kirsty Coventry, she's a Zimbabwean champion swimmer, is she not? Or is she a cyclist? She was a uh, swimmer. Swimmer. She was a swimmer. I knew this. Architect. <laughs> Musician, <laughs> breaker. <laughs> I'll, I'll stick to my guns there, Jared. I, 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 I there. That'd be cool. Um, so there you go. She was uh, the chair of the coordination commission for the 2032 Olympics in Brisbane. So uh, poor old John Coates sitting around. It's got to be Esther, though. Ah, oh, she's she's automatically just president. She just <laughs> she just became president when she won gold. That's what you do. It's like it's a it's a cheat lot cheat code. Whenever you win two gold in two different sport, you automatically become. I see. I'm a bit sad now that I talk about this about loud. Thomas, 
Like, let's let's all get next year for Paris Thomas Bach t-shirts. You won't be sad when you hear his speech. No. <laughs> and you'll be like, yep, okay, moving Again, along. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for it. It's going to be amazing. And we didn't even mention, like, the, the uh, eventing of the dressage or whatever of equestrian. Versailles Palace grounds. Like, why not? Yeah. They're going to sign a treaty while they're there. You know, maybe, maybe get the modern pentathlon federation with the horses, right? Because of this whole, like, no, we're cancelling horses out from modern pentathlon. Treaty of Versailles. Treat, like, hey, it speaks for itself. Just saying. Okay. Sounds um, like you're pitching to become the next president of the IOC, Ben. I am very, this is treason. I am very qualified to be the next president of the IOC, <laughs> Colin. I I am a multiple gold medalist on many PlayStation games. I have interviewed more Olympians than I'm sure Thomas Bach has won Olympic medals. Um, <laughs> I just not gold medalists. I had a I had a letter read out on an Olympic comedy show talking about Juan Antonio Samaritz, His Excellency. Um, I mourned the loss of Jacques Rog. Um, the Hobart, and Olymp- Ferg. the Hobart Olympic bid was mentioned by the IOC vice president when he was just the lonely AOC president. I've got many qualif. What's your qualifications, Colin? I threw a chair once. I'm not you. <laughs> Thank God for that. We only need one of me. <laughs> and more Fergs, fridges, <laughs> uteruses, <laughs> uteri, <laughs> uteri. <laughs> Would you vote for me, Jared, if I ran for the ISC president? Depends if you're up against Ferg or not. Oh, true. <laughs> I mean, that's that's. I, I would I I would vote for Fergie. <laughs> do you think Do you think we could get uh, Will I Am and um, Apple? What was the other Black Eyed Peas? Uh, <laughs> what was it? Applebee's? No, that's um. <laughs> Google it for me, Colin. <laughs> Applebee's and um and Wendy's and McDonald's <laughs> and KFC uh, the black eye Apple D yep. Apple uh, D. I knew there was yeah. an apple in there somewhere. <laughs> That's it. Cool. All right. There's only two of them. Uh there's a black eyed P. Uh, <laughs> Taboo and J Ray Soul. Oh, J Ray Soul. Who could forget? What was that boy band you were talking about before? Boys to Hoot. O Town. O Town. <laughs> Wasn't that a little Nass song? I'm going to take you down to O Town Road or something like that. No, I thought that was the uh, the 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 movie we watched on the Oz Network. Oh, what a great show the Oz Network is, by the way. Download yeah. it. What a seriously, Jared, you can't stop listening to it, can you? <laughs> See it. It's just Ferg will make it every time we do an episode now. <laughs> freeze. I love how I read on a website the pronunciation. It's like freeze with a J. <laughs> freeze. Freeze. <laughs> It's breaking. I mean, that was amazing, right? I want to actually have a go, but right, I, right? I, I know I'm, it's going to look terrible. I'm going to think I'm going to do it well. I'll join you. We can just look terrible together. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to be able to say I beat enemies in something. It might be a breaking, so I'll challenge you. We'll do, we'll do one off right now. Okay, right. Let's, let's do it. Uh, maybe not in a white shirt. Yeah, may, maybe not. I don't yeah. know how we... This floor doesn't look sanitary. We'll have to get Raygun to come in and give us yeah, some pointers. No, absolutely. How good is she, hey? PhD She's amazing. In urban culture and, um, and now being able to showcase her sport to the world on a totally different level is... Um, I'm, I'm, look, I'm hopeful for her. I know 
know there's a lot to go uh, forward around qualifications and selection, but um, be eagerly following the path of, of her. Could, could, are you going to ask her to give you a B-girl name? Ooh, no, I like my hashtag. <laughs> Chef Demirs. Yeah, Chef Demirs. I like that, I like that. Now, uh, Jess, we're going to close this out. This segment is called Parlez-vous Francais. Now, I think if I was actually asking you French, you would probably win because you've got that background. It's not about that. It's five questions related to France, the Olympics, and Australia. Okay. Are you ready for this? Well, I hope so. All right. Now, if you were listening earlier, you would have get the answer to this one. Before 2024, how many times has Paris hosted the Olympics? Twice. Correct. <laughs> now, I'm going to give you a bonus point for each additional answer. Can you tell me the two years that they hosted it? Uh, 1900 or 1904? Go with your first. Go with your first. Two hundred, yeah. and then um, uh, nineteen twenty-four. Look at this. She's <laughs> on the ball. She's winning already. Since nineteen twenty-four, France has hosted two Winter Olympics. Can you tell me the last time they hosted a Winter Olympics? And for a bonus point, where was it? Was it um, Albertville? Correct. Can you tell me what year? This feels like a trick question because it changed. It was like 92 or 94. Like it changed. Go with your first answer. 92. Correct. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. It was like, it was the only, it, that was when they had the summer yep. and the winter at the same time and then they changed it. Yeah. Correct. The last time they had it in the same year as the Summer Olympics. There Look at go. this. Well done. True or false? Australia has won more Olympic medals than France. I'm going to say true. It's false. Oh, we mean, can catch up next year, Jess. Yeah, we'll catch up hopefully. We'll yeah. In terms of overall medals won, what is France's most successful summer Olympic sport? <sighs> is it a team sport or individual? It is. Well, there is a team discipline, but it's mainly individual. Swimming? Athletics? Fencing. Oh, of course. Mm. Oh, of course, fencing. I was thinking maybe like handball or something at first because they, they are very dominant in that. Fencing, of course. Have you ever checked out handball when you've been in the Olympics before? No, I've never seen it. Well, no. I, think, I think Paris next year is a perfect one to go to, right? They yeah, love their handball. Hopefully we could get to some other events. It's, it's, it's sometimes hard for athletes to go watch other events, but, yeah, we'll see. There we go. All right, last one. It's a visual one. I'm going to hand you something. Oh, this is the Paris yeah. mascot. Can you tell me what it is and what its name is? Uh, uh, les friges, fridge, fridges, maybe if you're saying it So it's just actual French, this is amazing. <laughs> les friges, and it's uh, actually the hat of um, uh, a very French woman. I just want to give it the answer to her right now, she's giving the most detailed answer. What, what's her name? I'm just going to say yes, yeah, because I just I go with the French Revolution cap. Yeah, French Revolution cap. Wow. Do you want I to put it on your head and give us a bit of a look at that? Jess Fox, the star of this show. This, you can hold it, is the Paris 2024 mascot. What is it and what's its name? Um, I was going to say something horrible, actually. Do it, right now. Do it, out. We want to hear what you say. No, it looks like a bit of a poopy, but um, you know, like the emojis? Like the, it does, actually. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, it's very cute, actually, um, even though it does kind of look like a poopy. Um, what's its I like name? how you call it poopy, by the way. That's very... Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Um, what's its name? I don't know. Is, does it... Well, give it, if you don't know its name, what would you call it? What would you call the Paris? Uh, if you saw that for the... Well, you have seen it for the first time. What would you call it? Uh, bro, I don't know. It's just looking at me and smiling. Do you want Jess again? Or? <laughs> yeah, no, I've got no words. I don't know. All right, so it is a... It's called Frige. And it is a Frisian cap based on the French Revolution. You can put it on your head if you want. Ah, 
yeah, yeah, right. Can you? Yeah, um, well, you can sort of sit it on there at least if you want to. It won't probably um, stay. But no, I'm good. Yeah, you're actually, good, right? Yeah, I'm good, thank yeah. you. You can yeah. actually buy, they do sell the, like, the actual hats with the dangly oh, bits cool. on them. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll put one of those in my head. Yeah, yeah maybe not. Maybe I, not I, I like the poopy though. Yeah. I think we call it that. This is the Paris 2024 mascot. Can you tell me what it is and what's its name? And if you don't know its name, give us what a name you would like to call it. Um, I really don't know what it is, and I just keep thinking of wildly inappropriate things. Hey, hey, Casarusso called it a poopy. Well, I was kind of like, it kind of looks... I've been told it looks like a uterus if you turn yeah. it upside down. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a uterus. There you go. There you go. The French uterus. Um, it's not a uterus, sadly. Sex ed. Yeah. Sex, ed. sex ed with Lucy Stefan. Woo! Um, and I'm going to call him... Little dude. Little dude. Well, it's sadly not called little dude. It's called Frige, and it's a Frisian cap. So if you want to put it on your head, it's a, like a, a oh, French, oh yeah, French revolutionary cap. Yeah. Okay. But I feel like they've really thrown us with the little feet. I know. I thought it was a glove the first time I saw it, but now I can't stop seeing it as a uterus or yeah, a poo. It's a uterus. Yeah. It's a uterus. Exactly. Lucy, right. we'll end on a uterus. Why wouldn't you? We'll see how that goes with their path because right now, given this uh, right now result is looking, one big team that could be in our way might not be in that way anymore because we are five minutes away right now from Germany possibly going home. This feels all too familiar having followed the last two men's World Cups. So um, I just, I'm not, you know, not liking this. Mm -hmm. Potentially to like another huge World Cup for Africa. Yes. Like we're looking at them potentially having three out of four teams go through to the knockout stages, which is which is insane. Well, you know, good for Africa, but Germans are sad. Jared, all right, you've got your Dutch through. You're happy. Um, you know, I'm joining Colin at being sad in about five <laughs> minutes time. Um, I want to say like breaking news in the other game, but Morocco is still in. Like I wanted Morocco to win. I came in today going Morocco win, Germany win. That way, Germany topped the group. We play Jamaica, not France. It's a better path for us. But at this rate, Morocco are doing what I want, but Germany aren't doing what I want because Korea is screwing us over like 2018 in the Men's World Cup. All right? I like you, Korea. You're a nice nation. You, you house Noah for like five years. You're a good egg. But stop beating <laughs> Germany and ruining Germany in World Cups. Had enough. All right? I get it. We knocked you out of the 2002 World Cup in the semifinals in your home World Cup. Get over it. It was 21 years ago. All right? Just like Germany. Germany have been good in history. They've never done anything wrong in history. <laughs> in a very well-behaved nation. There's no reason to dislike Germany at all. Okay? <laughs> Let <Ever>. them win. <laughs> Alexander they, Pop. They deserve a break. <laughs> give Germany a break. All right? Well, the world domination thing didn't work out. At least give them the Women's World Cup. The guy who did all that wasn't even German. So... <laughs> In all fairness to the Germans, it was an Austrian who did it. Get over it. Uh, <laughs> Which <sorry>. time? <laughs> <laughs> move on, move on, move on. Columbia. I swear, I've seen about five or six players get taken off the field. In the last because Korea are milking the shit out of this. Because they know <laughs> that if they milk this longer, it will slow the game down and they're going to they're gonna draw this. 
That, this is the thing about Korea. They're not even going to go through. They can't go through now. They've got to score like 20 goals right now and beat Germany by that much. They're just doing this to be dicks like the men's side were in 2018. Like, <laughs> what does Korea have against Germany? Like, what does anyone have against Germany? <laughs> Can we get Noah on the line to ask him? I don't know. I just, oh, God, I, I'm wearing, I'm going to rip this jersey off in a minute. I've got another one. <laughs> Burn it. Uh, just sad. All right? Why is it only Australia that has gone to plan so far? And even then they lost to Nigeria. It's stressful. I want to go back to this world where I didn't follow women's football. Um, Group B, Australia and Nigeria obviously go through. Hang on, I'm stressed. Have a shot, have a shot. Oh, you missed it. You've got one job. It's to get the ball in the net. All right? I have a job. This is commentary. To, to produce podcasting. Okay, I don't do a very good job at it. But I'm not a professional paid millions of dollars to travel the world doing this. You've got one job. Kick that ball in the net and you missed. Right? Like, come on. That is just... And they've had like twice as many shots as Korea too. Oh, this is just such a German thing. They dominate the game and let one lazy goal go in the back. And then all of a sudden, poof, out, done. Thank you very much for coming. We're German. Um, <laughs> how's, how's it being a Dutch supporter? Jared, is it fun? Yeah. <laughs> Living I know, the high life. I know at least Germany have won World Cups in the past. It's kind of like being a Colton supporter. It's all in the past. It's like a Toronto Maple Leaf supporter. You live in the past. <laughs> you can't do anything good in the future. All right? At least if you're a Dutch supporter, you've never tasted success. So you don't know what it's like. All right? It's been taken away from me. Okay? Ben's Colton- getting aggressive here. <laughs> It's very German of me. All right? Germany is losing and he wants to tear down everybody else's team. And Colombia <laughs> can't even do anything. Like, Colombia just equalize. You've got all the fans. Shoot it in the net, not above it. <laughs> it's the big thing with sticks and nylon in the back. All right? German probably invented it. They invent things. God damn it. I don't even not know where air. I'm at. <laughs> I'm sad. This isn't good. We should have recorded this at like after the game so I could have at least freaking <laughs> breathed a little bit more. And the game should have been over by the time we started. <laughs> what should have been? Are they going to blow the whistle right now, are they? I'm like watching it in reverse because it's behind me and I don't know what to do. <laughs> These two are looking at me going, get on with the episode. We don't care, but I'm stressed. All right. This is just... Oh, don't like you a, start milking like, the clock. You're German. You need the time. <laughs> Come on. I'm about 45, 45 seconds, I think, ahead of you. So I'm, I'm well, going to yeah. try to contain myself if anything happens. Oh, just like, don't do what I did and freaking... Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You really must... I can't believe it. They yeah. won the whole... Nothing happened. You want me to defer the point system, my reaction. <laughs> um, yeah. This isn't no fall. Fall down. We'll give a free kick. Don't fall down for the sake of falling down. Do it to make it look real to get a free kick. All right, that's what you do. Come on. Uh, I'm seeing that I'm just. I'm looking at a screen with Morocco and Colombia on it. Colombia aren't doing me any favors. It's just not good. And they're going for a run. Korea are probably going to score a goal here now just to rub salt in the wound. No, the German falls down. <laughs> This is why I don't commentate. But where's football. our color commentary here? Ben's feeling lonely out there. <sighs> mogul, mogul, mogul. Uh, 
Bring back the moguls. Put moguls <laughs> in the middle of that pitch. Do, are Koreans good at mogling, Colin? Um, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> clearly you I don't, don't know of any good know. Korean moguler. So I'm sure the Germans would beat the Koreans in mogul skiing. <laughs> would they? I don't know. There's been Germans who are all right. Germans are good at winter sports. Germans are good at all sports except for football. <laughs> God's sakes. Alexander Pop, here you popped yourself through nothing. God damn this bullshit. Um, what other? Ha- what else happened? Uh, Japan and Spain went through. Um, that was unex- not unexpected. Good for Japan. England and De- yeah, J- Japan probably been the most consistent type side of the competition. To be fair, go yeah. run, woman, run, run your little legs <laughs> off, run, choo choo, train it. Don't hit the red players. Hit the net. No, no, the other way. The other yeah, way. The other way. Go. No, don't let her kick the ball. <laughs> that is some bullshit right there. That is absolute bullshit. Well, Morocco won, so if we don't get a goal, we're out, basically. Put, put the goalie up. Park this the bus. We. Put the coach on. Put, like, put all the Berlin on. Just <laughs> rush the field. Put Ben on. Rush the, put me on. I've got a German You've jersey. You've already got the jersey. <laughs> I'm feminine. <laughs> got He's boobs. got the physique. He's got the jersey. Come on. I saw Barbie. I hate men. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't you give a free kick away for that. Just shoot the goddamn ball. Give it a penalty. The German fell down. Oh, what have they done? Oh, the Germans hurt herself. Have they given a penalty or a free kick? Have they done something good here for us? Have the bribes come in yet? FIFA like money? No. (sighs) What am I doing? So, Jared, Um, how have things been? (laughs) (laughs) Lucky I don't have anywhere to be right now. <laughs> Counting down the days, I cannot believe it. I want a photo of um, the mascot with um, uh, what's her face from Tazuni. the World Cup? Oh, Tazuni. She's behind me. There she is. I bought a Tazuni. Can you see her? Jimmy bought Tazuni on opening night. That's how cool Jimmy is. I had to wait like two weeks to buy my Tazuni. Tazuni came and saw Oppenheimer with me. So. Um, and one thing I will say, you go to multiple World Cup matches, you get the thing that every single night they do the same schedule. So at every single point at like the whatever mark of the halftime thing, Tazuni comes out. So Jimmy got a photo with Tazuni as well. This is just how cool Jimmy is. I've just, now I'm starting to like Tazuni more since Jimmy got pictured with <laughs> Jimmy is pretty, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy is cool, but Tazuni, I'm on board the Tazuni train. No, no, no freeze. Which again, check out our uh, great interviews with our Paris Olympians, by the way, a week or so ago. I mean, I got that freeze behind me touched by Jess Fox. That freeze sat on Jess Fox's head. Just saying right now, you can never top another mascot ever. Unless I get Izzy on top of Dale Begg Smith, that freeze wins. I I think if we got our mascot underneath Penny Penny Alexiak, maybe. Oh, Colin. (laughs) <laughs> that's almost Jimmy levels of cool. Yeah. That's, like, that's, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put that together. Uh, <laughs> once the mascot reveal happens, I'm going to put that together. <laughs> Can you contact Penny Alexiak? I yeah. Mean, I, I got her on the show, so maybe I should. What if I got the Deferla Point sisters and Penny Alexiak? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> each with our mascot. <laughs> setting it in. i tell you what. Once we reveal it and we get merch out there, we will send it to them. On like for yeah. free, on the one condition that we get a photo with them, <laughs> like with whatever merchandise. Oh, Colin, can I just say? There we go. 
What was the scene like with triathlon sort of in those that late 80s, early 90s? Because obviously it wasn't included in the Olympics until 2000, I believe, announced just, what, a year after Sydney got the Games in, in 94. But, I mean, what was that, that scene? And what was it just the World Championships back then was kind of the pinnacle while they try and built towards an, an Olympic appearance? Yeah, there was a Canadian, uh, Les McDonald, that pushed through through sheer will willpower, including legendary stories of like climbing in back windows of Scottish castles to meet IOC members. Kind of wow. like at the IOC decision party, there's the story of Les McDonald climbing in the climbing in a back window and then and wandering around the this gathering, telling people about the sport of triathlon. Um, so when I first got into it, it was, you're right, it was all centered around the Hawaiian Ironman. Um, it was, uh, the idea was maybe at one point in the future it could be in the Olympics. Um, but I just loved it. I was fully and utterly consumed by it from basically from day one. And, uh, you know, get obsessed, stay obsessed is the key to anything and that you want to be kind of immersed in mastery of. And so... I was completely and utterly obsessed with it. I knew all, I, I think I can hold my own with anybody on the trivia, the history of our sport. And uh, so back then I was studying every aspect of it, uh, fully just loving. And then in 94, I'm in Sydney going to boarding school and uh, we go down to Circular Key and Juan Antonio Samaranch announces on the big screen the Olympics will be in Sydney. The winner is City, everyone, as he famously Aussies. said. The winner yeah. is City. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Um, you can imagine the ruckus. I was yeah. live for that in Circular Key. And Fantastic. I walked over to the, uh, to the Opera House while everyone else was celebrating and the Opera House was empty. I walked over and I felt like a kid with the secret, like the, I had the first copy of the map. You know, like I was like, oh, wow. sweet. Like this, so it begins. And so you whatever you want to, however you feel like the universe works that that right there was a moment of like wow wait a minute like the, the kid who got the first who got the map first you know that was me so Th that's incredible just to think that because you were literally there when they announced it and you are at the spot where you will win <laughs> the gold medal in seven years time i don't yeah. think we've ever had an athlete tell that story that they were literally yeah. at the point where they're going to be winning their olympic medal when the games are on that's insane yeah, it's. A, it, I felt like if the visualization, if the, at the end of the day, this is about who thinks about it one more time than everybody else. I kind of think that that's how this all works. Is that you? You know, you've been through every scenario, every un, un, every possible scenario that can unfold one more time than anybody else, and that's the training process. And you've intuitive, you've brought internalized every like every every different outcome every iteration that could unfold um you know i started before everybody else did i literally i literally walked everyone's cheering and i just i like by myself i'm 17 years old or whatever i am at the time and i walk um i'm, eight, I'm 18 years old and i just walked across like 50 meters and i'm standing there and nobody's there because it's you know the poetry of all this it's like there's not they're all over there yeah celebrating and so i'm standing there with like some security guard who's picking his teeth and me like standing going like, so I guess it would start right about like there and the transition is going to be here and hmm, like wow. advantage me. <laughs> wow. So yeah, there you go. 
I, I feel like it honestly go either way. Um, I, I'm kind of pulling for Spain. This isn't to get on Ben's good side, uh, because and I'm usually not my good side. I'm usually do, I'm usually looking to do the opposite. So that's how you know. <laughs> it's my uh, four thousandth. Really, no. You you think of me now? Oh. <laughs> uh, I I mean I think that uh, again I'll I'll brought up many times on here, many times on the shows. My mentality is always I want my team to be beaten by the best. So I don't know if either of you oh, are England. secretly hoping that if England wins, it means you're beaten by the best but and not the second England. best. Would you say that if you got beaten by America? No. Like I mean, James Bond is the best. <sighs> but the I love best... Ethan Hunt, but he's no James Bond. But the, be- but the best James Bond was Irish. So, and the second best is Scottish, and the third best is Welsh. Well, no, the second best is Welsh. The third, but none of the best bonds are English, though. That's mm-hmm. the thing. So- and if Spain wins, we beat them two months ago. So technically, <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Banderas is Spanish. Um, See, that was, that was funny. That was my first thought. I'm like, no, oh, do I want to go for Bond or or Antonio Banderas? Which, is it which, Zorro? Which means technically, Puss in Boots is Spanish, and Puss in Boots is French with <laughs> Shrek. So that means Shrek wins the World Cup. See, you're welcome. There we go. Points of elimination there <laughs> to get Trek to win the World Cup. That's how Spain win the World Cup. The other moment we need to talk about last night, Jared, and uh, Colin's unaware of the situation. This is the first time we get to talk about this. Now, we were at the game quite early, all right? So we're getting excited. The game's going, all right? The crowd's getting pumped up. Now, who walks out at one side of the stadium? Who Natalie wa- Portman. Tazuni! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Here she is. She's walking out. Do, 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 do. I'm Tazuni. I'm walking around the stadium. She's doing a lap, right? So she's at the literally the other end, and she gets about halfway point. So I said to Jared, like, look, we're not that far from the, the you know, we're like, oh, like 50 rows back. But, like, there was not many people we could easily get down to the fence. So we rushed down to the fence because we're like, cool, she's going to come around and we can meet her. We can get a selfie. This will be the off the podium moment. We've gotten a selfie with a mascot. She gets about halfway point. And this is when the Matildas in England come out to start training. So she's, what is she doing, Jack? She's like standing there, like hanging out with dignitaries, waving, cheering, whatever. We're standing there for a good five minutes. We've got faith in Tazuni. We love her, right? We, we love her. What does she do, Jared? What does she do? Turns back around. Yep. Couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Goes back Could the other way. Could not be bothered. Yep. To do a full lap. The disrespect. I was so incredibly proud that I picked She's... scarf over mascot at that point. I was like, I'm not spending a cent on Tazuni. She's Abby Maria levels of dead to me. I don't want to <laughs> know about her. Just the disrespect. And then same, same thing. Same thing at same thing at halftime. I'll come out and I'll I'll just see like what was the deal like is, is she got she getting paid by that end of the stadium like she's not a, a, a allowed to come around to us plebs like what is this and you want to know that the, the the previous two games at Stadium Australia we were at the other end so had we been there we could have gone down there all right now I've been to LifeSide at Tumbalong Park about five times not once she's been there Jimmy's been there once got a selfie with 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 her now I I spent twenty two dollars on this. And I, I, I've got like two more opportunities to get a selfie with her. And I'm telling you now, fuck you, Tazuni. Uh, I'm pissed off. I want to meet you. All right, You've got I, one job as a mascot, right? Just do a lap at the stadium. It's not that hard. It's not Treat that hard. Fans, make them happy. You're getting, I don't know if they're getting paid. It's probably volunteering there. But um, <laughs> <Is that Lee laughs> do your job, honestly. 
<laughs> I walked into the Cronulla Sharks game the other night. There's two Sharks right there at the gate, standing there, greeting me. Selfie, boom, done. Thank you very much. Tazuni, do your job. All right? That simple. If, I don't, if, if I'm at the Olympics next year and I don't meet Frege, failure. Like, it's like, I, I'm going to, I want to steal a fridge suit. I'll bring it back and I'll wear it on an episode. But um, you're just quickly compiling a list of mascots that are dead to you. Uh, I'm starting to understand why she didn't come any closer. It's Waterworth. <laughs> I know what he does when he, when he, he's not a fan of mascots. Look at Throws Izzy. him over his shoulder and snubs him. Look at Izzy sitting there waving, smiling and being happy. Because Izzy <laughs> is a mascot of the people. Izzy would have met everyone. <laughs> I guarantee you, everybody who went to Atlanta got a photo with Izzy. Okay. I'm just telling you, Jared. I'm sure he probably got punched by everybody in Atlanta. <laughs> I'm sure, Jared, you got too many photos of Sid, Millie, and Ollie. Like I'm sure that yeah. you just you couldn't stop getting photos taken with them. You know, Wendy and that Wendy and that that other fox who are the, who are the Wanderers mascots. They got two of them. They do yep. laps. They greet people. You take a photo with them. Yep. Fucking. What, it's just just etiquette. What, Send Tazuni back to mascot school because she clearly didn't pass. What was it? <laughs> Sasquatch, Cumpswatch, and whatnot at Vancouver. Um, I've got oh. your guys muck mucks. I I need to send those one of these days. I'll swap you for a Canadian scarf when they're probably thirty percent off. Send, send, me, send me Tazuni now. Now that Tazuni's dead to you, send me Tazuni for a muck muck. I'll give you I'll give you the the prime muck muck That's instead not of Jerry. Fair trade. You you have to send. <laughs> Would you like a Tazuni hat? Um. <laughs> hey, we've send got me a Tazuni. We've got a better mascot coming. All right, and it cost us half. Yeah. This- fucking show's budget um what am i talking about we don't have a budget it costs us like any more 500 times more than we've ever freaking spent on this show we're poor it costs us a month a month salary <laughs> this is the type of money you drop on engagement rings yeah. uh, i know i bought a few uh trust me it is um yeah so i i can't wait for our reveal once we get our bank balance back it'll be just a 2d paint drawing this is our mascot Speaking of finding obscure singers, this is going to go straight over Colin's head. He had no idea when I sent this clip yesterday who the hell it was. Nikki fucking Webster, Jared, who cares about the Matildas winning quarterfinals and finishing fourth and 11 million viewers around Australia? Nikki Webster surprised him on stage in Brisbane as they got the key. I'm sorry. Give me the key to the city or a Nikki Webster performance of Strawberry Kisses right in front of me. I'm taking Nikki Webster, Jared. That was the best moment of the World Cup for me. Oh, 100%. I don't, why, why was she not at the final? That was their chance. Exactly. Stadium she Australia is a home. Come on. She would have done it for the exposure for a dance studio. She needs some more students. Get them in there. Advertise. Got to say, dear old Nikki, she's still got it. Like, don't, you know, you see all these other singers who are old and ragged. Don't say Madonna. Uh, are they <laughs> like, you know, they, they sometimes struggle. Nikki's not old and ragged by all means. I think she's younger than you and I, Jared. But like she came out, she killed it. She absolutely, and I, I don't think I saw Sam Kerr as excited in that tournament when Nikki Webster was right in front of her. They were right on her face. She got a photo. She's like, fuck, Nikki Webster. She scored the goal of the tournament in front of our very eyes at Stadium Australia. But when Nikki Webster came out, her eyes lit up. That, that best moment of the World Cup for me, Jared. 100%. Absolutely amazing. Colin, you have no idea what we're talking about, but let's, I haven't ref- a clue. let's refresh your memory when we eventually get to the Sydney 2000 opening ceremony in our opening ceremony series, the young girl that was born before our eyes singing, I was it underneath the Southern sky or whatever it was. She came down on 
freaking ropes. Basically, the reason why every single opening ceremony now has a little child. Like, oh, look, it's a little child. It's because of us. Because of Nikki fucking Webster. She was, what, like 11, 12, 13 in Sydney 2000. She went oh. on to release one song called Strawberry Kisses a Year Later, which everybody hated at the time, but now everybody loves it. She is an icon. She's a pop princess in Australia who had one hit. She had another. She had, remember that Devilicious song she released about seven years after? That wasn't too bad, that song. Nikki Webster for Eurovision I- next year, Jared. Oh, I mean, if we're even in it, but let's not start that topic. Yeah, true. <laughs> when I heard you say literally born in front of ours, I, I'm like, where did I miss somebody actually <laughs> getting born on air? Push, push. Now that's something for the opening ceremonies. Forget these treadmills. Let's go. Let's get a live birth on the air in front of the world. And that will be a, some opening ceremonies. Nobody will ever forget. That'll top Lillehammer going down a hill, going off a ski jump. The equivalent of this moment for Nikki Webster being on stage yesterday for the Matildas is in, what, like 23 years' time when Japan finished fourth at that World Cup and they have a key to the city in Tokyo, a treadmill comes out onto the stadium, the stage. And it's like, here is the treadmill from Tokyo! And they're like, yay, treadmill! Uh, that is what a what a bigger deal that was. So Nikki Webster, you... you and the, the reasoning behind that, by the way, was because apparently the Matildas had their anthem... Whenever they would travel to games, they listened to Strawberry Kisses. That was like their team anthem that they had during this tournament. So we have Nikki Webster to thank for the Matildas performance at this World Cup. That's that's I I I'm honoured that that was a thing. Basically, there was a new iteration of their stock that they came out with. Um, that has even more adjustments. So if you do, it looks completely different. It clamps the barrel differently instead of this, like, a whole other mechanism. Yeah, it's a whole lot that I don't even fully understand. You get very excited talking it. about it, though. Like, I, I can see you, like, lining up and it's like, oh, I can do all these things yeah. with it, right? Like, that. that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Which, you know, you, you're basically James Bond, right? Because if you're saying it's from Walter, then that, you know, famously yeah. Walter PPK. So I'm just saying that right. makes you James Bond. Have you ever thought of that before? Yeah. I have not. I think I should make a poster, though. For you sure. should. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I think that that should be a way to advertise yourself out there a little bit more and yep. uh, get yep. the kids involved in shooting. And uh, I think that that would work. I think that we're always mm-hmm. advocating for, for getting more people involved in the sports that we talk about on this show. So uh, you're, you're welcome, Ali. You're welcome. One thing, actually, I want to touch on before we get to the Olympics, uh, Pan Ams 2019 gold medal there uh that experience uh going to i believe that was in peru if i'm not mistaken it was correct hey research team that's one for them yeah, they're doing yeah. well uh, okay. how, how, how was peru and how was winning gold at the pan ams it was good it was uh my first experience of a lot of stress um before all of that you know i was kind of still learning how to compete internationally and that was my first competition where i kind of had to win because in order if i won um, the U.S. would have another quota to go to the Olympics, and it was our last chance to earn that other quota. Wow. So I had to win, um, and so that was stressful. I did not necessarily handle the stress well. Uh, the people that were there with me can probably <laughs> confirm that. I've got to ask how. How, how, how what, what's, what's crazy? What are you doing? Did the people of Peru still not want you back there because of how crazy <laughs> you were? I mean, what happened? No, it was just, I'm a very emotional person. Sometimes I wear my heart on my sleeve uh, for whatever emotion it is. So it would kind of be random tears if like a training day didn't go well. Um, My event was at the end and a lot of other people were succeeding. So I kind of started panicking internally. Like, what if I don't, what if I don't succeed? And I'm one of the only people here that doesn't. 
Um, so just a lot more tears. I'm also incredibly competitive. And so the high stress environment and highly competitive um, in everything, literally everything, we actually, they had some cornhole boards. I don't know if you guys know what cornhole no, is. Yes, yes, yep, yep. Yep. Set up in the village outside of the Team USA uh, building. And some of my teammates and friends and I were playing. I wasn't hitting the board at all. I was doing terrible. <laughs> and somebody was making fun of me. And I kind of just snapped and screamed at them. And wow. was like, just shut up. <laughs> like, there was more words in there, Ali. You can vent right now if you want yeah, to relive yeah. that. You can you can say it on this show. Yeah. It's fine. I, I don't even know if I can remember them. It was it was just a whole snap screaming. You know they're bad everyone, when you can't remember them. That's great. Yeah. Everyone kind of just went silent and just stared. <laughs> I was like, I am so sorry. So we like finished the game in silence. They came over and they were going to go over and hang out at the international zone to eat some food and grab. I think there's some beer and stuff over there. And they said, do you want to come? And I said, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I just did a little bit of self-reflection. I think it's better if I go sit by myself for a little bit, kind of recover, <laughs> calm down again until I can be a human and function normally. Wow. And then I'll come to you guys. So it was an incredible experience, but such a huge growth experience too, to be able to come out from that and then still see success at the end of the week or in that second quota that um, ultimately i got to i think pretty much fill when i made the olympic team so it was good but let me guess when you got that gold medal around your neck you then go back to that cornhole course and then you dominate right <laughs> right you're right yeah no actually i think instead we went into the international zone and celebrated a little <laughs> bit <laughs> i'm okay now guys i can i can join you yeah. for that bit yeah. which i mean also smile I've got a very random question, actually, which I'm surprised we've never asked any of our moguls guests because back in 2018, when we were doing our first Winter Olympics, we actually sort of did some live commentary of of the uh, moguls. So we would have been commentating yourself in the final and then we did the men's one. And one of our co-hosts, Jared, liked to point out that coming down the moguls, they you would line up your favorite mogul. You would line up an exact mogul and go, that's my favorite mogul. That's where I'm going to make my move. So, Maddie, can you confirm or deny that mogul skiers have a favorite mogul on a course? Absolutely not. I don't know what that is. <laughs> this Jared Hughes. <laughs> he, he, he needs to do his research, doesn't he? <laughs> I don't know where he got that one from. Uh, no, I can tell you which one I didn't like the most in the course normally. You pick out a tricky element of like where, how you're going to get over that mogul, but it wouldn't be my favorite mogul by any stretch. Maybe the one at the very end because I've crossed the line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say there was like the one that completely turned things around. That got me the gold that one there go give it a pat all right good thank you i don't know if actually i threw jared under the bus there maybe it was me who said that but hey he's not here today <laughs> so uh, i can easily uh get away with that we were talking before we started recording we were talking about um you know aussies will let fly with just about anything and let their feelings be known <laughs> and that's what triggered me so we were, <laughs> we were, we were in Calgary, World Cup in Calgary, and um, at the, it's called the warming, the warming hut, warming shed up the top of the mountain. That's where everybody hangs out before they go slide. And so we're all up there, and it's way too packed. And so the and the Aussie tr team was huge. This is nineteen 
1996. And these guys were gigantic, huge, probably as big as the Russians. And this one guy, and I don't know that he owned another word except for the F word. <laughs> I mean, he was, it, he, it, it was, it was quite impressive. He used it as, it was an adverb, an adjective, a noun, a verb. Very Australian. So, We're proud of yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, he was just, he was very colorful and lighting the place up. And finally somebody had complained, you know, you can't move in here. And so finally he was like, all right, I'll clean this place out. He gets up on one of the benches and just farts the most toxic fart the world has ever known and cleared that place out after that wow yep okay um (laughs) and that ladies and gentlemen is australia in a nutshell um i think let's be honest we've all done that here in this country um i think that's I don't know, but yeah, he people people were running for their lives. Wow, what an incredible but story! It was all fun, yeah. <laughs> The great thing about Nikki, at the, at the time of us recording this, it's been a week removed since the, the Women's World Cup wrapped up and the Matilda sort of used Strawberry Kisses by Nikki Webster as a bit of an anthem. And we've just seen her emerge on stage at the Matilda celebration and everyone's like, wow, Nikki Webster, there she is. And it's it's been fantastic. But I don't think people really understand how big of a deal Nikki was on the 16th of September 2000, basically after her performance. And you also birthed this trend of using a child to emerge the world in an opening ceremony. Athens did it four years later, if I'm not mistaken. I think you did it again in Beijing, near London. I mean, kids lit the goddamn cauldron. I mean, they've stolen your idea, Rick. But what was this idea about using a young child? And can you can you remember meeting Nikki for the first time and creating this Australian icon that is Nikki Webster? Well, yeah, yes and yes. Um, the idea for using a young person was obviously symbolic for Australia being a, a young country. Um, and Nikki's role in that was just to symbolise a young, innocent country and... You know, it grew from there. But, yeah, meeting Nikki was amazing. She was already well-known theatrically. I mean, she was performing on stage in Sydney by then. She was an actress. Um, but the, the breathtaking thing about Nikki was that she was 13, not quite 14, during 2000. But she looked about 9 or 10. Um, and that that was exactly what we wanted, this sort of young, freckle-faced, innocent little girl gambling around the field and and it worked so well because Nikki was so free and innocent with all this pressure on her she seemed to be enjoying herself and I think she probably was she's an amazing performer yeah um and in fact I I have a daughter who's a bit younger than Nikki and she was furious that I did not give her the gig (laughs) she has still never forgiven me <laughs> wow All she wanted to do was fly, fly in the air like nikki webster <laughs> but uh, you know, nikki nikki was amazing we we had several contenders um but nikki was without question by far 
the best. I, I, I love that idea of what every single time there's some sort of Sydney 2000 anniversary, your daughter just like, don't want to be involved in it, Dad. Bugger off. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> she hates Nikki. She hears strawberry kisses and just gets angry. Uh, <laughs> that could have been me. <laughs> I, I, like, I like this idea of it. much of a say in who gets to light the cauldron or is that purely like an AOC SOCOG idea? And if so, where did Kathy's, was Kathy's name an early one that was touted sort of, because I remember the secrecy around that and all the speculation of who's lighting the cauldron. I mean, can you tell us a bit about that process about how Kathy gets selected? Um, well, it's, it's very much an Olympic decision. It's an organizing committee decision. No, and I've never, never been involved in the decision, uh, I just get told the result. I, I think for 2000, John Coates knew from the beginning that it was going to be women. It was the year of the women in Olympics anyway. Um, so John was, I think, completely instrumental in the choice of who who was there and who lit the cauldron. I mean, looking back, Kathy is the obvious choice um, and was certainly she was being touted around in the press more than anyone else. But we we didn't find out until only a few days before. And, of course, Cathy had to rehearse with the cauldron and the lighting of the cauldron, which she did the night before. Um, poor darling, she got saturated, soaked with spray, and she wasn't feeling too good anyway. She was a real trooper and kept going. Uh, norm- normally we do rehearse with the, the torchbearer. They come into the stadium usually under complete secrecy, like Muhammad Ali in 96. I was there for the rehearsal and, you know, it was <laughs> very secure. Um, and with with Kathy, in fact, we were rehearsing about midnight and one of the security guards showed up with his family. He brought the family to the stadium just to show them around. And there was security guard and his family taking photos of Kathy lighting the cauldron. Wow! Until until we spotted him and said, "Now don't do anything with those photos, or you're going to lose your job." So they were very good, and they didn't say anything. But uh, yeah, we try and keep it secret, not because it is a secret so much as we just want to keep it for a surprise. That's fascinating because, I mean, how would you get away with that today when all he would have had to do is take a picture on a phone and it's on Twitter in five minutes, whereas at least... Because <laughs> I, I, like, that was the biggest thing. I think everybody that night was just still speculating. Like, you know, it's like five o'clock on that Friday afternoon. Everyone's like, who's doing it? Who's doing it? And then, you know, <laughs> y- y- as you mentioned, it was, what, 100 years of, of women in the Olympics. So you had, you know, Shane Gould, Betty Cuthbert, all these icons sort of in the stadium and then handing it over to, to Kathy. I mean, it's just... Does that does that make you when you get to that moment? We'll talk about those three minutes forty that were probably the longest of your life in a moment. But like when when you get to that point, you realise it. I guess has been kept a secret because, as far as I remember, it wasn't leaked. That was an absolute secret until the moment Kathy got that torch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing that was for me a, a very welcome surprise was that we had two. I can't remember. It was two or three rehearsals before the opening. Now, at least. I think two full dress rehearsals with a, an audience and the audience were invited. They were the parents and friends, teachers of the performers. Um, so we had a hundred thousand people at each of the rehearsals and David Atkins and I went on the stage before the, the rehearsal 
And I said to the, the crowd, listen, we're thrilled that you're going to be here. We're thrilled that we can put the show on. But we just have one request, and that is do not share the content of the ceremonies and certainly don't share photographs until, you know, opening night. And as far as I know, no one did. And no newspaper ever ever published a photo from any of the rehearsals. There was no discussion in the papers. Whereas before that, we'd had helicopters coming over for rehearsals. We'd had journalists trying to join the rehearsals as performers mm -hmm. and so on. Also, all they could run spoiler stories saying, this is what's in the stadium show. And I actually did a TV appearance early when it started to happen. And I was on TV saying, I don't know why you want to spoil the ceremony by telling everyone what's in it. You'll find out soon enough. It's not like you will never get to see the show. We, but there are 10,000 people, um, sorry, more, 13,000 in Sydney, 13,000 people who've been rehearsing to do this, to present it to you, and all you networks are trying to do is to spoil it. And so after that, it turned around a bit, and television viewers said, yeah, we don't want to know. And so suddenly the, the media stopped trying to spoil the story, and I think it was much more successful for that reason. Were those three minutes and 40 seconds where that cauldron <coughs> would not move the longest three minutes yeah. and 40 seconds of your yeah. life, Rick? Well, second only to our technical director, um, who's a fabulous Texan tech director named Morris Leider. And I'd met Morris in Barcelona, actually, in 92. He was the production manager for U2 and Genesis and Pink Floyd and Rolling Stones. So he's one of the world's greats. And he ended up marrying an Australian girl and moved to Sydney. So that was a great opportunity. So I hired Morris as a technical director and didn't worry about anything technical from that moment on. And so at the, at the opening ceremony, um, we had a the waterfall effect, which came down the northern stand, was built some months before the actual ceremony. And I was there one day after a football match, and I saw a couple of Coca-Cola cans had been thrown into the waterfall. And I thought at the time, oh, God, if that happens on the night, there's a chance that a Coke can could get caught up in the cogs of the, the thing that, and the, the cauldron could get jammed. And I thought, oh, if that happens, we don't want it to run out of gas. So I said to Morris Leiter, um, can you get any more gas in the cauldron in case there's a delay? So he came back next day and said, yeah, we've fixed it, no worries. And so I stopped worrying. And then uh, on, the, on the night, Morris was looking rather white and there were other things going on. I was starting to write a voiceover piece for the announcer who was going to say, well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for... Da, 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 da. <laughs> and you know, cue, cue the fireworks and you know, hopefully get an umbilical cord of gas or something to the cauldron. But, uh, as it turned out, Morris told me later that the, the cauldron stopped for a reason, and no one will ever know why. We honestly don't know why. There were three triggers that were involved in the, the lift of the cauldron, and each trigger signified to the computer to take the next step. And what had happened is the, the third of the three had triggered already, 
um, and so the, the cauldron mechanism started pulling uphill with the cauldron not attached correctly. So then it stopped because it knew it wasn't connected properly. But it had moved about six inches, which was meant that the cauldron could no longer mate properly with the, the carrier. Anyway, it took the guys three minutes and 40 seconds to work out what was wrong, correct it, and get it going again. And as I said, Morris was looking very white. And when it was all over, he said, Rick, you know, I told you that we've got more gas in the cauldron. He said, I lied. We couldn't. There was no more room. No more space. <laughs> he, he thought there was about 20 seconds of gas left when, when it, you know, finally the cauldron. Wow. Jeez, that's incredible. I, I mean, I actually want to say that, to be honest, you started a trend. Just like Nikki Webster started a trend with young children, you started a trend with faults in opening ceremonies. Because if you remember Vancouver, they had the four cauldrons and one of them didn't work. And Sochi, one of the rings didn't light up. So I'm just saying that it was a, it was a plan there, right? Future opening ceremonies took that as like a, a you know, oh, I'm going to do what Sydney did. Let's have a mistake to make it, you know, more controversial. Come on. <laughs> In fact, in Barcelona, I asked Antonio Raboyo, who was the archer who fired the arrow, I said to Antonio, listen, you know how in circuses they do a trapeze thing? They they say, and now for the first time ever in the world, we're going to do the triple somersault and drum roll, and they attempt it, and it doesn't quite work. And everyone goes, oh. And he said, but wait, we're going to try it again. And then the second time, they do it. Yeah. And I said to Antonio, what would be really good is if you miss on the first shot. So people people know that, you know, this is not mechanical, it's not this does have risk and it is possible to get it wrong. And so if you miss on the first one, then the second one, the crowd will go crazy. And he just looked at me and said, I will not miss. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I kinda of like your idea better though. That kind of, you know, that that that, that beautiful You also mentioned that same special that it was also a plan to attend every major sporting event around the world, essentially within that two-year period to the bid announcement. What were some of those events that you went to and how were they in helping sway the Olympics to come to Sydney? Yes, well, the strategy, as you say, was, was twofold. One was at Rod McGeoch with John Coates, Phil Coles, Kevin Gosper, Bruce Baird, would travel to try and meet every IAC member they could around the world. And my job as the general manager, and particularly to drive the, the sports side of the bit, was to attend every international Olympic sports competition and to meet with every international federation president and secretary general. So I literally travelled the world as well, visiting those people in their home cities all around the world, telling them about the Sydney bid, and particularly what we could do for their sport. And it was a strategy that was, I have to say, very, very well received by the World Sporting Fraternity. And how did you find that situation going to maybe some sports that you perhaps had never really dealt with? I can't imagine that you were constantly dealing with the International Handball Federation or the you know, International Judo Federation. And, and kind of what is it like selling a city like Sydney to some of these sports where there's really no presence in not only Sydney but Australia, like, say, handball or judo, where there's not really a big scene in this side of the world. Uh, you're exactly right. and uh, I, We did it in two ways. One is that I drew upon uh, prominent people from within that sport, whether it existed in Australia, to come with me. 
For example, equestrian was a major challenge for us because you know, one of the great trivia stories of, of the Olympic movement is where were the equestrian events held in the 1956 Olympic Games in Melbourne? Yeah, no. Sydney. Uh, uh, Sweden, sorry. I've got the S words uh, switched around there. <laughs> because of our quarantine issues. So, yeah. for example, that was absolutely essential for me to be able to convince the International Equestrian Federation that we could actually find a way to get the horses into Australia that was not going to penalise them. So I took, for example, Andrew Hoy, already that time a dual Olympic gold medalist, with me when we visited the, the World Equestrian Federation's Congress in South America, interestingly chaired at the time by Princess Anne. Wow. And we, we did everything we could to convince them that what our plan would be. But there were two other strategies probably that literally changed the way in which the bed was being seen. I mean, the challenge we faced, Ben, every Australian organisation faces this, is that the distance from the rest of the world. Most people had never been to Australia, most of the voting fraternity, and there was a huge cost involved because in those days, each Olympic committee, each country had to pay for its athletes to travel to the Olympic Games. So led by John Coates, and we did some remarkable work in this area, we created a formula where we ultimately said, right, Sydney is going to pay the cost for every athlete to travel to Sydney and to be accommodated. This was a $25 million exercise in 19... In, set up in the early 1990s, of course, and that would take the cost out of the hands of the NOCs, National Olympic Committees. And that was very, very warmly received. And interestingly, that's now the standard. That's the norm. Fascinating. And we, so, like, in, in winning over the Equestrian Federation, we not only said we would pay the cost of all the athletes, we actually agreed to pay the cost of all the horses wow. to come to Australia. We established four world ports in, uh, in Frankfurt, in Los Angeles, in, in London, and another one in South America, where we brought all the competing horses together, and then in cooperation with the airlines and other very strategic operations, we transported them to Sydney at our cost, with the, with the, uh, you know, the, the, with the officials that look after them, the barriers, the, et cetera, uh, and took all that cost away from them. So it was steps like that that made such a difference in convincing the world that we were ready to host the best ever Olympic Games. I've got to ask, we saw the iconic mockumentary series in the lead-up to the Olympics. The Games, of course, uh, very, very famous, ran for a couple of seasons. Did you see yourself as a bit of a Brian Dorr, John Clark or Gina Riley kind of that? And what did you think of kind of just their take on sort of a, a satirical look at the organising of the Olympics? I have to say that... Uh, we, the, the staff, loved the series, but always wondered there had to be a mole somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the issues that they dealt with were so true. <laughs> but it was remarkably well done. And uh, it, it, was, it, again, was another facet, I think, of the games where so many different elements of our society addressed the Olympics and used it to broaden the appeal to Australians generally. Are you trying to tell me that the 100-metre track at Homebush was actually 98 metres long? Bob, is that what you're trying to secretly tell me? <laughs> but we have to think about that. Should we go back and measure it? <laughs> Just accidentally in case he actually done that too. Fantastic. I love, I love hearing that.
the dinosaur section, I think my favorite is the introduction oh, when they're good. like, one of Alberta's most fascinating, mysterious legends is the legend of the dinosaur. And I'm there like, is the jury like still in doubt on dinosaurs? Do we not, are we not agreeing that they're fact at this point? Like what's happening? So, so if the flat earth equivalent in 1988 was the, the flat dinosaur equivalent. Mm, dinosaurs, never, fact or legend. Mm. I've only seen bones. I've never seen these real. Until some Hollywood director makes this into a movie where they look realistic, I don't believe these are real. Fake. How, how many people watched Jurassic Park five years later and said, no, 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 no. I saw those Calgary opening ceremonies. <laughs> every every person in Calgary in 1993 was like, oh, hey, they're real. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's what they look like, the people in the costumes. <laughs> I didn't know that they could dance. <laughs> they eat lawyers on toilets, eh? Oh, there you go. <laughs> But yeah, the dinosaurs are great. I just love that. I feel like we've got so many moments in this opening ceremony of the cameraman focusing on people stuffing up. You had like the <laughs> roping guy who gets, he's doing okay. And then like the camera cuts to like close up and like he gets stuck. And the, the lady waiting to like hop on her horse probably. And they're just like filming her forever until she's finally ready to go while everything else is happening in around her in the meantime. Like this whole opening section was so good. And then I feel like, Everything after the parade, I'm not with you on, like, the pictograms section at all. Aww. Like, apart from the ski jumper, the rest of it, amateurish. Like, the spacing cool. wasn't right. Like, the for, like, the luge and, like, the bobsled, that track, like, everyone's hitting those walls if that's your track. Like, that's dodgy. <laughs> it's not uniform throughout. Um, <laughs> too much, And then too much dancing, like, way too much oh, dancing so after, much like, dancing. This, this first half. Like, the best bit is, like... Um, when they get into like the square dancing, which starts a slow, but when the when the guy starts like calling out instructions, is to oh, me gosh. like one of the highlights of this like opening ceremony. He's like, and that was my least there, favorite. You're right, chord turn, chord turn, twist it, bop it. That like went, it's just that went it was on forever, so though. good. No, we went too long, but it was good. It was that was <laughs> the best part of like the dancing, honestly. Um, the end song, I don't know. The highlight of that. The howdy spotting, but where was Heidi? Yay. Heidi was just not invited to, to this opening ceremony. <laughs> she couldn't I'm feel like, the spirit like, inside her. Was she like an afterthought? Like, like, or was she greeting people at the airport still and she couldn't <laughs> make it? But um, <laughs> Well, she's stuffed in the airport. Go to Calgary. You'll see her. She's still there. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I was just, I just wish that like the first half had kept through the second half. Like the flyer with the jets too was cool, but then there was one like yellow paint that wasn't working. I'm like, come on, you got I, one job. And then it turns on like halfway through and I'm like, how come there's only one black line? Like just so you can have the V, like it just wasn't, there were some bad decisions about the flyover. Well, I think this is, and I'm going to give this a sound effect, our first opening ceremony with an actual mascot in it. So there <laughs> we go. We didn't see Rio. We didn't see Lillehammer. So there you go. And I actually really cannot remember any modern opening ceremony having a mascot in it. So I, maybe this isn't more of an older thing that they did. But, um, yeah. It was I, an it, 80s thing. Dancing. Oh, my God. Like, the, like look, I, I'm half with you on the line dancing. Like, it's it's very, like, Calgary. It's very, you know, stampede. And I like that they play the homage to the stampede. But, like, it just, it got to a point where it's like, oh, come on. Like, round your partner, round around, and do-do-do-do-do. Like, again, you can see why in Cool Runnings they have this. Uh, the bar in Winnipeg, of course, Colin, where they film that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but it's just like, there was the, the Cruella de Vil dancers. They just went on for so long. Like, what, what like, 
I, I mean, again, I've been to Calgary like once, but I, I never danced when I was there. Is this a, da- is it a dancing city, Colin? Did I miss out on the dancing? I'm, I'm not much of a dancer. I wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> it's just, yeah, too, too much. There. But I, yeah, that's a very good way of putting it, Jared. I think it is very much an opening ceremony too hard, but the dinosaurs were amazing. Like seriously, like <laughs> when, when Jared's like, Jared messages group, like, oh, wait, you get to 209, like 32. And there's like, howdy right there. And then I'm just like, like, oh, like, what do I like better? The dinosaurs or the mascot? Because like, Again, these dinosaurs are inflatable. They're like those chicken things. <laughs> what were they? I don't know what they were. They were so good. Like, seriously, when we get like we get to closing ceremonies and we do the Salt Lake City, you know, the Osmonds voicing giant T-Rex skeletons, I thought was the best dinosaurs ever in Olympic ceremonies. But this might have topped it. Twenty-two years ago, my God! Um, I've been back uh, a couple of times since then. Uh, I did a press tour. My life has been so strange, but I did a press tour at one point um, after the Vancouver Olympics because we were promoting my reality series, "Be Good, Johnny Weir," which was all about my journey to my second Olympics. And then um, at the Vancouver Games, one of your broadcasters who was commenting about Eddie McGuire, he got into a bit of trouble when he was talking about me mm-hmm. and. I'm a very, very, very difficult person to offend. I've heard it all. I've seen it all. And I give it about this much time in my life. It, it, what people say is very unimportant to me. I'd rather uh, show the world who I am, not what I am. I mean, I'm just that person. Um, I live, again, I'm out in the middle of nowhere in a village because this is where I like to be. So gossip has means nothing to me. But um, Eddie had invited me to perform at the Docklands in Melbourne. And I was super honored and <clears throat> I knew that he was, he was, uh, in hot water about me and I hate anyone that misspeaks or makes a mistake, not giving them an opportunity to fix it. And I would hope that people would give me that opportunity as well. So, um, I went, we had a wonderful time. The shows were wonderful. And one thing about performing in Australia or really doing anything in Australia as, as a, a foreigner is I love the energy that Australians have for welcoming people to their country. I think that Australia is just so far away from everywhere. And it's such an honor as as a non-Australian to be invited to do anything in Australia. But the welcome there is just out of this world. People know how long that plane trip is. And they're just so appreciative that you're there. That whether it's the Goodwill Games or performing in the shows at the Docklands, whatever the case may have been, it just, it always feels good to go. And I hope that I'll visit Australia many more times in my life just because it is so special. I don't know if it's in the background or not. I have eucalyptus out back there on that oh, table. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I just like Just in honor of the specialness. But um, yeah, Australia is a special place to me. And when I went for the Goodwill Games, the audience was so kind. It's like they knew that I needed an extra a boost from them because I was 16. I was really out of my depths. And uh I have a special place in my heart for Australia, certainly. And now 
as the American host of Eurovision, I, I just revel in Australia's place in my life. <laughs> You're really fitting well in this. I'm going to, we'll test you with uh, Canada soon with Colin. And also, of course, you know, keep doing the great work on NBC and you'll be here, of course, in about nine years for the Olympics. But I, I'm glad you mentioned that about Eddie because that was a big deal here. That was a, that was national news in this country, sort of everything around that. But I, I did watch the interview clip you did after your performance with Gian Rooney and you kept mentioning like, hi, Eddie, hi, I'll be down there soon. I'll be there. And then sort of even Eddie sort of came back and after the break and was basically like, oh, good on you, Johnny. You can come stay with me. So did you actually get to stay with Eddie Maguire when you went to Melbourne? No, I'll I, ask that. I didn't stay with him. <laughs> I'm, um, uh, let's, let's put it that I'm a difficult house guest. <laughs> not, because, not because I impose my isms on other people. It's just I make people uncomfortable. Uh, because I am so specific about the way that I do things and run my life. It's just easier to throw me in a hotel. So I was in a hotel and um, again, it's, it's so easy, especially now to make a mistake. And I think it's important to always own the mistakes that we make. And as a broadcaster, you know, now I'm, I'm under a microscope and you say one wrong word and, and you can be canceled or fired or offend somebody or make someone cry. And, and, I think that everyone deserves a moment to to correct their their mistake. And Eddie was doing that and it was it was not long before the blow up of social media, but you know, I knew he was he was struggling. And um he turned out to be a, a great guy with me. We enjoyed our time together and um I knew how big a story it was down there. And um if if there's ever a way I can help another person, I try to, unless they really don't deserve it. Um but uh Eddie, Eddie's a, a nice guy and he just made a little mistake. And village life, it, it was intense. I remember rolling up to the village in Torino and I didn't have a quilt on my bed. It was just like a single sheet. I'm like, well, it's February and <laughs> it's cold. And these were quickly built sort of apartment complexes and nothing about this is comfortable. Uh, the security as it should be is very heightened. So I can't see my mom and that my mom is a huge part of my career. And, and while I was young enough, we always roomed together and she was my, my back and forth, my, my caretaker, my, my muscle, my brick wall. And at the Olympics, she couldn't be anywhere near me. So that in itself was difficult. I had to steal blankets and a lamp and a <laughs> toilet seat. Wow. To a toilet seat. Uh, a toilet seat for my unit. So uh, I, I requested that I would not have a roommate, which is very rare um, <laughs> at the Olympic Games. So it was my first one. I was the national champion coming in. So I thought, Johnny, if you're ever going to use any bit of swag or have a diva moment. So I just said, I know it's probably really difficult, but I don't want a roommate. It'll just completely throw me off. And I just, I can't have anyone in this space. <laughs> so I was in uh, a house. It was a three bedroom sort of condo townhouse thing. And I was with the coaches for curling and cross-country skiing, I do believe they were. As you often probably were in your career, Johnny, I can imagine. Yep. You know what? Paths every other week. <laughs> it's the posse. It's the crew. But first of all, I loved that it was coaches and not athletes because 
the, the energies of the other athletes would have completely thrown me off. But the coaches were, I could deal with them and we were on completely opposite schedules. So I never saw them and I had a private bedroom and a private bathroom. Hence I had to steal a toilet seat. Um, but you know, it was. I've got to ask a question. Is it true John Hedder's character in Blades of Glory is based on you? Oh yeah. They called me before <laughs> the the film came out just to let me know. I think so that I wouldn't sue them for uh <laughs> violating uh life rights or or likeness rights or whatever it could be. Um but they called and said, Hey, Johnny, uh we're we're gonna make fun of you in the movie. And it was it was like Will Farrell's person that called me. And um, later I was I was filming a scene with Ben Stiller and Will Farrell for Zoolander 2. It got cut. And I, I was going to ask call. you about that because I, I, I went back to watch Sue we and I couldn't find, find you. So I was assuming maybe it got cut. I'm actually the first picture they show in the credits. So that's my claim to fame. I, I still get um, SAG credits for it and I still get residual checks for like 20 cents. Wow. Uh, every while. But um, yeah, so... I I got the call and they said, we're going to make fun of you. And John Hedder's character obviously uh, was making fun of my swan costume with his peacock costume and just some of his the way he approached press conferences. Because at that time in my life, I was already delivering press conferences in Russian, French and English. So he spoke Japanese in the movie. And um, I, I thought it was the coolest thing. I mean, it's the highest form of flattery to to be able to parody someone. Yeah, um, and Will Ferrell's later, weirdly uh, connected to your loves, like figure skating, and now obviously Eurovision. So I don't know. Maybe maybe he follows me. I don't know. He's he he's a sweet man. He uh, so I'd never been an actor before, and I we talked briefly about me hitting marks and how difficult that was. But uh, they invited me to be in Zoolander too because Zoolander loves a celebrity cameo, and I I use the word celebrity loosely. Okay, I don't think of myself <laughs> like that. I'm a person that does really cool stuff. Um, and sometimes people know who I am, but, um, they called and asked if I would do it. So I went to Rome and I, that's where they were filming. <laughs> I went to you Rome. You just go there for fun. Like, oh, sorry, I'm just going to Rome tomorrow, Ben. Uh, don't mind yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. Um, so I just kind of waited around for a few days and then they were like, okay, we need you on set finally. So I was playing a prison warden in roller skates that was taking Derek or Ben Stiller to visit Mugatu, Will Ferrell in prison. And my scene wasn't with Will, but it was with Ben Stiller, who was also directing himself as he was working. And I had to deliver lines and there weren't many of them, but I was also on roller skates, inexplicably, I guess the skating. Um, <laughs> we were filming in this old kind of hippodrome thing tunnel so it looked like a, a weird prison world and at the end of the tunnel was just a wall of camera sound directors papers just people and then on the other behind me i didn't realize it until after our first take but will ferrell was sitting there with his headphones on watching every take that i did and was just so excited he's a big olympics fan um like it it boggles my mind when i meet famous people and they're excited to meet me Wow. That's a cool thing that yeah. happens. Um, but anyway, that's that's that. Next question. 
What is your funniest childhood memory? Okay, so it's Olympic themed. <laughs> Good. And, um, it, it's competitive. It, it shows like what a crazy sort of badass competitive child I was. So I would create a backyard Olympics, especially around Olympic time. But I would make my dad build me balance beams and rings and equestrian jumps that I'd take my dog over and jump myself. <laughs> we had a track. But I would have all of my friends over. And the fact that I still had friends at this point was shocking. But I would have all of my friends over to compete in the backyard Olympics. But I was in charge. I was basically the IOC president of the backyard Olympics. I chose the sports that we played so that I would be so supremely superior to all of them that they would never beat me and they would all be crying. Wow. Um, I think looking back as an adult now, it set me up for the life that I've led and <laughs> very, very fun. Because I don't think of myself as competitive with other people. I'm competitive with myself, but not so competitive against other people. But in that shining moment as a child, I was out for blood. Wow. For the neighborhood. Like, you will never run faster than me, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to redo the reintroduction? Like, you know, 87-time backyard gold medal Olympic winning uh, <laughs> all-sports Olympian, Johnny Weir, um, you know? But, I mean, nowadays you have to have proof for everything and there's no official paperwork. They we believe you, Johnny. We, we believe you. And also good luck in your run for IOC president after Thomas retires. I look forward to uh, seeing what you can do <laughs> no, for the, no, no, no. the Olympic I movement. I Last question for you, Johnny. The most important, what is your favorite meatloaf song? (laughs) (laughs) You weren't expecting that, were you? Uh, (laughs) I like that he's going into Google. He's got a Google. I love this. (laughs) I know know the song. Uh, Sing it first, Johnny. Sing it. (laughs) No, just you hold on a second. <laughs> the famous one. This is what uh, Olivia should have been doing when we brought I this. Was never for love. Oh, we even get the first oh, singing on it. Yeah, oh. I don't afford the rights to me singing that, but um, I would do anything for love. But I won't do that. Which um, to this day, have we ever worked out? I mean, sadly gone now, Mister Loaf. But uh, I don't know what it was that he wouldn't do. So, hey, it could be a myriad of things. to that moment when you knew you were going to the Olympics, when you were qualified, what was what was that moment like knowing that here it is, this six-year-old Aaron dream of uh, going to an Olympics is about to come true? I mean, I think there's always this moment, particularly in sports where, you know, it's objective, like I said. You know, it's in the subject, subjective sports, it's a little, you know, different because you probably have a good idea that you're going to make it and, you know, you're in the starting lineup and all those things. But in an objective sport like track and field where you go based off of time or um, performance, there's always this one little moment. And it's like this second of time where you're like, holy cow, it's happening, you know? Uh, and I will never, that's one moment in my life that I will never, ever forget. There are a lot of moments that were pretty special that I've, 
forgotten. Um, but that is one moment that I will never forget. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We're on the track for the finals. I had jumped really well in the prelim. Um, the bar had been set to meter 93, I think. And um, back on my on the mark, and I think it was a second attempt um, at that height that I was like, if I make this bar, I am going to Sydney. I am going to finally realize that dream of being an Olympian. And I mean, it's been going on since I was six, right? So I'm 20, 21 or 22 at the time. And I just remember like starting that approach and it just all coming together. And the moment that I rounded the corner to take off that penultimate step to the, the takeoff, and I think in the high jump, you, you kind of know before you even take off, if that makes sense, whether it's all coming together. And then that moment of takeoff is like, everything sinks perfectly. You take off and I'm just like, holy cow, this is it. Soared over the bar. And it was like, just this sigh of relief, to be honest. Wow. Of like, that's just special. So, you know, it just makes you want to go back to being a kid. Yes, yeah, good where, times, wasn't it? We, when we didn't have to adult. When, you, when just... you didn't have to adult and you didn't have to worry about world problems. Yep. No. You know? I, I agree. We all we all need to have that Everybody mindset. Everybody get along. Yes, we all exactly. Need to get along. I feel like we need to start singing Heal the World right now or something, Aaron. Like, it's just... Heal the world. Make it a better place <laughs> for you. For you and for, for me. And the entire human race. Wow. This is drawing, we've had singing. Du- I mean, duet? Geez, this is the first time I've ever duetted with an Olympian. I mean, what else can nice. we achieve on here, Aaron? This is, this is amazing. <laughs> I feel sorry for you, not so much Jared. Jared's living the life. Um, <laughs> nothing to feel sorry for Jared for. Look at how busy this and- man is. Happy, happy uh, 100th episode for you, Jared. Well, this is your 100th Whoa. episode of Off the Podium. When so, I am having oh, thoughts about... That's not the right one. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I didn't want to admit. Well, I prefer the original. Play the original clip. <laughs> well, no, no, the, the original. If you heard the whole thing, you may oh, <laughs> change okay, your mind. You, here's your 100th present. Let's play it. There then. you go. This having is... thoughts about you, I masturbate my penis. I mean, you asked for it, so... Um, <laughs> happy 100th. Jared? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) He takes it back. (laughs) I guess it was, what, on Saturday, the day after the opening ceremonies aired, where Ben and I were recording for another podcast that does not win awards with good reason. And he said, oh, you know, I was only able to watch the highlights. And I said, of course, the one who actually had proper coverage... Oh yeah, that was yesterday. Uh, so I had to take the week to slowly go over the opening ceremonies. I've got a couple things to add, but there was at least one very amusing thing that uh, you picked up on Ben. Yeah, like, and it, I, the thing that I'll say is like, I, it, it's tricky, I guess, from our part of the world. And I guess I didn't really look at the timing to watch it and everything. Um, and I thought that this lovely website of PanAmSportsChannel.org would have replays. You know, we used to bag out seven plus and all these kind of things where it's just like, oh, you missed something, you can just go back and replay it. And after a few things, you'd get it on board and you'd watch it. 
I can't seem to navigate this damn website half the time to be able to find anything. And then I eventually found two minutes worth of highlights on the Olympic Channel page because obviously technically the Pan Ams are under the Olympic banner. So, you know, the Olympics are able to run things. So that's where I found it tricky. But yeah, from what I could see, it was it was very interesting the highlights package they decided to show because the cultural things looked interesting showing off Chile. It definitely was a very Commonwealth Games-esque you know, off-Broadway style production. But the angles of like the cultural displays were shot in front of the crowd where obviously there was nobody seated. So for the Mm -hmm. majority of it, I'm watching this going, was this just held in like a local theatre in Santiago? (laughs) But then they did like the long shot over the stadium with the fireworks and it was a fairly large stadium. So I'm like, okay, well, there you go. That looks cool. But then they'd keep cutting back to these shots here and there and I'm like, okay, that looks a bit silly, but sure. Then all of a sudden they're like, okay, here are some of the the flag bearers. And I'm sure you can mention Canada's flag bearers uh, when you talk. Um, But then my favorite was like the cauldron. So obviously like with the Commonwealth Games that Jared and I used to, we have the Queen's Baton, something that I've proudly carried. I've carried the Queen's message. Well, now the King's Baton. You have touched it. I was the reason why the Queen died, basically, because I touched (laughs) something that she touched and then ultimately went on it. So we have the King's Baton in a couple of years, of course. But for the Pan Ams, you obviously have a similar thing like the torch, like the Olympics. So, you know, do-do-do-do-do, runners coming into the stadium, looking all great, looking all happy. They're proud to be carrying the torch. Then the two people who get to this cauldron, I'm looking at this going, oh, like, we've got an epic cauldron. Like, there we go. It's not just a freaking torch that you're just going to put in a crane and lift up a la Beijing. Like, I'm like, oh, we're finally getting back to some, like, massive old-school cauldron. Giant golden thing. These two torchbearers go to light it now they're literally touching the flame at like the tip of the cauldron which nobody can see this right now that i'm explaining because this isn't fully video unless this is a social clip hello and then essentially they they clip there they're about three meters away from the center of the cauldron where the flame goes there's no like liquid or anything that is signifying that this is going to like light Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden somebody in the background is going shit john press the (laughs) button light the flame turn it on woof Flame! Yay! Pan Am Games! Da, 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 da. It was terrible. Um, I mean, yeah. better than Beijing, but let's be honest, you and I could <laughs> fart light a lighter right now and it's a better cauldron. But I was at Sydney Olympic Park the other day on a quite a warm day and Kathy Freeman, I was underneath the big cauldron from Sydney that Kathy lit. Hot day. They turned a fountain on that bloody thing. There's water pouring <laughs> from it. There's kids running around. They're celebrating the hot day. That's 23 years later and that thing still looks more spectacular than this. I know it's only the Pan Ams, not the Olympics, but Thomas barks out during the week going, hey, let's bid for the Olympics in Chile. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> no, get your fucking cauldron white and then maybe we can talk. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple things to add on that. Uh, Jared, you're nodding as if you uh, you caught the same part of the replay and had the same opinion. Full agreement. I feel like the, the torch relay highlights, it started out with uh, like... I don't know, somebody who looked like they're walking through like a prison gate. Like it, it looked really, uh, I don't know, like a barbed wire metal fencing. I'm like, surely we could have like, I don't know, run a plant over that or something like that. Um, but I agree. Like they, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like this is going to be like, where's like the gunpowder trail from National Treasure that's going to like light up this cauldron? Nah, so far away. And then obviously someone else has switched on the middle of it. Uh, so, like, what's the point of the flame? I was gl- glad that we got some uh, tennis representation yeah, uh, in the torchbearers. I was very I uh, pleased with that. Um, but, yeah, just I was 
thinking exactly the same thing as you, Ben. Like it was such an impressive looking cauldron. I'm like, yes, it's got the scale, it's got the grandeur, and then just the lighting itself was such a letdown. Just like off the podium, it's got promise, it's potential. People <laughs> see the words Olympic podcast, they're like, wow, this is going to be great. And they're like, oh, that really was disappointing. I mean, even our fourth host doesn't want to be here today. <laughs> is he a host now? I thought he was just a special guest. <laughs> well, a promotion after a week? <laughs> Come on, Noah, hurry up. You can be a host as well, it seems. All these people who don't know anything about sport can show up. We get Kristen on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, the first thing I noticed as soon as the parade of athletes started was the bad placement of where they're coming out because yeah. uh, there there are a couple of overhead shots of the stadium and it was sold out and it's a big stadium, but you wouldn't know it by watching the ceremonies for a couple of reasons. One, it's very darkly lit. Like, I, I don't know, maybe there was a better way that they could have actually lit the stadium because it's only really visible in those overhead shots when you have fireworks going off and everything. But then the second part is you have the section where all the athletes sit and that's where they chose to have their camera focus for almost the entire ceremony, especially when the athletes are coming out. And even after all the nations have come out, even after Chile's out there and they've got their their swimmer and their, uh, I don't know what the other guy was, volleyball or something like that, and they're, everybody's cheering and the president's clapping, can't wait to get to that. Uh, we, we have them filing in and they're still filing in like as the cultural displays start over again. So you you basically never get to see this thing completely full because of where they chose to place this camera. It was just really bad production on that part. Uh, but yeah, the cauldron lighting was just, I, I, I don't want to knock it too much because there's a couple of interesting things about it, but yeah, the actual lighting, the cauldron was horrible. <laughs> uh, but the cool part about it is that you have all the athletes passing from one to one. And it was, uh, it was that tough, what five time Olympic swimmer who was the, the flag bearer for Chile, who was the first one to enter the stadium. And then you kind of go, one to the other and they're passing it off. And then the last two it gets to are these, uh, the, the, I guess technically the last two it gets to are those two tennis stars. And then you get the, the I'm going to say the oldest person to ever light a flame, period. <laughs> Which that may have been your first mistake because she also is the shortest person to ever light a flame. Uh, and I, I found it yesterday, but I've already forgotten what sport she was in. All I remember was that she was a silver medalist for Chile in 1951. Oh. This lady is 91 years old. Bless her. Now... I, I'm putting up there right now. She's the star of this opening ceremony just for surviving, for having a pulse at the end of it. She's <laughs> but, hanging on to life, Colin, to carry a cauldron into the opening ceremony of the Pan Am Games. I mean, but did she carry the cauldron in? Because if you if you torch, watch it, the two, the, the two torches, yeah, but the, the, the tennis stars, they basically hand it to her, and then they steady her hands as her hands are, like, trying to grip it, and they're moving her hands down. Like, no, 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 down here, down here. This is like and Calvary, they're basically where they're basically like, hey, you're in a wheelchair, you can't yeah. touch it, we're going to keep running past you. <laughs> yeah, now we know why they didn't give it to Rick Hansen in Calgary. They are afraid he wouldn't be able to grip it, I guess. Uh, but after she's finally got the grip that they have actually centered her hands on, she's basically being supported by these two men up to the flame as if they're they're carrying her and then they get there and maybe because they didn't realize oh this lady's like four foot nine i don't know if she's gonna be able to reach the center she gets it in there and then it's basically zoomed in and it's like no closer and you see it slowly slowly inching closer until it's suddenly like that's as close as you get hit the button hit the button uh yeah it was it was a disaster as far as the lighting of the cauldron goes but they got a 90-year-old woman literally almost carried up to the torch to light it, 
which kind of makes up for it in my mind. For Fernando Gonzalez, Nicholas Masu, and Lucy Lopez is her name. Lucy Lopez, that's who it now, was. Now, this is no disrespect to the great Chilean Lucy Lopez. I, I bless her cotton socks for being 91 and doing that. But she's 91. Let's be honest. She's, she's closer to the end than she is at the beginning. What better way to go out in life than like, light me on fire, guys. <laughs> Serve me into the cauldron. <laughs> Woof! Human sacrifice, Pan Am Games, make the news. Thomas Bach's in the crowd. It would have woken him up. Um, I mean, like, again, I'm not being disrespectful to her legacy, but, like, wouldn't, like, if I'm 91 and I'm an esteemed Chilean Pan Am's representative, what a way to go. Like, I mean, how is she going to die old age? Like, I mean, you remembered? There'll be a trivia question in, like, 30 years' time on who wants to be a millionaire who was a human sacrifice who opened the Pan Am Games. Like, I thought that's perfect. <laughs> That's more Are we sure she's not competing next week? No, hey, Bas yeah. Pelota hasn't started yet. So, um, you know, is she an artistic uh, roller skating? You know what? Th- this is the best thing about it. This four foot nine woman was Chile's first female medalist in high jump of all things. Oh, well, she could. Perfect. She could have, yeah, high jump into it. Just drop the torch as you're flying over. Oh, Lucy. <laughs> Where did we on. miss out? I. I found an article right here where they actually talked to you. Sorry, I, I, I said 91. She's 93 Keep talking. years Noah's old. Noah showed up, by the way. So just, Noah, you know. Noah. I wonder if they're what? at Bass Pelota. We got to start doing a count of the Bass Pelota crowds once we can actually see it. Where is it? Like, what? what is the oh, deal? This is so frustrating. I'm, I, I'm, I'm expecting... That, okay, CBC, you're not going to have it on the number one feed. So we have four feeds for CBC, which you've probably seen now, Ben. Uh, Feed number one, feed two, three, four, and they should all be airing different sports as long as there's different sports going on. And over the last couple days, I'm noticing a lot of doubling up. Feed one and feed two are both showing athletics at the same time, or they're both showing handball at the same time. Now, if you have a feed and you're just doubling up, just throw on basketball. I don't care. You know, just... And give me a separate feed. So then I'm trying to look on this Pan Am Sports, and they even have it sectioned off with all the different sports. Can't even find basketball on there. So I'm resorting to, let me find YouTube, see if anybody has it. I find one account, which is one of these, you can live stream it here by clicking the link yeah. in our bio. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Only to see that that same account has basically been suspended 24 hours later. I'm not even finding, like, is there a Facebook page where there's Basque fans in Chile who are posting nothing? There is literally nothing. Not even still images, but the results are online. I, I, I think this is bullshit. I don't think Basque exists. I think this is just like <laughs> the Yeti of sport. They're just like, yeah. oh, we've got this sport at the Pan Am Games. And then, like, you can't watch it because I can't find anything of it. I can tell you that Itel Reyes of Mexico beat Maria Araya. 2-0 in the women's front ball group A match. Started at 11 o'clock Australian time the other night. But, like, that, I mean, that's not a real score in a racket sport. 2 nothing. <laughs> like, I mean, is that meant to be a that's set? A score of everything. Is that, like, everything? Like, I mean, if that was a soccer match, 2 nothing, Fine. If that was a, a handball match, very low scoring, but fine. Like, tennis. Like, Jared, if you're tuning in to watch the great Argentinians battle with the Dominican Republic's in the, the Pan Am games, are you going to want to see a score of 2 nothing? No, you want to see two sets to nothing. But, like, what is this two? Like, what do you sit in a court? This sport doesn't exist. I'm telling you now, it's a ball. It's lie. Yeah. 
you're you're 100 right this is basically going to be by 2027 they're like oh we know that you said there was bass pelota but all i've seen is like a blurry photo online it looks like a guy in costume you know th this is not a real thing i want some some solid proof we're gonna have like MythBusters out there doing an entire special dedicated to it it's like we are here to prove whether bass pelota actually exists uh i just want to see that i want to see five seconds of bass pelota at the pan am games anything Jared, you you're also struggling to find content on this. Can you can you point us towards anything you know from from your 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 underground community of basketball followers? It's just nothing, and like Pan Am Sports Channel, like they're showing everything. Yeah, like triathlon, water polo, wrestling, fencing, volleyball, field hockey, basketball, canoe sprint, triathlon, all coming up. But basketball, no, nah, I I just don't know what's what have they done to the organizing committee. Like someone, someone from, from, uh, bus Pelota has really offended the organizing committee and they've just like completely blackballed them. And I really yeah. want to point out just the names of the events, which I know we touched on a couple of weeks ago, but let's just reiterate how fake these are now that we really think about it. <laughs> Doubles trinquet rubber ball, individual front on rubber ball, doubles front tennis and front ball fake. That, 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 that doesn't sound real. Like that's just some person's gone, oh, Let's add the, like maybe there's a quota that a Pan Am organizing committee is like, you must have 35 sports. And it's like, fuck, we've got 34. Uh, Basque Pelota sounds like a real sport. Yep. We'll just shove it in like an exhibition hall in the back and just put some people in there and oh, all the technical difficulties for 16 days of the games. Awkward. Show more athletics. Like, I'm worried that artistic roller skating isn't a real thing. If this doesn't exist in the coming days that we've got left of these sports, I'm going to cry. Big, heavy tears. Yeah, and Jerry, you're right when you said this is like, it's for the children. Like, <laughs> think about the children because you're bringing in new sports. You want to get exposure and you give it no exposure. Like, give it a, a recap. I watched those CBC recaps, uh, which they basically are dedicating two of them. They're like, they have one in the middle of the day and then they have one at the end of the day and it's like 20, 25 minutes each. I'm like, okay, all you need to do is just throw it and results in Baspelota, uh, the front ball was extraordinary and show me like one clip, but we get nothing out of it. Uh, it, it doesn't eat, like, I'm telling you now, it doesn't, it's all right. I'm listening, but it's like, remember last week when we tried to find a Canadian basketball loader association didn't exist. I've typed in basketball yeah. loader Australia doesn't exist. This sport doesn't exist. I'm telling you now, uh, this is a fake sport. Well, I'm holding out hope at the very least that synchronized trampoline we can get anything on because of, of all these sports, even the roller skating one, well, that would be great. I can't find anything about that. But uh, synchronized trampoline might be our one hope at this point. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find something on Baskalota by the end of this. Please year, but, do. Uh, if you're listening to uh, us and you're a Baskalota <laughs> fan, um, and hopefully not in Perth, but like just let us know your fake sport. We'd love to play it. I well, I, I think we just have to we have to make it our goal to have a basketball athlete on here, and they can point us towards where you can actually find this. Yeah, we'll, they, uh, we'll just we'll just get Kevin from the street. G'day, I'm Kevin. <laughs> do you play basketball? Yes. How do you do it? I don't know. I've never done it properly. The end. I am going to give some very real commentary here of basketball. Uh, which comes courtesy of AI Story Generator. Uh, so, <laughs> wow. Uh, That's what we're stuck to no, on this show. <laughs> we're asking AI. for Bass Pelota results from the Pan Am Games 2023. So we get, it was a momentous occasion, one that would be remembered for years to come. 
Uh, the Pan Am Games had to come to Madrid in 2023. Madrid is holding the Pan Am Games. The esteemed and the Latin Bas- American country in the Pan American region of Madrid, Spain. See, it's not just Baspolota that's imaginary. I mean, apparently the entire country of Chile is imaginary because it's actually in Madrid. Uh, the Abbas Pelota event was the highlight of the day. So show it on the highlights. Uh, the competition was fierce, with teams from all over the world vying for the gold medal. Every point was fought for with intensity. And the spectators were on the edge of their seats in anticipation. Show us the spectators, anything. Uh, when the dust settled, it was the Spanish team that emerged victorious. Oh. The Spanish team at the Pan Am Games, stealing our Pan American medals. Led by the veteran Juan Perez, he had done it, winning a gold medal in Baspolota at the Pan Am Games. The Spanish team joyously celebrated their win, and the crowd cheered in appreciation. For Juan, it was a momentous achievement, and when he received his gold medal, the crowd erupted in thunderous applause. Juan was the hero, and his team had brought glory to their country. The basketball results from the Pan Am Games 2023 would be remembered for years to come. Uh, that's why we can't find it. It's it's the wrong Pan Am Games we're watching. We're supposed to be watching the one in Madrid. They've just literally gone the most generic sounding Spanish name. They've just gone the John Smith of Spain. <laughs> Juan Perez won the goal. But for, who did they beat? Who did Spain beat? Like Afghanistan? It doesn't even say. Um, yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> I think you need to tell. I think you need to tell Chat GPT off. Like, uh, no, I said Pan Am Games. You dickhead. I, if we could get like a picture, an AI generated picture of the basketball results of Juan Perez and <laughs> Madrid winning this, that would be amazing. Uh, moving on for Baspelota. <laughs> Have anybody heard about this? The race walk uh, controversy about the short course. If I make a news, break, break, Jared knows about this. So uh, during the race walk, it was announced that a world record was made, significantly made by like several minutes in the, the woman's race walk, only for them to discover afterwards because the, the woman who won the gold medal, she had basically said something was definitely off. Like I was like way ahead of my best time ever, even by one or two kilometers. And then they they realized after the event ended that they had mismeasured the course yeah. by at least a couple kilometers, uh, resulting in world record times being made and wow. because of this, the sad thing is it doesn't change results because the, the person came first, still came in first, but uh, qualifying for the Olympics and stuff like that is wiped out. And uh, this this is basically like biggest embarrassment. I, I can't imagine anything in the Olympics that actually tops this. So the games Sorry came we were true off by when we did the 100 meter track, the 98 meter track from the TV show, the games came true. That's basically what it was. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm I'm saying this right now. Uh, the winner, which was a Peru athlete, Kimberly Garcia, uh, for at least a brief amount of time, she was by far a world record that would never be surpassed. Athlete of the games. Right she there. is my athlete of the games. And either way, because you win and then you you have now this this like black mark on your win, which is really, it, it makes no difference as far as the, oh, the overall. Well, exactly. But but you you could have, I don't know what her time would have been, but maybe she would have had Olympic qualification time and now that's been taken away. But um, definitely running Usain Bolt speeds here or walking Usain Bolt speeds. Uh, Jared, I'll let you talk about this first because you actually did hear about this. I just love it so much. And like Ben said, it immediately made me think of the games. It's like that whole like art imitating life. Um, that's so good. She beat the world record by like nine minutes. <laughs> like, like it's not like she beat it by like you know a couple of seconds of like oh we have to check the tape like nine minutes she beats the world record by like 
I think something might be up here. Like, <laughs> How, like okay, so this is a 20-kilometer walk and you beat it by nine minutes. Like, did she only walk, yeah. like, eight kilometers or something? Like, well, I, mean, there's, I don't there's know how you, like they, how you can be off by that much, like, three kilometers. Like, you could, you could understand, like, over, like, 20 kilometers. Oh, we've, yeah. we've mis- mismeasured. It's 100 meters shorter or something. But to be off by, like, three kilometers is just amazing. The fact that, yeah, yeah. Kimberly Garcia has this gold medal in the 17-kilometer race walk now. Um, that no one else will ever like repeat is just three it's so awesome. Three kilometers but, short. It was three kilometers short. How do you get three? Well, like it's not thirty centimeters. It's three. Kilo- that's a hundred meters. He's like twenty meters. The same bolt does it in one point eight seconds. Done. Here's the here's the best part about this is that it was actually eleven minutes ahead of the world record, <laughs> and. 11 different competitors broke the world record before somebody was like, oh, maybe we screwed up here. You got 11 new world records here. Like The poor previous world record holder just dropped out of the top 10 over the course of a few minutes. I'm like, how does something like this happen? There are only 15 people in this race. I reckon we could have got a gig in this. I mean, for God's sake. We would have broken the world record. Congratulations to Kimberly Garcia for winning the 17-kilometre race walk. I mean, I don't know what the world record is in the 17-kilometre new event they just added. Like, what? Like at what point are the, the officials sitting around Going, oh, oh, geez, she's doing all right. This is, we're going to make the news. Like, I mean, world record. She crosses the line. She's all like, hey, nine, nine minutes. Fuck, I, I ate my wheat bix this morning. I did really, really well. At what point does somebody have to get the old measuring stick out and go, hey, hey, Jim, Jim, come here. <laughs> so there's been a problem. You know how they're meant to do 12 laps? Yeah, they should have done 13. Shit. Don't tell anyone. Just, uh, you know, quick, cover it up, run away. I'm- I'm just waiting for Evan Dunphy's take on this because you know he's going to have a hot one. Uh, Rossi, uh, did you hear about this? Do you have any opinions on it? Could you have beat the world record? I mean, I set the pace, so <laughs> obviously. Uh, no, I, I, I did hear about this. Uh, I mean, I, I was going to bring it up in the sense of, like, I don't really know what this means because I, I saw that she couldn't really qualify. Like, it doesn't count her qualification for the Olympics. Like, what does that mean for any of these That's people? Not- Are they, like... There. Out? Yeah, like, well, is- they, they're going to have to go to something else now, you know, uh, uh, world championships or whatever, or or base it on. Because, I mean, this could be, there could have been a personal best for several of these people too. So now their personal best will never be recognized. Take it. I, I say take know, it. Yeah. Like, what was the guy out there doing? I feel like he was out there with like a trundle wheel and he's like counting the meters and he just lost count like yeah. at some point. And sure at one point, a rock the- got cut underneath <laughs> yeah. it. Stop spinning. <laughs> which, which I love. I love reading here. The uh, the organizers of the largest multi-sport events in the continent said in a statement that the times were old due to a measuring problem. They blamed the Association of Pan American Athletics. What they're saying? What saying? We regretfully informed there was a measuring system, but those bastards at the Association of Pan American Athletics are to blame. Like that's very like straight away. Wow, that's yeah. um. Just- uh, Imagine being the coach and like you're getting these like times back and your splits and you're like, oh my gosh, she's gone out way too fast. Like she's gonna kill herself. <laughs> well, I, I I feel sorry for the uh, the actual world record uh, holder, uh, China Zhaozhu Yang. She's probably sitting at home on like a Saturday. Like, look, who gives a fuck about the Pan Am game? She's off like I don't know, like having a lovely bike ride. She's probably hanging out with a partner, like having a picnic. Text comes in. It's like, oh, by the way, Ms. Yang, uh, your world record got beaten by nine minutes. 
and and over almost a dozen people beat it. <laughs> you talked about the, the mascot thing. Um, yeah. Thing? That was such a bit. That was clearly a bit. I don't, don't think it was don't a bit. Don't take away from the right, beauty of pew, pew, pew. Few, let, few, let's, few. Let's, let's, let's go with context here in case people didn't catch it, but apparently uh, most most people didn't. Uh, so there's a great moment. They had like the volunteer segment and Few is out there doing his little dance, which is like, wow, this, this thing can barely move. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just just bopping back and forth. Uh, and then they decide they want to award a medal. They're going to go the, the, honor of Chewbacca. Uh, we are going to give a medal to the person we can't fit a medal around the neck of. Uh, which basically was the the whatever the president of the Pan American Association, whoever he was, uh, taking the medal, and then as Fuse ducking down, oh, and, and if and I would believe it was a bit if they maybe exaggerated a bit more. He was like, "Let me try to fit this on your head," but instead he's basically, like, uh, "Did nobody realize this thing's not going to fit on its head?" And then Few is like sticking the little the little feather out. Go, oh, just stick it on here. And then even still, the guy's like. He actually turns at one point, and one of the three screenshots I sent you is he basically turns to the camera and like, <laughs> somebody's getting fired for this. And then he basically barely finds a way to nudge this metal, the strap of the metal, into the grip of wherever the, the, the person the few costume could grip onto this thing. And then you get this eruption of applause. I mean, it was hilarious one way or the other, but I'm saying this... this I watched it and this just seemed like the greatest blooper ever. I saw like a bit of it on the highlights package, but I'm saying right now we have undersold the shit out of this bird because I've found Few's yeah. Instagram page <laughs> and Few is on stage with a DJ basically break dancing uh, on oh. stage. This is amazing. How have we only discovered this right now? And I love the fact that poor old Few is right now on his Instagram or they, their Instagram, apologies, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's gender. <laughs> And I'm watching here's the fan footage of this medal trying to be put onto it right now. It's nodding. It's bending down. <laughs> the guy in the background is going, what the fuck is happening right now? And poor old Fuse <laughs> waiting for this medal. And the old guy's just going, ah, I can't do it. And it's about to have a cry. Like, give Few a medal. And then when Few got the medal, though, honestly, that was the biggest applause I heard for the entire night. It's just um, a freaking wing. It's, a, it's, a, it's not even like you could have just wrapped it around the wing, but instead he's gripping it from underneath the costume. However, he could, you know, get his vice grip on this thing. It's amazing. It was better than any moment I have seen in any Olympic opening or closing ceremonies and who knows how long. Oh, I it's had like to a share cat. With you. It's rubbing up against people like, oh. Oh, yeah. I, I, there was another part. I don't know if it was during this part too, but uh, there was another part where I think maybe just before this when they were just talking about Few. And let's not forget Few. Few came up and it's like he gave it a beak kiss to the, the, the Pan American Association president or whatever. He comes up and basically looks like he pecks him with his beak. <laughs> this I, the, bird's amazing. The, pitch, the pictures that I love here is just the fact that you've got this like Chilean like, yes, Santiago, we've done so good. And he's like, he's prepared so much for this speech. I'm sure he's stayed up late at night writing down, what am I telling the Pan American Games closing ceremony? I'm handed over to Colombia. This is going to be a big deal. And the photo is just few standing right next to him. Just there, just like chilling. <laughs> yeah. If I do not, like in, in, in a sad moment next year when Thomas Bach farewells the IOC, if Frege is not standing next to Thomas Bach next year at the Stade de France, Paris 2024 is a failure. This is the best picture I've ever seen. Where was Bing Dwen Dwen? next to the Beijing 
organizing guy last year. Yeah. Or Thomas Bach. Like, they made they made few a star. Rossi, I'll get some more opinions on the closing ceremonies in a minute. But Jared, you got to give us your ticket of this because you're you're the mascot guy, especially mascot bloopers. What do you think of this? I've come around so like I've done such like a one eighty on few. Like obviously, I was very much team uh, like old man chameleon, um, yeah. geriatric chameleon. Like I still think it was potentially a missed opportunity, but you like didn't get stuck in any doorways but like the comedian comedic moments of like this huge like bird body and then these like really like tiny stick like human legs like beneath as well i feel like is the perfect combination of like able to move but awkward enough and can get stuck like he's doing dances at like all these things and like moving his feet and stuff but just this like massive body that's like inconvenient is just so good it gets better few share this with rossi too Few yeah, is doing sure. judo on Instagram. Like this is incredible. I don't know if Rocky, I shared this with you. You're about to see. There's 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 a video or a photos here of few on stage with like a children's wiggle style group and puppets. Um, I mean, what else to love? Few's walking down a corridor. Isn't like a in a, a thing. He's going down. I don't know what he's doing. He's going swimming. Few's about to go. It's a synchronized swimming. Oh. <laughs> This is even better. Oh my god! Can we? This can is our we, backup for athlete of the games, mascot of the games. Can we revote uh, this and can we get ourselves? Like, I, I want the Pan Am's website to work because I need one of these for Christmas. This is. I'll order it. Almost better I'll than ship being it Dwayne to you. Dwayne. This is incredible. Because yeah. I, I do have mascots uh, still sitting here because I got all my muck mucks and everything that I got to send to to you, Jared and Ben R- Rossi. Maybe I'll get uh, uh, something for you too. I got lots of mascots sitting around here, but. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to order a few, and then uh, I will get one, Please. put in all my kids' stockings, and then everybody on the show can have one of you these. Can, although, although breaking news in the few, uh, if you go to the Pan Am website, you can actually do an origami of few. So there's a printout that we can all make little cardboard fews. Ooh. The moment of defeat and kind of what's what do you go back into the locker room? Like, does the coach sit you down? Is it just kind of a, you know, talk through things? Or do you just need to sort of take a moment for yourself to just kind of digest what happened and then take that time, as you said, to eventually let it kind of hit you to work out where things went wrong in that bout? Well, after I fought, I was pretty much uh, by myself back at the Australian, uh, you know, little area, relaxing. But, yeah, it was in that moment where I was like, you know what? fuck this, fuck everyone, fuck, you know, absolutely everything. I was just sitting there. I didn't care what I looked like, what I was doing. I was just being me, all colours, everything. And I was like, I'm just going to sit back and do whatever I want because I thought I'm sad right now. So I don't really care what happens after this. But it wasn't until, you know, when we finished, like the last Taekwondo person finished uh, competing and myself and Reba, we were hanging out with the um, other athletes and she, she ended up going off. And then that's when I started hanging out with like the table tennis and other tennis players and creating those kind of memories that I look back on where, okay, I, I enjoyed myself, you know, amongst all that sadness, I still managed to enjoy being there celebrating with the other athletes who they just lost as well. You know, they lost in their tournaments, their competitions. So it made me feel a bit better about mine. But I, 
I really like hearing that honesty with that, Stacey, because I think there are times in life where shit happens and you need to have those fuck this moments where you're just like, I don't care, I need this. Be it, I'm going to go out and eat a shit ton of McDonald's because I've got to keep my weight at this time for all this time. I'm going to go drink fucking 50 beers because like, fuck it, I never get to do this. But one, I'm not condoning this every day, but I'm just saying like there are moments where you need that. So I like that honesty where you can admit that because that's not something I think that we sometimes hear athletes say, but we all need it as human beings psychologically sometimes. Yeah, look, I'm sure all the other athletes can agree. Once you've lost, you you ain't the prettiest. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone can become a little bit of a sore loser here and there. Like it just happens. And that's just a way of like sometimes that's the way of like coping with such a big loss as such. Like when you lose a small competition, no worries, it's fine. But when you put all that effort in, you know, that's a loss in itself and you've got to go through those processes. Was there one thing that maybe it is a McDonald's, maybe it is a beer, like is there something that because you're so strictly tightened to your diet that as soon as you lost, you're like, I want a Big Mac, I want a Big Mac now, just just shovel it down my throat, put 50 down there, I want them all. Yes, Maccas. <laughs> nugs, yeah. give me like 50 nugs, right? <laughs> Everything, pizza, pasta. Uh, honestly, as soon as like my favorite thing is always coming back home from competition and just going out for dinner, pizza, pasta, finish it off with some Maccas on the way home, like whatever so it is, ice cream. Okay. Because Maccas wasn't at Tokyo though, was it? That, I think it was, was that, I believe, the first Summer Olympics in a while that McDonald's wasn't in the village. Yeah, I was so looking forward to it as well. But luckily, they did have these. Egg sandwiches. Ah, <laughs> right. Okay. There was something at least to make that up because I, I I think McDonald's is still a sponsor of the Olympics. So I don't know why they're not. Maybe it's just getting too healthy. Like if I'm an Olympian and you you get eliminated, you're shitty. That's the first thing I want to see, the golden arches. Load me up with the nugs. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that my, our, my coach, so my coach back at home, he went to another games previously and he was just saying like, the Mac is, it's endless. Like you have to go. And there's always you a go line to- apparently. Yeah. I always hear there's always, yeah. that's the biggest line, right? Is it McDonald's? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we found out there was no Mac is, we were a little bit disappointed. Like, come on. Like, I worked my ass up in the Olympics for free Maccas. Come on. That's the only reason I'm here. <laughs> Bugger the free Samsung phone. I want my McDonald's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. A secret game, which I'm so fascinated to hear more about, Tate, because like, I'm not even going to, I don't even want to introduce this. Tell, tell people about this because this, talking about that confidence, to, to have this sort of secret team formed that they think would be capable to go to an Olympics, I mean, that must even affect that even more. Yeah, so sometime in 98, I believe, uh, there was a, a new sports channel called, uh, it was something to do with Channel 7, I can't remember C7. the name. Of C7? C7, that's yeah. right, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, they wanted to do a reality show kind of handball team um, and, and document the whole process of developing elite level athletes from other sports into a handball team that will represent Australia at the Olympic Games. So this was a secret project that we'd never heard of. Um, and suddenly one day we're at a training camp and someone 
heard a rumor that there was going to be these athletes who were going to be representing Australia at the Olympic Games, and we were going to be just shafted. And we were we, we were anxious. We, we, were, we wanted to know what was going on. So we started asking questions, and no one really knew. And then suddenly, that coach comes forward and says, we have to play this training game against um, a bunch of ex-athletes. But um, yeah, uh, they'd been training. I'm not sure who was even coaching them. So uh, one day in Sydney, this, this group of players shows up to a camp that we were playing in, and we were told that we had to play them in a training match. So the cameras were there. Everyone was there. Damien Keo was, I think, leading the project. Um, we had, uh, I remember, quite a lot of players from basketball. But these were elite athletes um, who were probably finishing their sporting careers. So these are like, and these are like, like say, NBL level players. These aren't just like lower sort of grade. These are actual professional, like, and because there were Aussie rules players, weren't there? Rugby players, cricket players as well. So these were like people who were at the top of their their games being recruited to try and make an Olympic team. Top level athletes that you see on TV all the time. You know, yeah. uh, the best of the best. You know, and you know we. <laughs> I don't know. Some of the guys wanted even autographs during this training games. It was it was that kind of atmosphere. So they came like a wow. like a, like a big sh- big show. Um, I remember Mark McGaw, who was a, a famous rugby player, and he was my height, but he was twice my 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 width. He was a solid guy. Um, Langford from AFL, Damien yeah. Keogh. It was wow. a few cricket players that I can't recall their names. So it was it was a big lineup of athletes, and they were bigger than us. They were. You know, probably more athletic than us too. And, you know, they warmed up on their side. We warmed up on ours. The match started and it was chaos. It was a mess. <laughs> they they lacked the basics of handball. I mean, handball is all basic skill. It's just throwing, catching, jumping. It, it's 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 not that difficult a sport to play. But, you know, when you play other sports for so long, you, you lose those natural skills, I guess. So they had, uh, they, 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 they didn't even have the basic skills of, of proper throwing. They couldn't throw and jump at the same time. So, but they were solid. And in defense, they they were really physical. They they loved to hit from the side, from the back, from anywhere they could. Uh, and I remember there was one incident where Mark McGall gets the ball running at full speed, probably traveled, made five or six steps without bouncing, ran straight into me. It was like a train hit you. Wow. I felt back. I went up to the coach and said, I'm out. I'm not going to do this anymore. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> because I was, it was real risk of injury. Um, yeah. And I think after, I mean, we won that game very easily. It was, I was going to say, you creamed them right. Like. <laughs> it, was not even a, it was not even a contest. You know, we won it very easily. They, they barely managed to score a goal, I think. And then that's when they realized, no, nah, this is not going to work. Let's pull the plug on this. That's, I mean, it's just... It's an insult. Surely that is a massive insult to think that your sport is so capable of just having a bunch of put-togethers from different sports to come in and that this is a team we're going to put to the Olympics. I mean, I can't think of any other sport that they would want to do that with. I mean, that's incredible that they even thought that was a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it came from a a place of ignorance because they had heard that, you know, this team of, you know, made-up expats who were not athletes of any kind because um, they've heard all the stories, so they thought, yeah, we have a crack at this. You know, we, if we beat the Australian men's team, we, we, we have a serious crack at being Olympians because our sports never provided that, you know, yeah. and never provided that opportunity. So uh, I think they were seriously considering that this is going to be a, a viable option for them. And was but, that, you know, so that we've been was training the, for. So I was just going to say, yeah. so that was the TV network, that was the idea. This wasn't like the Australian Olympic Committee or something like this. This was just like a TV network's idea. 
not that I'm aware of. I think it was just C7 that was running right. this project, and they and they just wanted to document a story, a feel good story that was going to say in the end, amazing. You know, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what the angle really was, but um, and after that, we C7 had had a contract with Australian Handball, so they continued to support us, and they covered the 1999 World Championship, and Damien Keogh that became a really close friend of um, the national handball team and a big supporter of us. And I think he had more respect for us eventually, yes. It's a bit of a silver lining that, you know, while this was kind of almost a bit of an insult, they still then took that and were like, okay, well, we'll support you guys. We respect you a little bit more now in the lead up to the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, we'd been a national team playing, training and playing together for about five, six years leading to that. You know, we, we were serious athletes. You know, we weren't just, you know, nobodies. Yeah. Just because we didn't have a name, we were still athletes. Do you allow yourself a moment though, Ellen? Like, was there a moment that it was kind of like a, I'm an Olympian? Like, this is this eight-year-old dream that I had back in Stadium Australia in 2000 that all of a sudden, like, I mean, even now sitting there wearing the Olympic rings on your shirt, I mean, does it feel, do you say I'm an Olympian now? Yeah, now I do. It took me quite a while, I think, too, because we didn't know or I didn't know I was going to be Olympian until two weeks before the Olympics. Mm. So I think, like, I had the realisation, but it didn't really sink in totally for me until probably weeks or months after and seeing it all because it all happened so fast and then being there and competing and then being in the village, like, that was amazing. That was probably the first moment where I was like, wow, I'm here, like the, our building was all decked out in green and gold. Like our Australian Olympic Committee did an amazing job making our building feel so special, which I think was the the one of the highlights for me. Um, so that was probably the moment where I was like, well, I'm, I'm here, I did it. But now too, I every now and then remind myself like, huh, I did it. Like that's pretty cool. And it actually – motivates me and inspires me every day to to keep bettering myself and reaching new levels and wanting to be better because I have that extra motivation of I did that so now I can do even more. Fantastic. You went a long way from getting a little yellow suitcase as an eight-year-old to all of a sudden probably like five suitcases with the green and gold uh, clothing. That I mean, I'd be like you. I'd never take it off. I'd be wearing that all the time. And you know what? That little eight-year-old girl would never have taken this shirt off ever or any of it. Probably would have slept in it for, for years because I was like, you know, so in awe of that whole experience. I had the posters on my wall probably till I went to college. Like I had all the stuff on the walls since I, till I left home. Nothing wrong with that. That makes me happy. On that note, I'd love to sort of hear just how you got involved in the sport, Joe, because, uh, again, not a sport that maybe many Canadians sort of it's their first choice instead of maybe a, a hockey stick or some skis or something like that. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. So same uh, issue we have here in Canada and probably in Australia. 
and uh, I was just very lucky and fortunate. I went to this um, sort of all boys uh, French school in Montreal, which happened to have um, a fencing program that was top class, one of the best in the country. And trying out for that team was actually, you know, like you're trying out for the hockey or basketball team. Everyone wanted to try and get there because you're 12 years old going into the school and you see a fencing demonstration. And, you know, I've liked Zorro and Star Wars in the past. And then you see the sport live. And you see a bunch of uh, kids hitting each other over the head and getting applauded for it instead of being punished for it. You're like, what's the catch here? Like, this is everything I've ever dreamed of as a kid. So everyone went to try out for it. Um, and I got, you know, I got quite lucky making the team because um, the first step for qualifying was actually, it was, there were so many people trying out that he had to eliminate some people. And it was a two-week trial. And uh, the first one was everyone has to run one mile. Uh, and whoever doesn't run a mile, they don't even get to try out for the team. So it was an outside race. And at the time I was, you know, a little bit, not as, uh, not as good at the long distances. I was much better at sprinting and, um, but I'd never really run a mile and I don't think I would have made it. Uh, so I was very scared for that first tryout and I was thinking about it the whole day. And you know, what happened was my math class ran a little bit late, like an extra 15 minutes after the, the end of class. So I ran out there trying to make it. I was like, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to get cut anyway. Maybe he'll make me run it, you know, alone in front of everyone. It's going to be embarrassing, but you know, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. And I got there. I saw kids crying on the floor who hadn't completed it, who were already cut. And uh, the coach was coming in. He's like, everyone has to go inside now for the second part. Whoever made it, we're going to start the first, you know, fencing training ever uh, for the, the two-week trial. And he looked at me and he said, you're cut. You missed the training year. You're not going to make the team. And I said, listen, my math class ran late. Can I run it now or later or something? I, I promise I'll, I'll confirm that that's what happened. So he said, okay, I'm going to have to confirm that with you for now. Just come inside. I'm going to make you run it the rest sometime this week and confirm that this, what you're saying is true. Uh, I'm glad he had a very bad memory because uh, he <laughs> never made me run it for the, the, the remaining two weeks, uh, but saw that I had a uh, good skill in fencing and some potential. Uh, so maybe he forgot on purpose, but uh, for me, that was like a miracle. Uh, I, I, I believed it was truly a miracle. And when the final selection of 20 people was made, um, you know, there were about 60 of us that tried out, 20 made it. I told myself, this miracle, I can't take it for granted. So I'm going to make sure I, I show that I deserve to be on this team. And I'm never going to quit this sport until everyone else, the other 19 people quit before me. Wow. And that was always uh, something I had in my head over years. Whenever I had obstacles, injuries, you know, you're getting older and the parties are happening. And, you know, you're 17, 18, when a lot of times people stop. There was still some two, three other kids that were super talented in that group that kept going as well and i told myself i really just can't uh stop until i am the last one standing and it took me around 13 years uh to be the last one of that group uh to to, to be fencing and uh, actually what kept me going through a lot of uh tough times and obstacles so very interesting way to stay motivated but you know it worked <laughs> what an incredible story that's it's almost a real sliding doors moment because imagine if perhaps that teacher didn't say oh no no bad excuse i'm not going to give you a second chance i mean who knows if you might have pursued it from there unreal and you know he was he, he gave me that opportunity to get into this sport and was my coach for the next seven to eight years uh and uh you know i owe him a lot so uh you know sometimes people are put in your path at certain times in your life uh that uh sort of change the course of your life and the trajectory of your life and i think that was one of them So, uh, all this will probably fall into the commentary, but like the, the one man um, Egyptian team, uh, 
the, the con this, oh, this transit i don't want to forget do. about this but the, Please do. the comment about that's uh, like oh he just spent however many weeks out in the sahara desert <laughs> fighting snakes and lizards mm-hmm. his father took him there to become a man <laughs> yeah, i love these got these lines like bet you weren't expecting to see them here now yeah. were you <laughs> now let's let's read out some other gems from uh good old jim mckay let's start off with greece greece uh yep They've never had any importance. At the Winter Olympics, that is. <laughs> never won a medal. Good save there. Good save there, Jim. Um, he also all of a sudden is like, oh, they're moving a lot quicker than the rehearsal. Uh, so he was getting a bit fed up. He was trying to read his facts out. He couldn't do like a Ruba Jamaica because they were going too fast. There we go. Um, he uh, then goes, what is he the bit there? when he's like, oh, and they've got fabulous mountains. And that means chili. And then, like, Chile weren't even on the screen. So I'm like, okay, what are you doing there? Um, when he said Egypt, not expecting to see them, then were you? Then you got Finland. And Finland, they're always here. <laughs> <laughs> but then maybe the two favorite bits. We have slightly racist, Jim. So uh, Italy. Oh, yes. And they're all from the southern part of the country. They've all got very German-sounding names. <laughs> it's like, okay, Jim, don't know what you're doing with that. And then maybe my best, the best one of all time, Iceland. Yes, and they've never won a medal, and they certainly won't here. (laughs) (laughs) There's multiple YouTube comments on that one line. That seems to be the favorite. (laughs) I didn't even read you like, Dick Jim to Iceland. Um, I was like, what's going on there? Why are we anti-Iceland? Have you watched them in the Junior Goodwill Games? They're a powerhouse. I found my note here about the Egyptian one after he said his father took him out there to make him a man. He goes, wow, should do fine on the slopes. Yeah. <laughs> and I love his explanation with America. Sad. That means America. Like, I think he actually <laughs> said, apparently it does. Um, Jared, do you pick any other nuggets up on Jim's commentary? <gasps> Nothing else, but I just love how it's so unexpected. Like it cuts through. Like he goes from like his like a grandpa moment about <laughs> Margaret knitting him a sweater to just tearing <laughs> these countries apart, and then like trying to like I like I love the moment with Greece of like the like backtrack of like oh like I better like check myself and and call out that like they're okay at the the Summer Olympics, but it was just um, <laughs> uh, he's great throughout because it is just so like so unexpected and it comes out of nowhere, which I which I really appreciate. <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, we've got to close this out because uh, about a week and a half ago, we, we finally we finally did what we've been teasing to do for a long time. We finally revealed our child of this show. Somebody on the show actually has children, but as he said, he now has four children. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, a character or a person, a man, a, 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 an object that has been birthed many years ago through one act of sheer desperation and, and tantrumism and then out of that from the ashes came our new beloved son cherry everyone get your chairs out there he is come on jared <laughs> chairs out for the end of the episode oh what a moment how are we feeling that he's been announced to the world it's a happy day was it like birth- seeing the birth of your children colin Oh, it's better than the birth of my children because he's quiet. Uh, <laughs> he never makes a peep. Yours, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
this this is fantastic like i don't think the design could have been any funnier i don't know how many times i've looked at like even the the social media post you put up you know that that was my picture i got that taken i obviously seen it before but i'm just looking at my phone i'm laughing i'm sure jimmy just look at this thing it's hilarious <laughs> like, you can't stop laughing he just he looks so happy at being so broken down and, and defeated um he's he's got his headband on here which by the way the headband you could adjust it in case oh. the sun's getting in his eyes <laughs> exactly this is the your greatest COVID, gift I've ever given myself. COVID cherry. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> got a mask on. Um, he's a bit Michael Jackson-y there. Um, I mean, Jared, he was on your shelf. You've got his pride and place. And people, when they come over to, to your house now, are they just like in awe of, of cherry? <laughs> they are amazed. Um, once the like shock horror leaves, then, then I think they appreciate it. I just love him so much. I love that he can't stand up properly. It's he's so like gangly. Um, I think when it like arrived in the past, when I was just like like this, like this or whatever, I'm like he's competing in the gymnastics, most flexible chair ever. Um, uh, just so much joy. I, I know we don't release these as video episodes. We'll obviously maybe put this up on social media just so people can see what we're doing. But basically, we we contacted this uh, soft toy manufacturer in the US about. They said like we make anything into a soft toy, like anything. All right, challenge accepted. So I sent them a design and they literally wrote back and said, sorry, we can't do that. And I'm like, why? It's like, because he wouldn't be able to stand up by himself. And I'm like, it's kind of the point. We don't care. Yeah. I'm like, well, if you don't care that it can support yourself, we can try and look at the beautiful thing this is. Now, I would love to say that we're going to start selling these. Um, truth be told, it would be very expensive if we were to start <laughs> selling these. So if you genuinely want one, if you genuinely want a cherry, contact us it is very expensive and that is not us making money off it it is the process of getting one made not cheap so by all means i'm happy to hook you up but you're gonna need some money but we are looking in the future of doing some form of merchandise pins t-shirts something because we want to share cherry the world because not only do we want to share cherry the world the former fastest man in the world wants to share because yes. colin quickly touched <laughs> it we shared the photo during the week the the the, yeah. the legendary man himself, Donovan Bailey, has touched Cherry with, a, he has, with consent. This cherry. With consent. With consent. Yes. Well, I was my consent. I guess technically the consent. Uh, he's fine with it. No, Cherry's all good. <laughs> yeah. No. Donovan Bailey had his uh, new autobiography that just came out, and uh, he did like a book event here. He, he did a Q and A, and then uh, uh, signed books. I wish I'd had more time to talk to him to get an interview done. I should Cherry should be telling this story. Donovan <laughs> Bailey was here. We hire a voice actor to do an animated series. Hello. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we not auditions for Cherry's voice. Uh, maybe the winner gets a Cherry Johnny Weir. or something. Can we like just that. get Johnny Weir back on. Johnny the show? Weir will do it. Johnny <laughs> Weir, Cherry, will come do it. on. But uh, basically, there were so many people there, and there was only like so much time before the store closed. So they're pushing people in, like cattle. Like, okay, you, you, you got to <laughs> get in there, make Donovan Bailey. Give me, your, give me your phone. We'll take the picture. Be very quick or whatever. Uh, so I get up there. I'm just like, I have an odd request for you. And he's signing the book, and I'm basically describing it's like a, a, it's an Olympic podcast. We're we're launching a chair, and he's like, okay. And he's still signing the book, so he's not looking up. So so you're looking to make a mascot? I'm like, no, we made a mascot. This is it. And he looks at it, he goes, oh. Okay. And I'm like, can we just get a picture with you? And they go, oh, all right. And so I've got it there. And he's like, I'm just going to let him sit on the end of the table there. And then he starts flopping all over the place. <laughs> Cherry's falling over. And I'm like, it doesn't really stand. And maybe I'll just hold it here. And then he's looking at it as the person's taking the picture, of course, before waiting that he's actually looking at the camera. And I can tell Donovan is looking at, 
what is this thing I'm looking at? And I'm like, it's a chair. He goes, oh, it's a chair. Picture snap. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. That is the most cherry reaction we ever want to get. Like these poor oh, things. it's they, a chair. They got thrown on the floor. <laughs> Because one of us couldn't accept that Penny Alexiak didn't get the we 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 still need like we obviously had greatly had Penny on the show we need to get Penny a, a yes. cherry somehow but it is yeah. now my goal at the time of recording this I have not done any interviews with anybody since Cherry has been announced time of recording this I am doing a few this week so my new question alongside Meatloaf is they are going to be shown Cherry and they are going to react to Cherry so. What is it? What like what is it? What do you think? How do you think this represents the Olympics and the Olympic podcast? And when I'm in Paris next year, this is going to be awkward to carry around Paris with me at the Olympics. So I'm going to try and get something else that's better. Sorry, Cherry, you still can come to Paris. It's all right. You can come to Paris. It's fine. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get Olympians with this. All right. This is this is our new goal. All right. So Jared, Colin, you're out and about. You see an Olympian? Cherry him. Yeah. Just throw a chair. Don't throw a chair. <laughs> Emma McKean, I love you, Paul. No, we need Emma next year in Paris. But this is our new, our new, new goal moving forward. Everyone, as many Olympians as possible. Does he grab? Look how you grab him. You just grab him by the cherry, cherry. That's what Colin to recreate. Oh, Penny Alexiak, Penny Alexiak. Oh, look at him. Oh, he's so cute. That period then, we get to the end of 2021, you make your World Cup debut, and from there, you ultimately will qualify for Beijing, which again, we will touch on. Th- that period, though, from the World Cup to the qualification, how confident were you at that point that this was going to happen, that you were going to be able to make those Olympics? Yeah, at that point, I knew, like, I had, I knew Australia's, like, criteria. I knew my world rank was kind of on the bubble to, like, automatically qualify me. But it was just a matter of, like, continuing to build off last season and, like, chip away at my world rank and get some good results. But, yeah, after I made my debut in Solden, I then went and raced Killington. And to be completely honest with you, now looking back on it, I definitely wasn't ready for that. I, but... The season before was like a weird COVID year where there were no NORAMs and we like were in Europe. And it was, it felt like I had missed like this crucial part in like a skier's like progression where you actually start to win races and then you go to the next level. It was like the year before COVID or like the COVID, the year COVID hit the 2020 season, I was like starting to chip away at it and I was like getting close and then COVID hit then we didn't have any like NORAMs and that those kind of races. And I was comp- still competing against the same girls. I just didn't have the wins and the podium finishes next to my name, even though I was competitive with the girls that were winning the year before. So I definitely didn't think I was ready in the moment. I thought I was, but looking back, I definitely wasn't ready to compete at the World Cup level. But I did know that if things traded positively, that Beijing was definitely in the cards. And then I actually tore my MCL uh, in December before... Beijing and at that point I was like oh I don't know if I'll be back in time to race to solidify my spot before Beijing like it's going to come down to like whether or not I can create the own spot myself and so that was a little bit stressful I not a little bit that was nearly the most stressed and anxious I've been in my entire life just because I couldn't do anything I was trying to heal 
I didn't want to race too soon because like that's dangerous, but it was just this whole thing. So, yeah. It's, I guess it's also one of those things where you're being told a lot of different angles from doctors and, and all that, because, because you're so young and you're this close to an Olympics, there's kind of that balance I can imagine. Like I, I'm this close. I can taste the Olympics there in a couple of months versus you're young. You've got another three, four Olympics in you. I, I mean, kind of what is that where it's really challenging as well, balancing the the kind of doing more damage to your body to go to one Olympics versus give up on these Olympics and focus on another five years instead of, you know, two months away. No, it definitely is. And ultimately like that was a big part of it for me. I was, getting back on snow around end of December, beginning of January, after taking a month off. And I remember someone within the Snow Australia organization told me like, well, if you feel like you can train, you can race. And I'm like, no, like I can't do that. Like it's different. Like I get it. You really want me to go and I appreciate it. That's really nice of you. But like I'm 21. I think I was 21 at the time. Like, I want to be ski racing until I'm 30. Like, mm. not like, I don't know if it's like, what's, you know, what's worth it or not. And so even then, like once I knew more likely than not, I was able to go, we were still trying to figure out if it was the best thing for me to go because there was so much uncertainty around COVID and everyone around me was getting COVID and the thought of getting to China and testing positive for COVID we didn't know what would happen then. Like, would I be stuck in China for four weeks? Like, and then my entire season's kind of derailed. And what, like, it there was so many what ifs that it was just, to be honest with you, it was so exhausting that ultimately when I did get hurt, it was kind of freeing, which sounds horrible. But I was like, now I don't have to make any more decisions. It's just. What's well, it's fascinating you say that because my initial question was going to be. January 24, you get that email, you go into the Olympics. January 25, you do that injury. must have been the hardest 24 hours or the most emotional. But, I mean, kind of in what you're just saying there, it's it's fascinating that it, or the whole lead-up until that moment where you get that email. I mean, before we get to the injury, what was it like at that moment then when you got that email saying you're going to the Olympics after everything you're just touching on? Because, obviously, there's still so yeah. much stress in some way, even though you've achieved this childhood dream of getting an Olympic selection. Yeah, it definitely was a really interesting period of time um i remember getting the email and once i finally got the email i think i had like i was relieved at first or not relieved i was just excited like and i was actually at a university race with my teammate um katie parker who ended up going to the the beijing olympics and i remember walking into her room and i was just crying because i was like i don't know what to do like i'm really excited that we're both going because like it was unfortunately like we were university teammates and it was her and I fighting for the Olympic spot. And so that was a bit awkward, but ultimately it was totally fine. Um, and yeah, like once I had made it and made the decision, you know what, I don't have to, it's okay. I don't have to be skiing a hundred percent right now to go and make my like 10 year old self proud. Like I can go to the Olympics and take it for what it is and knowing everything that's gone down the past six weeks. And like, that's okay. Like not, not every time you have to go and try and win, like you can go for other things too. And so I had fi- by the time I had finally like come around to that thought and like, I'll just take it for what it is. And like, it's a once in a lifetime experience and I've been working my butt off for years to get to this point. It's okay if it doesn't necessarily go the way I want it to go. And by the time I'd finally been like excited about it, it was like that day that I like tear my ACL. So... <laughs>
got to ask about that because we talk about 2022, round of 16, you go out to the eventual world champion. Now, uh, Daniel Casada from Spain. 2023, you come up in the round of 16 against Daniel Casada from Spain. Uh, so the guy who knocked you out the previous year went on to win the world championship. You're up against him again. What's that thought process when you realize, all right, let's do this again. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> um, to be honest, I felt really confident going into it. Um, one, because I, I, I knew how I needed to fight against him. Um, yeah, I knew, I knew how I needed to fight against him because I know exactly what mistakes I made. And like so much of my time after that World Championships was devoted to like improving fighting people of that style and like not winning, not allowing what happened to me at that World Championships to happen to me again. Um, so I felt very confident going into it, knowing like I felt very comfortable knowing that I'm fighting someone I fought before, um, and I know how to approach it. And also, like, I'd fought him another time prior to that World Championships, where we had a very close fight at the Belgian Open. So I knew I was capable with fighting well against him, and I knew again how I needed to approach that fight. So I felt really confident, but and also I guess I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder, not in a bad way, but more as just like incentive and motivation of just you know thinking like you know this guy got me last time, I have to get him back. Um, and I guess it out. Well, what's that feeling like in a, in a match like that though, when you obviously you take the first round, then he comes out and wins at seven, nothing. But as you're saying, like it's a sport where you can get done seven, nothing, and then still come in and do that. You're pipping by two in the last round to go through to the quarters. But I mean, do you remember sort of that changeover between the second and third round and sort of knowing what needed to be done then to ultimately take that third round? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I was just, again, like that day, it was just my day and I was super dialed in and I just, as soon as that round happened, like even just walking back to the stool, like to sit and listen to Ryan, I was already thinking to myself, like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just like, if you told me before the fight, it's just, you know, one, one going into the last round, winner takes all. I'd be like, you know, I'd be content with that and know that like, you know, it's like there to fight for and it's in my control now. And I can, you know, I can win the fight with two minutes of like good fighting. And, um, Again, like when sat down with Ryan and he was just really good at getting me to calm down and just saying to me, like, you know, doesn't matter, seven nil, two nil, ten nil, like it doesn't make a difference, just focus on the next round. We're doing good things and just obviously gave me some tactical advice and came out blazing and did well in the last round. Was that the most satisfying of all the round wins? I mean, obviously the next round you win, you guaranteed a medal, which I'm sure is fantastic. But I mean, to be able to sort of get revenge on, on the previous year's world champ, knock out the reigning world championship. I mean, I can't imagine that's not a bit satisfying. Uh, it was definitely very satisfying, but I don't think it compares to securing the medal. I think that that moment when I realized I just medaled at a world champ, so I just went crazy. Like it was the best feeling I've ever had. But um, yeah, definitely incredible feeling. Probably second best feeling I've ever had after a fight. <laughs> I'm, I'm always just so fascinated in sports where like if you win a quarterfinal, because like, you, you, you're guaranteed a medal, it's, it's similar to say like a boxing at the Olympics where if you make the semis, you lose, there's no third, play, third place bout, you, you're guaranteed a medal. Which, I mean, is that elation that you're saying that you secured a medal, but again, the job's not done. You, you haven't gone there to lose a semi-final and win a bronze. You've gone there to win the gold. So I can imagine, is it a, a mix of emotions once you've recovered from that elation of, I've got the medal, but again, job's not done. I want it to be a better color than bronze. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a mix of emotions. Like, I, I definitely let myself enjoy it for a bit. Like you have so much hard work that I put in and had that medal in sight. And yeah, I guess um, I had to let myself enjoy it for a bit. So I can you know, embrace like with my teammates, my friends, like everyone just, you know, gave them all a hug, like 
reflected on it a bit. And there's that break now because like between the quarters and the semis, there's like a two and a half, two hour break. So I let myself enjoy it for a bit. And, you know, after a while, I kind of just walked away from everyone and just sat by myself and just kind of just like pep talking myself and just saying to myself, like, you know, like you said, job's not done and have to focus and, you know, there's no point in coming this far to just throw, throw it away in the semifinal because, like, if I lose because I've lost the, the better man and stuff, that's perfectly fine, which was the case. But um, if I had been content with that medal and then gone into the semis and not tried and given up and stuff like that, then that like, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. So kind of just, you know, sat down, made sure that I was in the right state of mind to try and, you know, approach the rest of the tournament and fight for a gold medal and hopefully win a gold medal. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But, yeah, I definitely had that where I had to like kind of just recenter or just gather myself and like you know focus on the next goal because it's in that opposite of that mixed emotions bag whereas before you're kind of like boom yes i won a, I won a medal but okay focus for the next fight then the next time around it's like damn i've lost it i'm not going to win a goal but then it probably comes back up like well actually i've just won a medal so like at the end of the day i've, I've still achieved a, a pretty big moment for myself yeah exactly like after the semis again like i was really upset for like maybe 45 minutes and everyone's coming up to me saying like like, you know, why are you upset? You've meddled, like, you'd be happy, like, it's, it's okay. Um, but, but initially, like, it was always going to burn me, like, you know, not winning that fight. Um, but, I, like, I, but already by that night, like, I was just, like, it started slowly sinking. It hadn't sunk in yet, but it started slowly, like, sinking. Like, holy shit, I just, you know, won a World Champions medal. And uh, definitely, like, I, I was thinking more about that than I was about losing the same. The yeah. course itself is looking pretty spectacular, obviously, smack bang in, in France, although obviously a bit of concern around the Seine. Uh, is this a venue, like, have, have there been a test event there yet? Is this a, a area where you have raced in before or will this be the first time when you do get to Paris? There has been races in Paris before. I think um, the French Grand Prix League, um, so like the club racing in, in, in France, has, has raced there before. But, um, yeah, super iconic. Like, we turned up there for the test event this year. Um and I didn't get an opportunity to race because I had COVID, um, which Damn. is great. Get it over and um, done with now, though, right? Like, yeah, I'm done with now. Like, get it over and done with for the practice one, and yeah. you know, for the one be all healthy and and smiling, ready to go. But um, yeah, I think being still being cooped up in a hotel room, and but I, I did get a chance to go out and do the course memorization before the day before the race, um, and yeah, it was spectacular. Like the the transition was on, um, I forget the bridge's name, but it's got like gold statues at it, like each of the four corners and um, you ride down the Champs-Élysées and towards Arc de Triomphe and you're looking over like, obviously, you know, the sign isn't the cleanest, you know, we all know, you know, the history of it and whatnot and the the sewage problem, problems, but um, it's something we face in Tokyo and, and we got through that all right. So, um, how bad can Paris be? Um, and obviously being the Olympics, it's, it's a bit of a, like a legacy piece as well, where they want to really clean up the city and maintain, um, maintain that. I think the Olympics is a good a platform for them, for them to obviously start that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they swam in it this year for the test event and there's no, no real issues. Um, they actually have technology. So, uh, that measures when the dirty water is going to pass through. Wow. Like, the race is going to be like they can kind of measure at what time because 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 basically like the it's the sewer system like doesn't work the same as like as what like we have like 
it's kind of like held up in a dam and then it's released at certain times. Release the poop. It's release the poop. Yeah, get it downstream. Get it, get it out of here. So um, <laughs> it, seems, it, seems wow. quite, it seems quite funny and amicable, but the water's running that fast. And uh, that adds another element to the course as well because, you know, you're going down with the current and you're flying, you're, you're swimming like sub one minute for 100 metres um, and then you turn around and, you know, you're swimming into a, you know, to a brick wall, basically, like you've, you've really got to push through. So it's, uh, yeah, it's quite, quite a differential going from, from down to back upstream, but, um, yeah, it makes, makes it good for, for the stronger swimmers. I think heading back into that current, knowing that, um, yeah, you've obviously got a bit of an advantage, um, towards, uh, you know, the, the weaker swimmers. So it's really interesting i i i did not realize that was a thing and i i wonder if then that did the french because like you know you see many sports like home courses like cricket we saw in the world cup recently like you know india pitches they want to make it suit their you know players i wonder if the french are like well our triathletes swim better with lots of poop so release the poop like i i don't know like i mean it's fascinating to think that there could be some strategy involved when it comes just to the simple case of the water there Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the French men have won like two of the last world championships. So they're, they're flying and they're in a very strong position. So they probably don't need the poop to help them. To, <laughs> they're probably, <laughs> they're probably enough. Oh. Got enough is, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's going to be super interesting. Um, yeah, I just got, yeah, can't wait to get out there and experience the crowd because obviously we didn't get much of that in Tokyo. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure Paris is going to do a great job of putting it on. You, you've made our coverage next year so much uh, more fun knowing uh, that there could be poop just floating around ready to go. What's Australia style? What are we known for out there on the ice? Um, we, we never stop. We're gritty. We, we skate hard. We battle hard. Um, I actually have one of the... Um, one of the other team's coaches, her voice is always in my head because she used to say, I hate playing against you guys. Like, <laughs> And they used to beat us, but they, she was like, I hate it because you guys don't stop. And, like, you, we, like, we, you know, might stop our feet moving for one second and you've turned the puck over and you go and score. She's like, I, I absolutely hate playing against you guys. And now, and now she's a coach as well. And she's like, I hate coaching because i know as soon as my girls have one lap like you guys are going to capitalize um so i think and that's that's just true aussie aussie grit right that's in any in anything like we're we're really gritty we just keep going um and yeah i love our battles in in hockey because we know how to use the body um we do it cleanly and legally but we really get in there so um keep on which is everywhere you know in front of the net um, in the offensive zone all the time. That's Love probably it. hockey. That's that. That's what I want. But, all right, the the mascot. Now it's always our yes. favorite. Uh, I I wanted to share this with the group, but then I thought, like, no, wait till we're on air. Uh, we have got Moong Cho. Now I, I don't feel that's a boorang and surang where I'm mispronouncing <laughs> that, but. Speaking of Boorang and Surang, Moong Cho is a snowball, which in itself, pretty cool, unique, outside the box, not an alpaca, but still will roll with it. <laughs> Moong Cho is a snowball 
that was used in a fight between Boorang and Soorang <laughs> at the 20. 20- they have come up with this concept of, hey, we had an Olympics. Let's create an offspring. And so with the nicest possible way for 15 to 18-year-olds, oh, they had a snowball fight and this is what was born with it. Boorang and Soorang fucked and this is the result. Uh, let's just be honest with it. Let's say it how it is. The IOC won't say it. This is how a baby is born. This is <laughs> genius, Colin. I, 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 yeah. I, as much as I think we've all loved Bing Dwen Dwen and everything along those lines, why didn't the mascots from 20, 2008 just have an orgy and create? Maybe <laughs> they really are the long-lost parents of Bing Dwen Dwen. But, I mean, this is fantastic. What an idea. And I... I it's cute. I don't know if it's a he or she. They're cute. It's a cute snowball and it's parents we loved back in the day. Uh, yeah. Boorang and Surang. <laughs> uh, like, I, I love the, the just description of everything about it. Um, the, 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 the idea, they always have to come up with these Let's find a way to explain, you know, uh, what the cherry is. The way. We we need to we need to use this as a template and really get full on with cherry. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, like cherry was a result of Penny Lexic having sex with a chair? What? Um <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't where I was going with that, but um uh, it, it was it was a chair fight between <laughs> Penny Alexiak and Should have gone with that one. Should have gone with that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hello Penny if you're listening. We've been complimentary uh, right with- now. Now we've got images. Enough with the uh, having babies here, but uh, yeah, they always try to come up with these explanations. Like to me, this is maybe it is just you need you need children to actually come up with these ideas because this seems like the most logical, whatever you want to call it, creature uh, mascot creature that has existed in Olympic history. Like it's a snowball uh, or a snowball fight. This is what came out of it. I love they even have like every single snowball is unique. I mean, I think every snowflake is unique. I think every single snowball is like, you can literally have a machine that builds snowballs. They're no longer unique. Uh, but still, uh, even even the personality that they have written here is fearless in the face of any challenge is always willing to help a friend in need. Uh, yeah, I, I love this. The Muncho, whatever you want to pronounce it. We're probably butchering it here. Uh, and um, uh, can, can we just say right now, this is the best Olympic mascot we've had. I mean, outside of the, the obvious, uh, um, Dwin, Dwin. what's his name? I was going to say the outside of the obvious Bing Dwen, but like being on board with it from day one, we were not on board with Bing Dwen from day one. True, true. So this is the earliest, I think, that I've come around on a mascot. I got to say, I mean, you're right. I love the explanation. We were planning, I mean, maybe we'll still do it with Cherry. We need to come up with more of like a, a branding for Cherry. But uh, so yeah, Mongcho uh, derives from the Korean verb, Mungchida, which means to gather as one. And the official story here, a snowball that Surang and Bandabi, or as we like to call him, Burang, the official mascots of Pyeongchang 2018, using a snowball fight in Gangwon province, was born, again, as Mungcho, ahead of Gangwon, Kangwon 2024 Youth Olympic Games, having inherited the quality of sportsmanship from Surang and Bandabi, Mungcho is eagerly awaiting for the games to start, just like the rest of us. Um, we're on a pretty good... Did sh- you get... F- hmm? Mm-hmm. I was going to say, did you get far enough to Moonshow's personality? Oh, yeah, I've got that here. Uh, always running with the front of passion and courage. Moonsho is a fearless in the face of any challenges, always willing to help a friend in need. Hashtag it's fearless. It's the hashtag second passion. part here. Oh, do you want to read the it? second Go part here it. where Moonshow's signature pose is one of the mascots smiling and greeting people to the games with a hand held high. Like, like, is that the best you come up with? A pose? I understand that is his pose, but like, there's no story about it. His pose is he's smiling and holding a hand. See again, <laughs> IOC, I'm calling out your bullshit. All right, you also went to Upwork and hired an artist, didn't you? That they would charge you for more than one pose. Uh, 
<laughs> so I'm just saying right now, they, they've done the cherry route with this one. Uh, <laughs> they can't afford to pay for the spend a lot of money uh, on that immersive experience. You know what Donovan Bailey's saying looking at this right now? He's looking at it saying, oh, it's a snowball. <laughs> oh, it's a snowball. <laughs> um, I will say we are on a good streak with the mascot, so Colin. I think that we came around with Bing Dwen Dwen. Uh, but like, what have we had? Bing Dwen Dwen, uh, y- y- you know, Tazuni, even though she snobbed us. Um, the 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 cool little Lima, uh, Lima, the, the you know, the, the bird thing from um, the fucking, what are they the called? The Pan, Pan Ams, Ams one. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, Which, the one that they, they couldn't grab the medal. <laughs> pew, pew, or pew, or whatever it was pew, called. Pew, pew, yeah. Pew, pew. Seriously, follow it on Instagram. And did we, I don't think we discussed. I got, we got a message from uh, a fan who basically was saying how big that mascot was and that it's sold out and that you cannot buy it. And like this was like the biggest thing to ever happen. So uh, I'm really excited to kind of see how that keeps going on there. And uh, obviously, uh, Frege, who I just was on the Paris. Um, merchandise store because they've just dropped to the day of recording this some cool new looking merchandise and i'm special right now and i'm way too tempted to buy it i do not need it for only 30 dollars australian you can buy a freeze ugly christmas sweater which is freeze oh. in a christmas tree that says ho 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 under it now seriously send me that link too i is, need it for it next is, christmas it is so amazing and it's cheap and why wouldn't you want to buy and you can also get a freeze bathrobe with like the hoodie which is freeze so, uh, I mean, this, this Paris... They're stepping up. They've got some great freaking merchandise. I am telling you now. Uh, they really are stepping up with their merchandise. I will try and send you this link if I can find it. There it is. <laughs> this is great podcasting. Uh, I, I, I mean, this is, this is a part where I'm most sad that Jared is not with us because Jared is the mascot king. So uh, I'm sure he would be uh, rating very, very highly here. Moon Cho. So, uh, <laughs> Colin's <laughs> laughing. I mean, it's so hard to tell if Frege is sitting in this tree and then you see the feet underneath <laughs> and you realize Frege is dressed as a tree. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, who doesn't want that jumper? Like, he's such a oh, cool Oh, it's amazing. Thing. The two things, though, that I think, quickly, the, the, the lighting of the cauldron. I'm so oh. glad to see that Korea like to celebrate... Um, Pain medication. Let's light the giant Advil. <laughs> I am in the exact same note. I'm like, is this sponsored by a pharmaceutical company? <laughs> I mean, slightly better than Beijing. We're so lazy. Let's just put the torch in a holder and raise it. Ha, oh, Olympics. But I didn't know Korea. Like, we are so proud that we have universal health care. Here's a headache tablet. <laughs> And it was even like it was similar to what we were talking about during the Pan Ams last year, where he like he he put the flame down, and like last in the Pan Ams, like he's like moving around the barrel, nothing's lighting, yeah. and all of a sudden you see someone press a button. This guy was like <laughs> his arm was halfway down. They somebody pressed the button too early, then the Advil lit up, and he was like, "Oh, I haven't even touched the Advil yet." <laughs> Olympics, and like what a mixed message in the age of like doping is bad. We're going to suspend Russia. We're going to have our cauldron representing doping at the Youth Olympics. Kids, if you don't succeed, this is what we want for you. We want you to down a couple of these and then you're going to win a gold medal. It was was literally created by a Russian. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, we can't compete in Olympic. Let's create cauldron. What do we complete? (laughs) What do we make, Dimitri? Drug. 
Not that it's <laughs> not that we drug. We we completely innocent. We absolutely do nothing. <laughs> and then everyone's like, "Yay, Olympics are open!" And like even like they kind of do these half-assed fireworks. Like, pew, pew. It's like, okay, mm. you've done well up until that point, uh, Gangwon. But Thomas Barkula, Olympic champion oh. fencing. Like, I mean, bless his cotton socks. This is what going to be the second last time we ever see him deliver an opening speech. Pretty concise, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But that's only because him taking a selfie took like half of that. The thing that like was disappointing was that when he's like, he's going like, yes, and the youth of the world, we're so excited. Ah, 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 ah. And then he's like, come on, let's take a photo together. Why couldn't he say, come on, let's take a selfie? Like that's, yeah. was that the, the um, chain smokers song or whatever it was, you know, like let's take a selfie. Like that. I just want to hear Thomas Bach utter the phrase, let's take a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> This one kid is like taking this. Like I'm thinking, like, dude, like, how long? Like, does it take to press a button? If this is Thomas Bach doing it, I'm like, yeah, the guy's old. Like, you know, like, let him find. Oh, that's not the app. Oh, what's my passcode? Like, you know, this <laughs> is what I wanted to see. Oh, I didn't mean to open the app store. How do I go back? Um, like, but this kid is like some sixteen, you know, pew pew pew, and then afterwards, fist bumped Thomas Bach. Does that kid not win the Olympics? Like straight away, just then. I think he was a Kiwi yeah. as well. I think he was wearing a New Zealand uniform, so I don't know who he was. But like, he just like takes a selfie, boom, fist bump. That kid wins the Olympics for me. Yeah, I mean, the selfie was the highlight uh, <laughs> of the speeches. Does, it, is, it, this, is this posted online? Is this like the Ellen selfie at the Oscars? Yeah, like this is going to be you know the, the 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 most trending thing on the internet for the year of 2024 is yeah. Thomas Bach selfie. I, I I think that uh, when I was watching that, I told you like, oh, he's taking a selfie right now. <laughs> and I, it wasn't even a joke. And I'm like, I think that this is taking half of the time. Like it, it went on forever and ever. Although uh, I, I did uh, agree with you because you had messaged me about his his outfit, him in that pink jacket, which really was just what everybody was wearing. I mean, it was kind of like- Go back to Juan Antonio almost from uh, Yeah, Sarajevo. exactly. Yeah. And he had the matching pink tie and everything. I'm like, that's probably the best dress Thomas Bach has been in a long time. But uh, selfie- um, I, I don't know. Was it this kind of like the Pan Am Games when they had the end where they had the the mascots in there and trying to give them the medal to get the picture and everything? They figured, I know how we could top this. Let's just take forever and do absolutely nothing while we're trying to snap the picture. I like. I, I'm not opposed to this idea, but also, was a selfie not very 2011? Like, I mean, I know yeah. we're all. I know we're all on board. Like, selfies have never died. It's not like they've just gone away. But like, that was the that was the thing. That's why Ellen did the selfie like back then, right? Like that's when it became a word and it was like in the mm-hmm. dictionary and all this kind of stuff. Like Thomas Bach, the Olympic champion fencing is just like literally <laughs> just going like, I heard about this new thing called a selfie. Ah, ah, ah. I'm going to take the picture. Ah, ah, ah. I'm going to miss him. I, I, I will yeah. miss him. It's one more Olympics to go, Colin. This is sad. Yeah. I mean, ho- hopefully we get a nice outfit from him next time and hopefully we is get him house? uttering the if we get if we get him uttering the word selfie, that would really make it because you know what, what the fact that he didn't actually say selfie, right? Like, uh, it, know. you know the movie Morning Glory with like Rachel McAdams, Harrison Ford, Diane. Yeah, Keaton? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I watch the movie all the time, but like, there's a part in that movie which is maybe the funniest part about it, where Harrison Ford's character refuses to use the word fluffy. So he's objecting to it. And I'm like, I will not use the word fluffy. Uh, and that's almost, I feel like this was Thomas Bach. Okay, we just want you to say, let's take a selfie. Like, I will not use the word selfie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, if I bump into him in Paris, I will get a selfie with him as long as he says the word selfie. 
Like, can I get you on camera saying, let's take a selfie? Because <laughs> it's almost like I have the option to refuse having a selfie with Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're that kid who hosts the Olympic podcast. Uh-uh, let's take a photo. <laughs> you tell me it's a selfie, Thomas. No, I will not say I don't want to selfie. I will with not you, use the word selfie. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I just got a picture with Kelsey Grammer. I'm really going to refuse to take a picture with Thomas <laughs> Bach, Olympic champion fencing. <laughs> Silvers, we like yeah. that. Yeah, Colin, <laughs> more silvers and more um, big air. We want bigger air. <laughs> I know where massive air. Where, where's yeah, where's the massive air? Like, I mean, I'm surprised Eileen Goo isn't like going to to Thomas, going like, "Hi, I want to win another four medals." Like, do we have the the big air, the slightly bigger air, the even bigger air, and then the massive air, and then it just keeps and then like, the astronomical air, <laughs> <laughs> and then the impossible air, and then you just get dropped <laughs> from a space station. Um, was that that Red Bull guy that jumped from like the the hot air balloon a few years ago? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, like, can we just have like Eileen Goo from a balloon? <laughs> Hi everyone, representing China. Eileen Goo, hello. And then Ruin, she's doing like a thousand tricks, picking up speed, and then basically she's got to pull a shoot at the last minute. You realize that guy back in Beijing was basically like, "That's not big air. That's big yeah. air." He's <laughs> pulling a crocodile Dundee. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I, I mean, this is the, the beauty of the Winter Olympics is that you've got more room for growth with the events. Like the, the Summer Olympics, like it's kind of like, oh, cricket's going to be a sport. Get rid of this sport. You know, we can't fit you in. Whereas Winter Olympics, like by, you know, 2040, we're probably going to have like all the big airs. We're going to have like, you know, all the different types of ice hockey. We're going to have the the mountain climbing relay mixed with luge. Um you know, we're going to have winter handball. Um, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. have winter tennis. Like, Jared, you're going to be there. Like, you that's know, it. it's just. I'm just excited for uh, Monobob Big Air because I feel like that's an event. Like, just ramps <laughs> up. I mean, J- Jared, I know he listened to last week's episode, so he'll get this, but can we have like winter appliance Big Air hey. coming soon? Actually, Jared, what is your favorite winter appliance, by the way? Um. <laughs> It's got to be, uh, you know, the um, snowplow. Hey, there we go. You had a 50-50 shot of getting it. There it you was go. the snowplow the Zamboni. Zamboni probably, yeah, really. there it is. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Which, again, um, sadly, when we talk about who's on the show in a couple of weeks, didn't quite get to ask him what his favourite winter appliance was, Colin. So, uh, a bit, bit disappointing. <laughs> I was going to mention the 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 guy that had the three goals in the biathlon, but uh, you you beat it by one, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, three three gold and a bronze, if you don't mind, Jared. Any anybody else to possibly mention? Nah, you know me. I'm biased for the Dutch. <laughs> you're not much if you're not Dutch. So um, you're not much if you're not fair. Dutch. <laughs> Is that the national tagline of the <laughs> Netherlands? It's the opening line to the national anthem. <laughs> so okay, I'm going to be there in August. Uh, so I've just got to walk around and just be like, you're not much if you're not Dutch. Like <laughs> that. That's great. If that isn't there, like they need to take that. That's that's brilliant. Um, well, congratulations, Angel Dullerman. You are not much if you're not Dutch, and you are Dutch, so you're very much uh, the the athlete of the games. I'm sure she'll take that like very highly esteemed. You know, three three golds and a bronze, but again, off the podium. I mean, is this the the baby Dale Beg Smith medal? Because um, it's Youth Olympics. <laughs> the, the the baby bag. The baby bag. She wins the baby <laughs> bag. Oh, baby bag medalist, Angel Dullerman. Well done. 
And of course, I need to take this opportunity once again to thank every single one of those guests who you heard appearing on this show over that time period. Great to have all of them on the program and just an outstanding amount of talent that we had across the last 12 months or so, basically, that covered and just a great trip down memory lane to hear from all of those people and also all the other episodes that we did to Colin and Jared as well, of course, for their inputs across the way, particularly on our coverage of the Women's World Cup, the Pan Am Games and the recent Youth Olympics, as well as the fun opening ceremony review episodes that we have had a lot of fun along the way. And we know you're going to have a lot of fun between now and episode 400 because that's going to come very, very quickly given that the next time you have a best of clip show, we would have covered and been to an Olympic Games. That is right. The Paris Olympics are just months away. Five months to be precise. Can you believe that? Less than half a year away until we are at our next Olympic Games. This will be our third Summer Olympics that we have covered on this show. It's hard to believe that uh, that amount of time has gone by. So very, very pumped for that. And between now and when the Paris Olympics are on, we have got so many great interviews and episodes coming your way. We are planning lots of things for you to get excited about. I teased a potential daily, uh, uh, weekly, I should say. We're not quite there on the daily episode front. Wait to the Paris Olympics. A weekly news episode, which we're still in the planning phases. So stay tuned for something along those lines coming your way. We will, of course, have other great coverage episodes in the lead up. We will have our athletes to watch episode. We did a similar thing, of course, ahead of both Beijing and Tokyo, where we brought you clips of guests that we had on this show ahead of those Olympic Games to sort of hear from them as the insight going into that one as well. So we will be bringing you that one as well. I correct myself, it was just ahead of Beijing. We didn't do one for Tokyo. So this will be the first time that we are doing one for a Summer Olympics, which I am very, very excited for, of course. And as I mentioned, athlete interviews, we're going to be focusing a lot of our interviews on athletes who will be at these Paris Olympics because we've had plenty on the show, but plenty still to come. So in the coming weeks, you're going to hear from sports climbers who are heading to Paris. You're going to hear from paratriathletes who are heading to Paris. You are going to hear from a coach of one of the teams. Now, that might sound a bit weird, but when we say who this person is and we tease this in a couple of weeks, This is a very big name person who is coaching a very big team at these Olympic Games. And that's all I'm going to say right now because this person also has an esteemed Olympic career themselves. So there's plenty to cover in that one as well. And next week, you heard us touch on this last week. We gave it away, but I'm going to say it right now. An absolute icon of the Olympics, Donovan Bailey, a legend of the sport of athletics. Of course, the 100-meter champion from the Atlanta Olympics, former world champion and world record holder, in the 100 metres. They don't get much bigger than Donovan Bailey, particularly if you're a Canadian. He is kind of the creme de la creme of great Olympians when it comes to how much they hold him in high esteem. So a great chat. That is next week on the show. You do not want to miss that one as well. And then that is going to be followed by some more great interviews coming your way. Our Munich opening ceremony review is also a couple of weeks away, so stay tuned for that one as well. We will, of course, litter the coming months with some more opening ceremony reviews before we get to Paris, and then we'll be amping up the coverage. So the the weekly episode, as I said, a news one, and the more interviews we get in, the more coverage we get in, you'll hear more of these a week, just like we did in the lead-up to Tokyo and lead-up to Beijing. The busier we get, the more episodes you're going to get a week, so get excited for that because there is going to be a lot of content coming your way. And then Paris itself, it's going to be a busy one. We're actually in the midst of trying to work out how this is going to work out because I'm going to be on the ground in Paris 
and not really super available to be on these episodes. So it's it's kind of a bit of a catch-22 of what I'm doing over there that unfortunately I won't be able to have the capacity to host these daily. So that's going to fall on Colin, it's going to fall on Jared, and it's going to fall on some other people that we're going to have to kind of help us throughout that period. So while our coverage might not be as extensive as it has been previously for past Olympics, it's still going to be a unique coverage because I'll be on the ground there in Paris, so I'll be able to provide a unique insight and, and come on when I can. It's not like I'm just going to completely ignore everybody on this show. It's going to be a case of do what I can when I can, and that will bring a very unique perspective on the ground there in Paris. So we're very, very, very excited for the coming months. We are so pumped. We're so ready. Bring on Paris. Bring on all the great guests we've got on this show. And always, thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. We really, really, really appreciate your support and having you tune into the show every single week. It means the world to us, so thank you very much. Of course, we know that you already follow us on social media, so make sure you tell your friends to do it, or if you're not, Facebook, Twitter, slash X, Instagram, TikTok, of course, we're now on that. So stay tuned and make sure you're up to date with all of that and subscribe to the pod if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcast from. Please leave us feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And as I always mention, if there's anybody you want to get on the show, if you want us to track down anybody, please reach out to us. We'll see what we can do because there are plenty of people out there that we know that you want us to get on the show and we're happy to do what we can in the meantime. Thanks again to every single person who has appeared on this show over the last 50 episodes. It's great to hear from them again and go down memory lane and to every single one of you who have tuned in Across those 50 episodes thank you as well my name is ben this is off the podium birmingham ball jason momoa all the usual closing bits and the most important part to remember to go left when the stars make you through just like pasta pasta that's when you dance down the street with the club at your feet you're in love When you walk in a dream But you know you're not dreaming, senor Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli That's amore